Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of year again. It's the end of 2020. We're back at it. It's the Silicon Sasquatch Game of the Year deliberations. I'm, for some reason, the moderator this year, Spencer Tordoff. Joining me as ever, we have Aaron Thayer. Hello. Doug Bonham. Good morning. Nick Cummings. Yo. And from the remarkably COVID-free land of Australia, Tyler Martin. Good afternoon from down under. As ever, we're beginning our deliberations this year with the Category Awards. Now, we've played a number of games this year, some of us, <laughs> some of us more than others, but our first challenge is to pick games that we believe exemplified a certain category. This year, I think we're working with Best Music, Best Art Direction, Best Character, Best Moment, Best Tone Control, <laughs> the Commissioner Parker McMillan Three Rogue Umpire Incineration Award, <laughs> presented by Hideo Kojima, uh, Best Storytelling, Best Photo Mode, Most Fun, Best Remake, and this year has a special 11th category, the Best Hades Thirst Trap. That is what we're working with this year. Um, That's going to be a real contentious category. It certainly is. Why don't we start at the less contentious <laughs> categories and start talking about best music? <laughs> I'm just impressed year after year we keep getting Hideo Kojima sign off on that category and sponsorship. He's, he's really a very cool. gracious man. You give him a case of Monster, he'll sign off on anything. <laughs> <laughs> is that why Norman Reedus is like parked outside my house in an old Celica? <laughs> He's wearing his outfit from The Walking Dead. Yeah, mm. okay. <laughs> it's his next uh, AMC streaming series. <laughs> he just found out that we're renaming the category, so he's got his "say anything" moment, trying to get us to change it back. <laughs> With his crossbow above his head. Yeah. Yep. Uh, would right. somebody like to read off the nominees for best music? Yeah, I'll do it. Go, All Aaron. Right. All right, we have Hades, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One Plus Two. Um, Paper Mario, The Origami King, Disco Elysium, Kentucky Route Zero, Paradise Killer. Is it Eichenfell? I've Eichenfell. never heard that Okay. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Ghost of Tsushima, and Wide Ocean Big Jacket. One point of clarification. Is it pronounced Elysium or Elysium? It depends I'm on who you I'm ask. honestly asking. Some British folks say hmm. Elysium, which I don't really Cons. understand. Well, aluminium. In the game, <laughs> in the game, multiple people pronounce it differently, uh, but okay. Elysium seems to be the consensus. Is it an indicator that I am not far enough in the game that I haven't heard any player characters say that word in the game? Yeah, it happens toward the end, but you've heard them say yeah. disco a lot, so you know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Dicego, yes. Yeah. So actually, before we get into this, I just want to call something out for our longtime listeners. You may have heard Kentucky Route Zero on this list. That's because Kentucky Route Zero is done. Finally. They said it couldn't happen, but it's here. It's a real boy now. It's a real boy it's, now. It's a full game, and thus can be considered. It even has a TV edition. <laughs> yeah, on the Switch this year, along with the final fifth act, it released on Switch. Um, and we didn't record these deliberations for the first several years, but I think if we had, you would have heard us talking about this game from like 2014 or 2013. Hoping it would be on Game of the Year eventually. So, yeah, Nick is right to, to call that out. 
And you would have heard every year Spencer going, God damn, when will it finally be officially? <laughs> Me too. This is the, year, buddy. This Nick is too. the year. This is the year. Some of that was misguided Barry Stern's Bravo anger. Just fear <laughs> that it would never actually complete. But nevertheless, it is actually complete this year so. literally the only podcast on planet earth that mentions bear stearns bravo every single year <laughs> is this why uh, you yeah. never bothered to, to say. nominate another fmv game <laughs> we really because i'm very bad at playing single player games so if, if we were trying to be profitable i think we realize our seo hits are poor because we just keep putting bear stearns bravo in the uh in the metadata for these podcasts and we're not getting any hits off of that so it's it's yeah. one of those uh, phrases that if Google detects it, it actually moves you down the search ranks as opposed to up. <laughs> that explains For it. our new listeners, Bear Stearns Bravo was what if Adult <laughs> Swim released a Sega CD game? <laughs> that's pretty much it. That's, In any case, let's, 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 let's sewer keep, shark on Wall let's Street. Keep moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah let's, let's get into the nominees. Yeah, so um, we got a good number of nominees here. Uh, is anyone going to put anything forward as like a, you know, a solid conversation starter? I mean, I, Hades is I, right at the top there. Supergiant is known for not only having excellent music, but having the music be an actual part of their experience and their narrative. And you have mm-hmm. two literal musicians that are characters in the story. And one of them, yeah, to... you are regaling your own tales to who turns your experiences into song. Darren Korb did the soundtrack again, who yep. has been doing... Did he he's do the, all of them, even Bastion? Yeah, yeah yep. he's the super giant house uh, composer. Yeah. So, I mean, this one of the most talented musicians in terms of being able to do any sort of genre that you've heard from Pyre to um, Transistor. And he's the uh, voice actor for one of the characters of Pyre Call. For yes. quite a few of them, actually, yeah. but including Zagreus, the main one. Yes. Uh it's also worth noting that Darren Corp won this award for Pyre uh, when he was eligible for it. So, wouldn't yeah, be he's, might, he's might be the first person to potentially win two of our awards uh, for this, or two of the same award from us. It's gonna have which to is a very big on honor. Shelf. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll sending him this year. <laughs> the Squatchy. Mm. Spencer, how so, many bottles of Baja Blast you got in your basement? <laughs> Zero currently, though tomorrow I'm going to walk over the hill um, with a couple growlers to the nearest Taco Bell. And <laughs> it's, it's real. They, okay, because of COVID, they have to. <laughs> they have but to. But you did say growler. drinks individually. But uh, yeah, they, they will not stop you from just standing there and pouring each uh, cup they give you into. One of two growlers that you then take with you out of the uh, restaurant. Growler so. fills for beer are so 2010. Growler <laughs> fills for Baja Blast and Taco Bell, that is 2020. Look, I have a condition. It's <laughs> it's, it's, it's diabetes. Called, yeah. It's called being a pro gamer. No, I get the zero <laughs> sugar, so it's not diabetes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Hades, I think it was a fantastic soundtrack. It's one of those that I, um, when I find game soundtracks I really like, I put on a, a very an infinitely long playlist for working um, that's all like instrumental and game music and so I probably have listened to that soundtrack even before I played it this year uh, dozens of times very memorable 
Um, I think it's a really solid pick for the category. Uh, I don't really have anything to say against it, um, but we have lots of, I think, pretty good contenders too this year too. So what do you think about And I'm going to make a bit of a, I don't know, semi-controversial move here. So Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, did they manage to relicense basically the same soundtrack as the first two Tony Hawk games? Mostly. So, Not 100%. Here we a, go. A very good margin. So that's, they, I mean, it's, A, that's impressive. B, it is very nostalgic. It's got a lot of selections from the era. And licensed additions, music, so. Licensed music is a hard sell to me. I, me too. I don't so, know that that works. Here's the thing. I think I think I checked the numbers yesterday because I grabbed blog posts when we're preparing and discussing um, 22 songs from the first two games, including the ones that you want to hear. Okay. Um, it, this is spoiling a later category, but the intro video is Raging Against the Machines, Gorilla Radio, and the first song that they play on the main menu when you get that started up is Superman. They know what you're there for. They give you exactly what you're there for. And so they have also, twenty what plus is songs. Impressive to me is that they do add songs because yeah, they, added, they know that they added thirty something how fast songs. You can get sick of that songs, and but yeah. it, the new songs work. They fit. It's not like oh, and here's some contemporary hits to spell our, sell our Spotify playlist. Like they actually mm-hmm. did some curation. It's like what fits the vibe that we're going for here. But yeah, to yeah. maybe like defend Spencer's questioning a little bit. Like I loved it, and it is nostalgic, but it is. It is a soundtrack licensed music from a time when that was such a big thing in games, right? This era, like Grand uh, Theft Auto, like As everybody well, the other... was head over heels over the Vice City soundtrack. What, what and was other the name of the like, EA Sports? Like they had a label or something. That they oh had, yeah, like, like <laughs> EA Tracks EA or something like Mix that. Or some shit. EA, yeah, EA, EA, EA Tracks. Oh yeah. yeah, getting some real EA Tracks um, vibes from Tony Hawk. So uh, what I would say about the soundtrack for Tony Hawk, though, is I think that's. Uh, just as much a big selling point for its contention in like best remake uh Mm -hmm. because it's a very thoughtful that game to me is like the perfect synthesis of like old and new and you see that in the Mm. skaters you see that in the music all these things i think i think that is a more appropriate way to think of that soundtrack for this game rather than best music overall the music can be good in and of itself but it's not necessarily you don't want to just celebrate goldfinger for this award and you know other songs too, we that would... that's a different award i do with a different <laughs> website frankly look if you I just wanted to bring it in ska, there. you should have nominated it i i will start a ska I... podcast with anybody who wants to anytime i've just been waiting okay thank you i i wanted See, to yeah, I think it's fair to about like... no doubts oi to the world yesterday and i was like holy shit that's a that's a trip right there I wanted to at least get it into their discussion. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to get your attention so I can get some time. I just wanted to get it in there so that we could... Like, this is paying back my childhood, because that was something when I was in junior high, high school, that was immense. And, yeah, the, the other point is they added 30-something new songs, so two-thirds of the soundtrack is... Or three-fifths of the soundtrack is new stuff, and it all fits. So, I is it just fair wanted to, to at say, least... at the moment, it's it's maybe a good runner-up for the category. Like, maybe it's not a winner. I mean, if I'm, drawing it, that, but I think if I'm it, drawing it up on my own, I would put it as a runner-up, because I think we should recognize something original. We should recognize something from a great game, not just a remake, or something that's both new music and for a new title. 
I, you know, this we 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 didn't exist as a podcast and a video game website when Tony Hawks were coming out the factory line, so we couldn't exactly give it its proper's and its due time. But this remake came out is so damn good. We need to, or I feel like at least need to try to get it recognized. Okay, so we're keeping Tony Hawk, but we're not. We're acknowledging it's probably not going to win this. Uh, yeah. Now it's time for the Tyler's Haterade portion of the <laughs> podcast, where. That will be the rest of this podcast. A running theme for like the next four hours about how much I dislike Oregon King. (laughs) Uh, Even the music? Why do you all think that the music in that game, of all the fucking Mario games, is like, yeah, that's my jam right there. He linked in our uh, our Sasquatch Slack chat a uh, a very Repeatedly. nice thorough video breaking this down. So this is all for here. months. Yeah, kept playing yeah, it. Yeah, I, I remember watching that. But like in my hierarchy of Mario Mario music, the very bottom is fucking New Super Mario Brothers, and then comes <laughs> the fucking Paper Mario games. Like I am okay, but this one's I am really there good, to turn though. the volume down, put on a podcast, and just read the text. It's not that bad, but again, I, I don't have as much of a dog in the fight. Doug liked this game, right? Doug can back me up on this, but like, what I really like about the music in this game is that it's like, there's a shit ton of it. Like, the soundtrack is something like 250 songs long, and that's because there's so much dynamism to it. So we're going and, for quantity yeah. over quality, then? No, I'm going for dynamic <laughs> integration of sound effect or music, which Hades does well, too, but I think Paper Mario schools the shit out of it on. Um, and the, it's just that, like, Paper Mario, they recorded, like, a the, the soundtrack rips it's like really good it's just really jazzy and fun and like you know i'm a bit of a music nerd so like i love looking at sheet music on that video and being like oh my god like these are some really cool riffs like intersecting and like complementing each other and i just found it really fun throughout like i think the way that the battle system like drops instruments in and out and has like stings for like every time you input a command like it just times the music perfectly you know like that moment in hades where you're fighting you know hades and then it's just like spoiler you end the dialogue and it's just like you hear the guitar or like that kind of like string instrument. The hit gears the right are more like you finish the battle, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like the it. it's like Paper Mario is that the game, and it's just got that everywhere. And I don't know. I also like the dumb songs throughout, like the the tree, sweet sap logins song is pretty weird. <laughs> Nick, are you kind of like? Um, I mean, I think the music itself is good from what I've played, but are you kind of highlighting this because of that? the way that they produce the music and the complexity there too, is that also like a big part of it for you for, for the category? Yeah. Um, it's the musicality of the game. Like the game is very deeply intertwined with his music. And I think it's just a really cool, I just want to at least acknowledge like, this is like one of the most robust, deeply ingrained implementations of music in, in, to, the, to like intersect with the dynamic nature of One of the, of the issues game. for me is that you mentioned the battle music and the way it responds to you. And I disliked those battles so much that the music became grating to me because yeah, I think that's that's kind of what's weighing you down though. Like I think I like the battle music a lot, and I don't mind the battle system, so that's part of it for sure. Anyway, I don't think it's going to win this. It's not even on my personal shortlist as number one. I just think it's really good, and I would love to see it stay in discussion. Unlike. Uh, go for it and I'm sorry to say this but Paradise Killer I think I'm willing to just cut right now Uh, Paradise Killer has uh, so for for tone control I think Paradise Killer is a real contender for soundtrack it's got like one really good song and like five pretty good songs and then like about 30 that I just that one good song is real good though it's (laughs) alright it's part of a bigger vibe though is my point though and I, I don't think the music on its own 
is really what's, what makes that game work. I think it's the music in tandem with the bizarre characters and setting and the, the really cool art style. Yeah, that's probably fair. Uh, what about Disco? Did the music stand out to you a lot in Disco Elysium? Yeah, but I think it's actually kind of like part of a bigger mood for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like, I don't think that would necessarily make our top three here. Um, but it is really good. It's by the band British Sea Power, which yeah, uh, I, I, has a long from, pedigree. I haven't finished the game, but from what cool I've stuff. experienced of it, I, it's got good music. It just didn't stand out to me in that, like, oh, this is this is a soundtrack that I want to listen to. Same. This, yeah. Yeah, this music is enhancing my experience kind of way. It's pretty ambient most of the time. You know, it's, it's yeah. pretty subtle, and that doesn't usually do it for me too well. I just thought it fit the game very, very well. Yeah, you're still there for the um, the systems and the story and the writing and the characters. The music is enhancing, like you said, but it's not a standout from what I've played. But it's not yeah. that at all. When we think about uh, Kentucky, so we're, we're thinking about this as a whole package now. And it seems like the music's played a pretty big role to varying degrees throughout all five acts. So yeah. how do you guys think of, in terms of the Kentucky Zero, zero music experience nick finished it most recently i finished it earlier this spring i don't know where everybody else fell but i the songs and the musical interludes either when they're transitioning scenes with like the kind of bluegrassy folksy band backing the um, concert with the androids in the bar um in act three i think that was act three yeah and some of the other um links that we've shared among ourselves leading up to this the music stands out in my memory as one of the more um, memorable parts of the whole experience. So it does, I think, compared to something like disco or even Paper Mario, like the music is intended to be a part of the Kentucky Route Zero experience. Um, mm. Ben Babbitt and a few other artists were involved. Um, but is it a part of the experience in that you would say it has some of the best music, or is it part of the experience in that it fits with like? the tone of the game where it's enhancing your uh, I mean, the tracks are listenable I've, that's another one that i've listened to a few times so i i think yeah. so yeah and some of the musical interludes remind me oh sorry what did you say spencer oh i was just saying i, I think music in kentucky route zero is incredible i don't know they do a good game, job but... of tying it emotionally almost in the ways of i know it's cliche now but remember the whole red dead redemption going to mexico thing i'm um, even red dead redemption 2 of using music at certain points in the experience and transitions or emotional, um, there's emotional heft and picking the right songs that are amazing in and of themselves to also enhance that experience. So I think that's I one do of the think things that I definitely think about in terms of game music is that it's so difficult to have those sort of vocal tracks because it's hard to predict how every player is going to experience mm-hmm. that moment. So when a game does that well, it really resonates. Yeah. And so that's something that Super Giant's obviously really good at with Hades. Yeah. And to hear that Kentucky Route Zero is good at that, especially given the sort of like cinematic influences that they have, like that's that sounds really promising. And the seven years plus of development that they've been able to keep music at the forefront and relevant to the experience in each act is pretty impressive. Yeah, I would say that like the most like emotionally significant musically oriented part of a game I experienced this year was an act five of Kentucky route zero. Like that moment just like is the perfect synthesis of that game and its musicality as a core part of what makes it work. So 
That's actually a good so. point. Do we think the moment, though, that Kentucky Route Zero stands out as a moment in that category later because of the music, or the music itself should we consider here, too? So what I would say there is, like, that moment is the moment of the game for me, probably, but there's lots of other moments just almost at that level throughout. Like, we talked about, like, you know, you see people in the foreground playing, like, the old-timey music that, like, kind of uh, really anchors the, the, the feeling or emotion of the scene you're in. Uh, and that's yeah. been a constant throughout the game. And I think it works really well, as well as like the the more, like you talked about the concert, and like that's a really really fascinating example of dynamic vocal decisions and like mm-hmm. just this kind of really ethereal scene playing out before you. So yeah, the game you're is picking lyrics things. as the music's going, and then mm-hmm. the actual sung lyrics of the song change if you haven't played that act. Yeah, it's really cool to actually participate in the creation of music in that scene. To be uh, to so be we'll totally. Keep... Sorry. Yeah, just to wrap this up real fast, um, I think Kentucky Route Zero has to be on this list. It's probably the okay. one on here I think most has to be on this list. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll keep that. Uh, Nick, I think you're the only... Are you the only one who played Eichenfell? Yeah, I, I think I'm the only Eichenfeller here, but um, it's... Uh, I didn't play enough of it to really be able to put my stake in the ground here. What it was more for me was, like, I listened to the soundtrack quite a bit, uh, <laughs> even though I haven't played the whole game yet, and I like it quite a lot, but I can't really speak too well to how it's incorporated beyond the first two hours of the game um okay i do i think it's worth noting because it is really good music it's got one of the best yep. rpg battle themes i've heard in years um it's also by the people who did the steven universe soundtrack which is also i think really excellent oh, yeah. so okay that's kind of cool um i think it's probably it, it is definitely one of the best game soundtracks i've heard this year i don't know if it's going to make our list though and I, I don't know if honestly i'm i'm really capable of speaking to it well enough all right well since I'm the person that's probably put the most time in the FF7 remake, I'm going to volunteer to take that off because oh. I also think that that probably fits better in terms of best remake. Because I do like the music a lot. I have listened to it outside of the game, and I do think it fits the experience fairly well. But when I think about that music, I'm not necessarily thinking about it in a vacuum. I'm thinking about how it reminds me of that original experience and that's sort of the way that they adapted that music for a more contemporary game and so i think it all kind of fits with what ff7 is as a remake so when i think about that experience like yeah i like the music but it is very much trying to emulate that experience that i had 22 years ago that's a good point. I hadn't considered that. You know, I think what makes the FF7 remake soundtrack so good to me is like how it takes a really well-known thing, like songs I've heard literally for hundreds of hours, and then will very carefully subvert or tweak or change like kind of the musical resolution of things. Like, like songs will transition on a different chord, or like instruments will come in in different ways, and it's just a very interesting, a very well-considered adaptation or re envisioning of that, which I really like. And is honestly, that... it's on my top three personally, but. Is that better yeah. here, or is that more maybe tone control? That's one considering of the, the themes why I'm of that game. We remove it from music, is because I I think that the music is great, but I don't think that it's a piece that I would take from that game and say, oh, this game is great because of its music. I think it's more of a the game is more than the sum of its parts, and. I would rather see some of the more original games on this list make our mm. uh, winner and runner-ups than Square, because I know that Square is has a reliably good music. 
and that's a lot almost of the same is familiar in a nice way. Almost the same sort of thing as Tony Hawk. It's kind of cheating. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of keeping Tony Hawk on there, but it yeah. still is for now. Mm. But it is what it is. I I'm making my own judgment call about a game that I have particular attachment to because there's other categories I'm going to fight far harder for it in. Yeah, true. And um, speaking of games I have a great deal of experience with, I would also be inclined to remove uh, Valhalla and Tsushima because they're both good. Especially in the case of Valhalla, like it's good, but I wouldn't even call it A, the best Assassin's Creed soundtrack, or B, the best like Viking Norseman uh, mythology soundtrack. Like... I think the previous two Assassin's Creed both had better soundtracks, Origins and Odyssey. And I think God of War, which also takes place in like a vaguely like fantasy Scandinavia region dealing with Nordic gods, had a better soundtrack emulating that sort of period and culture than Valhalla has. And Tsushima, like it's it's the last samurai. <laughs> like it's just it's another one of those soundtracks. It's really good. I've listened to it outside of the game. But in terms of like, oh, does this stand out as like amazing music? It's like, it's another Samurai soundtrack. That's what they're going for. They succeeded, but saying it's the best game music this year? Like, uh, well, no, not really for me. But I'd Aaron, love to hear Aaron's thoughts on yeah. these. Yeah, I put it into our um, Slack channel, but to summarize that, um, I, I agree with Valhalla in the sense of, um, which I think took more risks than Tsushima did, to your point. I think Tsushima did an homage, um, which the whole game was an homage in many ways to that version of westernized, um, though yes, they homage mostly to Kurosawa and other samurai films, but kind of westernized take. I don't, I don't on... want to be that reductive, though, because like, I've heard from multiple uh, people in Japan, including developers, who are really impressed with their devotion to evoking that time period and those people, and I'm not going to say it's like perfectly historically accurate it's definitely not but they're doing things that even japanese developers aren't willing to do in terms of yes it's not saying that that it's not um either historically accurate or uh, a respectful homage Mm. um but in the west our version our concept of a samurai film is informed by the sources that they use to create that game but all that is to say i think the soundtrack was even better than some of those samurai films that we um, like, I don't even remember most of the music from Kurosawa, but it evokes a theme that is used to create the Tsushima soundtrack. Um, so like you're saying, it is familiar, but I think it was beautifully done. And like you're talking about listening to the whole soundtrack and some of the, um, suites that are at the end of the soundtrack. I think there's like six of them, um, nine, 10 minute suites. Those are actually really well done. I mean, you know, it's, it's, a little sad for me to say like it's not that impressive music as game of the year music when it's obviously very well done music um by professionals and it's very good but yeah it's not unique to that point um valhalla is a little bit more unique in terms of the influences um that they combine they combine genres with that sort of stereotypical nordic you know chanting um and drums and also there's some electronica in there and things but yeah, I don't think it's a soundtrack that any of us will really remember beyond the game, but um, 
it was it was music that's that some of the most memorable music from those games is still the tracks that they're reusing from the first two yeah and jesper kid like uh yeah which he did work on this soundtrack too so he's been doing a lot of the games um Mm. for a long time so it is his work that he's repurposing for valhalla I think right. it was more that some of the ambient background music in Valhalla stuck out, like even the pause screen, the title screen, some of the ship um, shanties, so to speak, uh, were more memorable to me than the last couple games. But yeah, really? I think both of these, personally, and I know that you and I have talked separately that um, for you, Valhalla, the overall theme and the setting isn't as interesting as like right the Greek world, the Mediterranean world, or even Origins too. I thought Valhalla was great overall as a setting, so I think that might play into it too, where I'm a little bit more um, predisposed to be into some of the, the music themes. But yeah, both both won't win this. Um, I don't even know if both are, are good runners-up, but I just wanted to mention that the music is still really well done, even if they are a bit predictable. Okay, well, I was just putting those out there because we have more than three games on this list, so we got to figure out where we're going to cut yeah. those down. How about we talk about White Ocean Big Jacket then? Because it's the last one on here we haven't discussed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I played through this yesterday, so it's pretty fresh in my mind. But that being said, I still don't really remember what the themes were. Uh, <laughs> I, I really will say, though, this is a great, sweet, perfectly tuned soundtrack to this very sweet, short game. Uh, yeah. I think it just it, it is perfectly in service of setting the mood and conveying it through everything. But like, I don't know. I also think this is a game where the soundtrack is not the highlight. And while it's very good and I really like it, I think it's probably best just to like strike it from the list if Aaron's okay with that. Yeah, to your point, I played it maybe a month, two months ago, and I don't remember the music from it. Um, but I know that it was good while I was playing it. So yeah, to to elevate it higher would be, I think, not appropriate. I think this game will also get credit elsewhere in our lists. So yeah, hope, hopefully. Okay, so we're down to the remaining games. It looks like there's, what, six of them? There's uh, Hades, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, Paper Mario, Kentucky Route Zero, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and Ghost of Tsushima. We, we've, I think we've dropped um, Tsushima and Valhalla. Oh, the spreadsheet is not updated. Yeah. I think someone might be editing it. So, yeah, Hades, Tony Hawk, Paper Mario, and Kentucky. Okay. So we just got to cut one, and then we got to figure out wins i say we cut tony hawk i think you're gonna get some pushback on that one i cut hades or tony hawk those are the two i would cut hades yeah um, i think it, it's like maybe out of here it's not even the <laughs> best it's not even the top three super giant soundtracks it's good disagree that's that's kind of i don't know i mean i, I would say it's not as good as higher soundtrack but it's it's a fantastic soundtrack i like darren corb's work like I love listening just, to it. I don't know that it brings anything new to the table. It, it doesn't. It, okay, it doesn't but like saying think, wow, it's not. This is totally. It's not his best work. Is like saying like, oh, that's not John Williams' best work. It's like, yeah, but it's still better than like most of the garbage that's out there. Oh, that's just Beethoven's eighth. It's not nowhere near the fifth or the ninth. <laughs> <laughs> Beethoven's sixty-ninth sure, is his best but... work. I'm just I taking mean, the I, piss a little I bit too. I think it's a phenomenal here, soundtrack. But... Yeah, you know, I. I feel like um, I, I understand Nick's um, argument for Paper Mario, but to me that feels the weakest from the three here. I don't know, though, Nick, in 
is that one that you really want to fight for? It's even a runner-up on the list for music. I would go a little bit to the mat for that one. I think what they do with that game um, stands toe-to-toe with everything else on this list. I think that that is, without a doubt, the best soundtrack that has ever been slapped onto a Mario game. Fucking what? But can we agree with the possible exception of Odyssey? (laughs) Yeah, Odyssey was really good. That was, and even the Super Mario Galaxy. Yeah, the first oh, kind of orchestral arrangements. Oh, you're right. Yeah, so okay, it's in the top three Mario soundtracks. <laughs> Still no. He's already backing down. Um, is Tony Hawk? I don't think it wins it. Right, like even no. though Doug no. you might want to represent it, a runner-up is probably at best. That's all I wanted, really. That's all I ever wanted. <laughs> all right, so Tony Hawk wins best uh, music runner-up and literally nothing else. Okay, glad we made Doug happy. It feels. To me, it feels like the winners are between Hades and Kentucky Route Zero, but I don't know if that's... Yeah, I think that's probably right. Uh, and I would probably I would pass my vote for Kentucky over Hades. I'm, I'm fine with Kentucky as the winner, runner-up one, Hades, and then runner-up two, uh, Doug's Consolation Prize. I'm He's cool with that, except this year. I want to get Tony I don't have much this year. List. Most of this Tony Hawk soundtrack is actually not very good. I don't know if we've talked about that yet, but a lot of these new songs suck ass. There's a screaming female song, which is great, but a lot of this stuff is just very bad. And also the original soundtrack is full of some bad shit, too. Like, who really wants to hear No Cigar in 2020? It's not that good. Uh, I do, but that's This guy. There. <laughs> Sorry, Spencer, you're going to have to tone the peak down right there, but Whew. I will not have No Cigar blemished on this soundtrack. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you on it. Superman. Guerrilla Radio is is an all timer, but it's not unimpeachable. There's no Ace of Spades on this one because it's just one and two. Yeah, that that um, is upsetting. Are we going to talk about where, Lemmy in the Year of Our Lord 2020? DLC. Did, did you want to talk about Lemmy in the Year of Our Lord 2020? You just want to let that one lie and stay there. Sorry, other podcast. Yeah, yeah, we'll save that one for the other podcast. So, um. I don't know. What are we going to take a vote on which one to cut and then just kind of run with it? You know yeah. what? Based we'll that. We played the game and it was Kentucky Route 0. We discussed it a lot. Hades just kind of slipped through. And I I I've loved Hades. Yeah. I've loved the time I put into it with the soundtrack there. But you guys had a lot of arguments of why Kentucky Route 0 really will really does deserve on it. I haven't played it yet. That's my fault. I haven't gotten to it yet. But I think it does more with it than like, okay, yeah, it's another John Williams score. It's another Darren Corb soundtrack. It's really good. I wanted it. I wanted Pyre. And I think I pushed Pyre to get to be best music partially because of what they did with it in the end, especially, but I don't know if they have that in Hades and I don't feel like it's necessarily something. I do. And I've had more runs than anyone. Like I'm the one that got to the epilogue. Like that music has left an impression on me. (laughs) I never got sick of it. That's so Clutch. But we are talking about a roguelike like this. Yeah, I don't like the Elysium soundtrack. I do. I do feel like though that it does bear comparing previous work from the in-house supergiant artist, and I do think some of his other soundtracks are stronger. It doesn't mean it's not good, but yeah, and I think um, most Mario games are better than Origami King. Hmm. Well, the better, but. I still think the music argument that Nick's making is fair. Like I, even if it's in the top three of the soundtracks, um, you know, it's not going to win it. I think Hades as a runner up is okay. And I think 
Tony Hawk is fair from a nostalgia perspective. But Hades is going to get other dues. Like, I don't think the music is the thing about that game that we all love the most. It's good. There's so much in the game. This category isn't like, this is the only thing we like about this game. It's like, we think this aspect of the game deserves to be rewarded. It doesn't matter if there are other places that game also deserves to be rewarded. But I think spending the energy fighting for Hades here is misplaced compared to other categories. I actually, I really do think Hades should be on this list, though. I think it's like miles beyond what Tony Hawk did for music i think that hades i was joking hades is like my second favorite <laughs> super giant soundtrack and i listen to it all the time while i work it's really good um i just don't think that i don't think that what they did with the tony hawk soundtrack besides the nostalgia which this game like this game perfectly captures what i thought tony hawk felt like 20 years ago in every way and that's like an incredible achievement and it will get its propers later but i don't think that the soundtrack is really honestly i don't think it's as good as it was when those games came out i don't think the additions that while they fit mostly, like Can I Kick It is a great example of a really good addition that we all thought was already there. But like then there's also like some other stuff that's just like yeah. The music is part of the remake package, and you can argue that in the other categories yep. from Tony Hawk. Yep, that's I, fair. we can drop it. How about Kentucky? We can drop Kentucky, it. Kentucky, Hades, Paper Mario. Okay. I'm good with that. I'm happy with that. Okay. Especially since we have to like keep moving on other topics. Paper Mario, any respect, but well, if it. Tyler's a little bit unhappy, then we've done good. So. <laughs> I love how Tyler <laughs> typed it in lowercase just to like show how much he hates this game. <laughs> um, as, as everyone is so fond of saying, it's a good compromise if Tyler is upset. Um, it's a good compromise if I nobody's was happy. To also, not even put also, Paper Mario and just call it Origami King because I want to get Paper Mario's name out of its mouth. I've been we've the category. We've got like. 40 more. Yeah, yeah. and one, one more thing. Right, also, Witcher, yeah. shout out Fuser. Try to push Paper Mario. Shout out, out to Fuser. Spencer, summary, please. Winner is Kentucky Route Zero. Runner-up one is Hades. Runner-up two is Pit Mario. We have best art direction. Uh, not just graphical fidelity, but textures, use of color, style choices, etc. Uh, our options are Hades, Disco Elysium, Paper Mario, The Origami King, Kentucky Route Zero, Paradise Killer, Cross Code, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Ghost of Tsushima, and Umaragi Generation. Umaragi? Umaragi. There we go. So yeah, best art direction. Uh, I will just go ahead and right now cut Cross Code. I think I put it there. I don't really know why. It's good. Looks cool. Looks like a 16-bit game or a PS1 game. In a really good way. Okay. And in the interest of uh, being fair and drafting behind Nick, we can cut Valhalla because to me the art direction is feeding the photo mode, which is where I'd rather have that conversation. <laughs> and we'll bring so. it up there. Uh, Nick, why did you not put 13 Sentinels in here? Because I played about two hours of it. And also, like I think that game is just a little too thirsty. In oh, very we have a category for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 13 Sentinels is like the thirst trap game that makes me really uncomfortable talking about, though. It's like, it's the vanilla it's the thirst trap game that might get like you kicked really out of Australia. To me. <laughs> we it's said just, we didn't want to get canceled candy. this year, guys. So. Yeah, yeah, we're trying not to get canceled. Yeah. I, I don't, I always feel a little uncomfortable playing Vanillaware's games in all seriousness for that reason. Like, I, I just think it's a little egregious, to be honest. That's just my take, but. Um, did we get a suggestion? 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking the rules right now. I'm, Streets I'm of Rage so, Four attacking the mainframe. Everyone and Animal Crossing New Horizons has entered the ring. Um, cool. So that will probably be a big conversation. But are there for weak links? I put Tsushima on there. I don't know if Tyler would back that up. It's also I would definitely like it's back another... that up. That game is drop dead gorgeous, even on a base PS4. And yes, yeah. every I, ounce. Of I just wanted to know if there UI. was a ally in that possible discussion. So okay, I would, I would get behind that. Honestly, I I don't even like the game that much, but that game is beautiful. <laughs> and so, the yeah. use of color and the way that they use color and the environment to kind of move you like. There's not a lot of games that have been able to successfully do that outside of maybe Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the motion of nature that they instituted, um, the trees swaying, the grass is, and the compression too. Like, didn't I think they borrowed the compression for another first party studio? Borrowed it for Days the loading. Long, like, I think. Yeah, like the loading in that game is insane for the amount of fidelity and effects yeah. that are in on like you said a base ps4 i played on pro yeah. but um, um i'm also going to cut uh final fantasy 7 remake because i think it looks great but whoa. it's very inconsistent well i was going to ask oh about yeah that. Nick, i was going to mention yeah we nick brought up the whole texture problem with that game like the it never really bothers me that much but it's definitely the, the npcs like... look like butt. like the <laughs> yeah, npcs okay. look like they've dropped out of like the bouncer it's they just look like, like yeah, PS3 it's not characters all the way from like dog started. from Final Fantasy 13, but it's in that direction. Mm-hmm. That's that, yeah, the, I, the yeah. things that really matter, like summons and the player characters look fucking amazing. But that's yeah. just a part of it. In the environments, the char- the main characters, those look stunning. Like those main characters look like next gen. It's really crazy. But again, there's other there's other places that are more comfortable. Singing yeah. Final Fantasy VII remakes praises than best art direction. Yeah, I, I think we can cut it. Sure. I think the um, summary Paper Mario, that I saw I would some... cut um, <laughs> because I well I tossed this shade out in our own uh, group chat earlier this year, but like everything that Paper Mario tries to do, I think Tearaway did better. Tearaway. I don't want to have that argument. I love Tearaway dearly. I, you and I both fought for that game to place on our list. Don't you? In like what that. six years I'm ago? Your, I'm in your corner here on this one, but I don't think that I don't look at the two and think like, "Wow, this is a ripoff of Tearaway." Um, I do think, however, Tearaway was way more ambitious and creative in its use of like real world materials to craft a world. And so, I think we can just say goodbye to Paper Mario. On this Even one. Yoshi's Crafted World was more yeah. inventive. Yeah, I was. I was going to say both, both Animal Crossing and. Um, Paper Mario as a casual observer admittedly outside observer somebody who doesn't have experience really in those franchises you know if you show me a screenshot of previous iterations next to the current iteration other than fewer jaggy lines I would have a hard time Mm -hmm. telling them apart Spencer I understand what you're saying but as someone (laughs) that has been playing those games since the GameCube I've mm-hmm. looked at some comparison screenshots because people have been able to find neighbors that they used to have in previous games. They've gone back to like their New Leaf saves and just kind of like, oh, like this is what my village used to look like. And it really just draws attention to the amount of detail, the way that Nintendo has worked on the UI of that game, the way they've updated it and modernized it. And something I really appreciate about that game, especially playing it on the TV rather than in handheld mode, is that there is a texture to that world now that didn't exist yes, before. Yes, there is. Like, when you go to the, right. the museum, the museum itself is 
fucking gorgeous. Like, it's an actual physical space that I wish I could, like, personally explore. And you can see this, like, this kind of fuzz on the characters that doesn't make them look like animals, but it makes them look like little handcrafted dolls that you would want to, like, give your kids. That the series has perfected its art style that was um, suggested, like you're saying, from the N64 days. Um, But I do feel like it's a little bit not that you're saying this, but it's a little lazy to give it those accolades when you do like Dragon Quest XI on the Switch, right? You can switch to the 2D mode, wasn't it? And then you can go to the current 3D mode. And it feels like, yes, if you look at the origin of a series and then the modern technical showcase, of course, it looks better but and they've enhanced and they've I'm added I'm not saying to it, Animal Crossing is good only because of its previous iterations. Well, I didn't yeah. say that. It's but good it even like in spite of that giving it best art direction for really improving upon what was a baseline set 20 some years ago doesn't that's feel that's not what that i'm saying i'm me. saying that as a game like this is a game that <clears throat> they are in complete mastery of their style there's no other nintendo game that is trying to do this style because there's no other game period that's like what animal crossing is and i think it, it has that excellent mastery of the having that basically that emulation like having the little dolls the little figurines that you had when you were a kid in that little playset. like this is my little village this is my little town gonna have my little characters moving around they're gonna go interact with each other they're gonna go have a good time like and at the same time it still feels real it still feels lived in in ways that other games uh, do not yeah and i'll i'll jump in style is a big part of that I'll jump in and also add that a lot of the little details, because this game has more items, more collectibles, more interior things than possible than any of the other games in the series at all. And with that fidelity, it's not just making the characters look better, but also like the details on those things are amazing as well. And adding in the customization. Everything in that game like, fits. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a very cohesive whole that it puts together. And, you, you know, I have, you can put together a room where you have everything, you know, that fits together in one theme. And then you can put together a room that's Japanese style and has a fax machine in the side. Like, the customization and, and the I, details and all those different I items. I guess where I, was, where I was going is that if you played the original and played it today, or even five years ago or a few games ago, I'm just saying that what they have done and mastered now, which is fair, they've mastered and they've added to that detail and that, that dollhouse feeling, it does, you would recognize that game. There have been additions and enhancements, but it just feels like this is, yes, mastering a style that has been around for a long time, and that is cool. I just don't feel like that makes it the most interesting art direction this year. I guess I would just, I want to offer that I think this is probably the most perfect art direction of the entire list. I think Thanks. that Animal Crossing is like, it is you worked on it, Tyler? Perfect. I'm I'm willing to to stolen see valor. I, I honestly, I have been I have been swayed that mastering a style, using those improvements in visual fidelity, not just to simply increase polygon count, but to finally iterate to the point that um, that it's exactly what they are shooting for. Yeah, okay, I can see that. There's argument. a reason that Animal I put Animal Crossing on here and not Last of Us, even though on Last of Us you can see like fucking Ellie's pores or something. Like, I don't find that that level of fidelity enhanced. Well, right, we've experience. never used this category just to be about graphics, so I don't think we've ever just talked about that. 
but it's never been most graphics. It's never been biggest graphics yeah. or most technical. So, is it okay if we put a pin in this for now? I think Animal right. Crossing sticks around for sure right now, but we have a lot of other games we should probably discuss too, right. and that might help us right. make a decision. Um, I wanted to talk about Paradise Killer, if that's all right. Um, yeah. I beat the game. Did anyone play the game? Yeah. No. no. Demo. Okay. <laughs> so just you, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this sticks it. I think it looks really cool, and it's got a really biz- like the most bonkers, wild environment art, and like bizarre, just things and creepy, like satanic little bits of stuff in this like synth wave end of the world environment is super cool. You mentioned I think it's it also for tone control, didn't you? Yeah, and I don't even know if it's going to stick there. To be honest, like I, this is a game that I like. I like in spite of itself. I really, you know, like I, we talked about this on our internal chat before, but this is a game that's trying to be like, weirdly enough, it's like Danganronpa meets Crackdown, where you're like trying to investigate a murder mystery, but you're also like platforming and getting these orbs that like give you more buffs and stuff and allow you to do more things. And it's just like, it's really strange and it's cool, but, um, you know, like the music is wild. It's got this like kind of like synth wave. I mean, oh, it's also kind of like, you know, repetitive and that's why I didn't win that category, but um, Is there but ever like, a deep voice that says "agent"? No, thankfully, there's none of that. You can't throw cars at people. It's um, I really Boo. like this game, and I think that it really could have it could have been something really incredible. But uh, in every category I can think of, it just fell a bit short. It was a little bit con- inconsistent. And I think that's just you know, it's it was a pretty small team making a pretty audacious game, and I think that like I love that they tried. I love that I played it, but I don't think it's got top three here. Sometimes that landing and sticks, sometimes it doesn't. That's why I don't see myself standing for Hades in this category, because oh. I do think the, the art was good, but I think it's just, there's a lot of good art in that game. But if you're asking me, is it like the best art direction? Like, that's not what stands out to me. Well, that's kind of what it felt like with the music category too, right? Like our <laughs> argument was, it was amazing, but it's not the standout for some of us, and I think that's fair with Hades for art too. It is Super Giant's house style. I think the um, the one thing I would add into that though is that it's very it becomes very readable in terms of playability. So understanding what's coming where from graphical tells. So in you know the the silhouettes like what characters or what enemies are, what attacks are. Um, and what different effects are as well, both that you're causing that are being caused by others. Um, so that in terms of art for you direction, to say I think early on. I think it's easier for you to say early on, Doug, uh, since I played so fucking much of that game, especially once you start adding what they call packs of punishment, which are like I'm there. Bonuses. Yeah. Okay, like it can get real fucking busy. Is what I'm saying, and. At a certain point, it, it does uh, become much more difficult to read. Uh, granted, it is a roguelike, and within those uh, biomes, like there's a degree of repetitiveness. And granted, sometimes it, I would like enter a room and it become instantly readable. But I found the music more beneficial in that regard, where the music would tell me what kind of room it was. Uh, the portraits are very nice, but there's not any kind of animation going on there most of the time like and a lot of the ui uh didn't work for me as well as i would hoped like it took me 
tens of hours before I realized there was another side to the mirror of night. <laughs> That's a UI issue to be very, very clear, but right. I understand what you're saying. I've heard this from many people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying like it's good art. It's not the best art direction. It's super giant doing that those themes and that style and it works great. They do a good job, but yeah, I I agree. Can I just say one nice thing about Hades? No. I think we're going to say, say plenty of nice things. About Hades. <laughs> no, no, it's about the art direction. Um I love that the game throughout, if you look closely, has these little accents of like this sort of like neon teal and like purple and stuff, just like in like dark spaces around like character portraits and like in the environment and stuff. And it just gives it all this like kind of like ethereal like glow represented in a mm. way I've never seen before. And I think that's like just yeah, one of the best details. It's a little evocative of that Disney uh, Hercules movie where each uh, god oh. had like projected uh, an aura to themselves. That's true. Okay, well, I take that back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I love that. Nick, you, yeah. you withdrew Paradise Color, right? Yeah. Uh, Disco's style is pretty unique for the yeah. uh, adventure genre. Like that world feels different than most uh, video game worlds, and the character portraits. Like I, I might be contradicting myself compared to Hades because I criticize that the character portraits there are pretty static, but the style of Disco is so original that like when you look at those portraits, it gives you an instant impression of like who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And that's works in harmony with the writing of the game they play in 2d and 3d really well they do mm-hmm. and i love the, like you know like the uh what do they call that like the uh, the stats page where like you can choose like to put points into like different stats those oh, illustrations the on there cabinet the stats no. you're talking about although i love the memory cabinet look too but like the stats themselves like the, those illustrations for them are just so like yeah. surreal and creepy and evocative and i thought that like everything in that game visually like the environments look like they were painted by like I don't know, just like a very strange it, person. It feels brutalist, it's, which yeah. it evokes that kind of Soviet style and that just downtrodden shithole. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah it, I mean, you feel like an alcoholic when you wake up because you're in just the most fucking worst place ever. To do it actually job. did a really good job of helping me inhabit that character because the world mm-hmm. feels both ordered and sloppy. Like mm-hmm. it sort of sort of informs the way that he sees the world because he is this cop. He is an agent of the law, but he's an absolute mess of a human being. So it, it does makes yeah. sense that he sees the world in that way. Where it's and like, they yeah, use the design makes and sense, statues. But there's no like clean edges to anything. Right. It, it's a lived-in kind of world that does look like it's lived through a failed revolution, which is part of the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's very evocative. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I think for Ding, no, just going to say, disco? yeah, just about disco. I think it's safe for now. It would be my preference. Yeah. Yeah. It's strong art. art How about direction. for our Kentucky stands? I mean, that style of that game has, was one of the early things to find it. Right. Um, not saying that that means it stands now, but I guess when I think of the game um, outside of the first act and going to the Equus, oil station and and some of those early kind of really dramatic set pieces in the art direction it feels like by the end the art doesn't really mean as much right to me let me remind you of a few scenes then so remember when you're in the in the boat going through the bat cave yeah you remember when you're going to the hall of the mountain king and you're walking around and find that old computer 
that's got like the Xanadu. Yeah, yeah, and that final shot where you're, you know, I don't want to ruin the ending necessarily, but that, like the final act the and the way out. that environment's so different, and that continuous yeah. single shot for that whole thing. I think that Kentucky Route Zero is just like a phenomenal piece of art direction. Um, it's it's my number one for this person mm-hmm. for sure. I would drop I everything else first. I, yeah, I wouldn't drop it. I just I think I had felt that the more of the game resume, resonated with me in different ways than just the art direction, but it is That's very strong. Uh, I went ahead and cut my late edition of Streets of Rage 4 because I think it's, <laughs> I think it's a real pretty game. I, I really like the style of it, but compared to the other stuff that I'm more prepared to fight for, it doesn't stand out as much to me. What I did really like is that yeah. uh, they do a good job of uh, capturing the essence of those games in a very modernized way, and to the extent that you can even have like the original like pixelated characters in terms of your character select, and they stand out because they're a very different style, but they don't feel inappropriate in any way. Like it still kind of works in the context of that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, Streets of War, Streets of Rage Four is a real. Do, it's a real, real, real strong it's a, aesthetic, it's a and it's a real strong vibe. But it it does a good job of updating it, but it's not necessarily stand out. So I think we have three that are yeah. probably higher up than that. Should we and should compared we... to Dot Emu's last uh, remake, which was like a Wonder Boy and the Dragon King, like I think mm-hmm. that style did a better job of modernizing uh, the property. Okay, should yeah. we jump into Sushima or Umarangi? I, I think we can cut Umarangi. I think I was the one who put that there. Yeah, I I finished it. I mean, it's not that long of a game. I you sounded pretty uh, down on it, Aaron. What, the thing I love most was its um, feeling of photography. It really did a good job of aping the actual process of photography from lens selection to apertures and the challenges that you had. Um, the world the world to me felt like, in terms of art direction, it was definitely a inspired style of kind of low-poly, low-res, um, and it evoked that feeling of this future wasteland who's had, um, you know, annihilation and, and alien... Squid thing, whatever was going on, yeah, I didn't really like the game that much, but um, the style, it felt annoying to me by the end. It felt like it was every like Blade Runner knockoff that I've been to, or sort of like Japanese anime future, um, um, the world has gone to shit style. Like that didn't, that didn't really stick with me, and that's part of why I didn't like it, because for me, the photography felt so on point, but nothing I really wanted to take a picture of in the end. It just felt like a chore. I'm still looking forward to getting into it at some point. Um, I think they're going to be porting it to stuff I will play it on. But it, yeah, it's, it seems like it has a cool Jet Set Radio-ish vibe. But like, if, if Jet Set Radio was happening in Tokyo, then this is happening in another place that's a smaller city. But yeah, I'm, I, I, the one person who's really played this game is down on it. So, And, and I think it's, it's just worth noting. Like it's a small indie team that does pushes for a pretty strong aesthetic. But yeah, I think there's a few games that are better than that here. I think in the credits there were um, lots of licensing of of freeware sound effects, so definitely it's a small team. Um, And it's still an amazing work for that level of um, developer resources, but it just didn't really sit well with me. But I think it's going to be kind of a divisive game. I'm sure some people really like it. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that if you... With four contenders, we need to cut one, and we need to choose a winner. What are the contenders uh, left? Did we the, get rid of Ghost of, of Tsushima? 
Yeah, we haven't talked about Tsushima, and it sounded like Tyler was willing to discuss that. Nick, too, um, yeah. who wants to talk about it. I mean, I'm, I'm real high on it. Uh, I think okay. art direction is uh, one of the places that Tsushima really excels because it's a AAA game, but it's not especially noteworthy in other regards. Like, it's just, it's really good. It's not really great. But the art direction is pretty incredible and it's uh, consistent in a way that you don't often see from open world games of that scale. So even though I didn't enjoy playing it as much as Breath of the Wild, uh, in terms of overall consistency of the experience, uh, no other open world game since Breath of the Wild has left as much of a mark on me as Ghost of Tsushima did. We kind of talked about the game's status as an homage in so many ways, but I think that, to, to back up what you're saying, its feeling of being cinematic is justified and is very well done. Um, if you're going to say that this is an homage to Kurosawa, and yes, there's a Kurosawa mode that I didn't play the game in the first time through. I started a new game plus and played a little bit in that. Black and white um, film grain makes it feel like the 1950s movies. Yeah, did, that was just kind of like a kind it's of a Easter egg, though. Like, yeah, I think it actually makes that experience worse if you turn it into that mood because there is such an emphasis on color. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and the rest of it being cinematic, though, like that is such a um, almost a four letter word in games for the last twenty years, ten years. But this does feel properly cinematic in an epic, sweeping way that brings you into the game compared to just saying this game is cinematic and it has some really cool black bars on a cutscene or a roadie cam or some other shit that feels like a game. Like, this does feel like a samurai movie. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you really like that, it it does a better job of feeling like a movie than most games do, but doesn't detract from that by feeling cinematic, I think. It does a really good job um, in terms of presenting visuals in a way that you don't need a lot of the clutter. That other open yeah, games the UI have. is so sparse, and I love that about the game. And I was even comfortable reducing the UI even further and just mm-hmm. basing my experience on those context clues. Yeah. Like, I often didn't need to check a map because I had those yellow birds flying around because I could recognize landmarks from a distance. So I could see up ahead, like, oh, this is the experience that I'm going towards right now. And in terms of, like, the enemy design and the enemy cues, it's very good at presenting, like, the combat experience in a way that you, like, for years we had that kind of, like, Batman Arkham-style combat where they had to have, like, the color coding and the flashing to let you know, like, oh, this is about what's, this is what's mm-hmm. coming to you. And this is hey, you should block now. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that they're, they're finally starting to get past that. Uh, they do have, like, those little light flashes but there's no even lock on in this game which is kind of crazy when you think about modern third person action games Mm. but that has less to do with art direction and more about how well they design the combat in that game i know that we don't always when we said at the beginning of the category we don't want to just um give accolades to pixel pushing but it does it's a, a pretty amazing game to me that it feels both small um, like it, it feels that there was a lot of care put into it and not just we looked at a lot of reference pictures, took a trip to Japan and made sure that we made accurate textiles, 
but it does feel like there was a lot of love put into the recreation of this world and also using really insane technology for an aging PS4 platform at the end of its life to do amazing things in a technical way that I didn't think was possible on the platform. Mm -hmm. I'm going to jump in for a sec here. Um, we're down to five. Is it, is it okay to like do a quick kind of round and see if we're willing to cut something? Cool. We're down to four. I see five. Please clarify what I we are Hades, down to. I see Hades, Disco, yes. Kentucky, <laughs> Ghost, and Animal Crossing. What was the fit? We got Disco, Kentucky, Hades. Ghost, and... Oh, Hades. Hades we cut. Animal Crossing. We cut Hades? Yeah. I think direction. it had been... I think it, it was implied that it could be, but it wasn't confirmed, no. So... Does anyone want to keep Hades? Crossed off on I don't want to keep Hades. Please, from this please category. continue to do that. Sorry, one at a time, please. Spencer? I would cut it. Okay. Then, yeah, let's cut Hades. So that's down to Disco Elysium, Kentucky Route Zero, Ghost of Tsushima, and Animal Crossing. Mm -hmm. This is a tough one. These are the four I would pick. To me, um, I think Tsushima is a runner-up. I don't know if anyone... Tyler, do you feel strongly about it being a winner? I feel more strong about Animal Crossing. Yeah, I figured. So I think Tsushima would be fine as a runner-up. Um, I know we have four, but uh, it doesn't have to be a winner now. I'm torn personally because I think that Disco and Kentucky both belong in this top three for me. And I don't know that Disco is going to be able to really stick it out in other categories, but I think Kentucky kind of edges it out a little bit in some way. Well, let me think about that, actually. <laughs> I, Kentucky Route Zero is so distinct, but Disco Elysium is so richly weird and original. Yeah. Does that I make also, sense? There's a texture yeah. to Disco that is, is beyond what Kentucky Route Zero did. Mm -hmm. Kentucky Route Zero is kind of more about set pieces and everything, but frankly, for me, a lot of that is sound design as much as oh, it yeah. is graphical design. Mm -hmm. So, um, honestly, especially considering that it's it's up for real contention this year... I think I'd personally be okay with cutting Kentucky Route Zero here and choosing a winner yep. from the remainder. Let's do that. So. I'm okay with that, too. I think Tsushima, as a runner-up, uh, appreciates the technical um, acumen. I think Animal Crossing, as a winner, is fine. I made my piece. I understand the argument. I think that's fair, for sure. And having, then, Disco, maybe as a winner or a runner-up, also works for me, too. Yeah. I think, you know, of these three, I would have probably said, well, coming to this tape, I would have said Kentucky Route Zero, but now that I've thought about it, I would say Disco Elysium, but now that I've heard Tyler talk about Animal Crossing, I'd probably give it to Animal Crossing. Like, that's just like, when I think about my favorite space I inhabited in the game this year, it was that museum. And then I think about everything yeah. else that we talked about, and I'm just like, that's just like a game that is so visually strong. And yeah, right. the museum was pretty spectacular. Like, it, it. it's an amazingly well-designed museum for real life as well like i want to visit that yeah. i've i've seen a few museums in my time because it's good places to go when you're visiting or when you're traveling around that's a really good museum <laughs> yeah how realistic it feels for all sections think, including yeah, the that was my favorite part yeah of the game i know tyler stepped away but does everybody else feel okay with it as a winner i think we can have a consensus without him i i think so and honestly i i want to give Tyler something when he's not here to receive it. <laughs> um, yes, please. So for best art direction, we have our winner is Animal Crossing New Horizons. 
followed by Ghost of Tsushima and Disco Elysium, rounding out the category. Next up, we have Best Character. And, oh boy, boy this is a doozy of a list. <laughs> uh, I can go down it. <laughs> All right, go for it. All right, one breath. No. Um, we <laughs> have several parent. nominees from... <laughs> multiple games. Multiple games. So, character... Animal Crossing, New Horizons, Pascal, Hades, Zagreus, Hades, Achilles, Hades, 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 Charon, um, Persona 5, Royal, Kasumi, Yoshizawa, Last of Us Part 2, Abby, Last of Us Part 2, is it Dinah or Dina? Dina. Dina. Uh, Last of Us Part 2, Joel, Disco Elysium, Kim Kitsuragi, uh, Disco Elysium, Harry Dubois, parentheses, Ancient Reptilian Brain, comma, Limbic System at all. Final Fantasy VII Remake, Cloud, Tifa, Barrett, Aerith, Jesse Raspberry. That's uh, her name? Which is her name. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Ichiban Kasuga, uh, Watch Dogs Legion, Everyone, parentheses, all the characters are generatable in that game. So, uh, playable characters. Then Ghost of Tsushima, we have Jin Sakai and Sensei Ishikawa. Placeball. <laughs> Jalen Hot Dog Fingers, The Peanuts, The Hall Monitor, Mike Townsend, Jessica. A credit Telephone, to his team. The Commissioner. And then Wide Ocean Big Jacket. Oh, these are good additions. Mord and Chloan. I suggest oh we take this uh, game by game rather than character yeah. by character. Yeah, because <laughs> this if we're at the pace we're going, this one could take three hours. So. Yeah, yeah, let's just try and let's be ruthless with this one. I mean um, I'll, Yeah, I'll whoever cut... put the Zach, sorry, go ahead, Tyler. Well, I'm just trying to move at a fast pace. Uh, I'm just going to make a quick piece about Pascal. Uh, he's the otter. Uh, you uh, find scallops for him, and he gives you, like, mermaid items. He's dope because he's basically <laughs> Cheech Marin as an otter. And he's just like, hey, man, like, how's it going? And, like, every time you give him something, he gives you, like, these uh, little, like, Lifeisms that sound really deep, but then you think about it, you're like, that's not deep at all. What are you talking about, dude? <laughs> so, Nintendo put a fucking stoner in their children's <laughs> game, and it's it's hilarious and it's amazing. He's not a great character, but he's really entertaining, and I love him, and I would defend him. <laughs> but I can tell him this because he's. he's uh, you wouldn't cool. defend him for a category, but in real life, you would fight for him. In real life, yes. Okay. <laughs> who, who played Persona re- Five Royal? In... Yeah, go ahead, go for it. Who played Persona 5 Royal? Me. Okay, tell me and about Kasumi. For me to talk about Kasumi, I would have to spoil it, because she's the new character for Persona 5 Royal. She's the um, new confidant, the new member of the, the Thieves. The Phantom Thieves. So, Nick, are you comfortable with me doing that? Is she a top three? I think she was a very good addition to a game that is full of great characters but looking at this whole list like <laughs> i can't imagine myself convincing everyone here to uh stand for kasumi but i what? i do will say that her existence in the game made me glad that i played persona 5 Royal, even despite how much of the original persona 5 i played okay i think we should probably have that conversation if we need to and not cut her just yet um, I'm willing to sacrifice some of my initial enjoyment of this game, which I'll probably play in like two or three years, and I've forgotten the original. But, um, I think we can I was cut a long that I wonderful not... article that's on Silicon Sasquatch about Persona Five, Nick. Oh yeah, 
can we cut a Last of Us two character? Like, can we? Cut I, Joel? So I don't think I was going to go through that. Here. Abby, I think, is the best choice from Last yeah. of Us two, just for now. If we're going to, I agree. One. Yeah, we can cut Dina. At the very least, we can cut Dina. I want to have a conversation yeah. about Joel, but Dina is just there to be like the wet blanket foil. Like, she's not an yeah. especially great character. Like, they do give her no. some characterization in terms of her Jewish identity. And uh, yeah, the scene the in the more, synagogue like, in Seattle was like the best scene that she had in the game. Yeah, yeah, and kind of like being a tough girlfriend character. Like she's not like, oh, I'm so tough. It's more like I'm a person that has existed in this world, and that requires me to be a tough person. But yeah. she's not really given her due in the way I would have liked to have seen. To she could have been character. one of the best characters in the game. She I think she deserves some more. agency. I think we should yeah. have played as her at some point, personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Which Joel, I think we should cut, it. even though we could talk about it, but I just, you know. I don't Can we talk about Joel? Pardon? Can we talk about Joel? Because I'm curious why you put Joel on here. Um, because I think that this jo- game does a better job of showing Joel as a complicated figure than the first game did. Because when you're playing as Joel, you're more inclined to see him as the hero, whereas you only see Joel through either flashback or through... Um, the I- idea that he is this person that ruined your life, depending on which character you're playing as. And the memories that you see of Joel and the way that people talk about Joel to you as the character is different because Ellie recognizes him as a complicated figure. He withheld a significant part of her life from her, and she kind of resents him for that. But when you experience all those memories that she has of him, you see him as being this paternal figure and this person that really wants to do right by this girl that he has no real relationship with like she's not actually his daughter but he, he just kind of becomes a inserts himself yeah. as her father figure even though she never asked him to do this and so you you see joel through his complicated relationship with ellie and through abby's resentment and i, I just I think... respected the way that they portrayed joel in this game in terms of the way that he really was, which was this this violent man in this violent world that was still capable of being a generous person, of being a warm person, but in specific circumstances. And I think, especially mm-hmm. in a year like this one, you start to look at him differently because you look at people differently because you can see how someone can be nice to their dog. Someone can be nice to their family. And they can be a complete fucking asshole to everyone else. It's telling to me that, um, you know, if we picked him from the other characters to have a chance in this category, that we would, um, you know, he checks out in the first act, you know, in the first chapter, um, literally. And he dies in the present timeline, but he's still present in the game. What we see and like you're saying, what we see, I still think enhances more of the Joel from the first game rather than, um, you know, being a compelling character in the second game and choosing Mm -hmm. him over even Ellie, which is telling that we don't have her on this list as a character. And then choosing him over Abby as the two female main characters, not just because they're female, but it's it would be I think a disservice to even well, then from the remaining uh, options well, Abby's development. It's best character. It's not best playable character. It's not best main character. I know, but and I still think Abby's Abby, journey yeah. is more compelling that we see through the whole course of the game rather than the bit that we see bits that we see that enhance what we already knew about Joel. Which I, I think your points were fair, but he's mm-hmm. not the best character of that game to me. 
I just want to say okay. real fast, though, I hear what Tyler's saying, and I think it's actually quite, it's, it's swaby a bit, because I think that Joel really is, and this kind of clicked for me just now, like the locus of the whole game. The whole game is basically like, the, you know, what is the result of everything Joel did in the first game? What was the impact of that on the people in the world? And you get to see very up close and personal for Abby, who's new, and Ellie, who's not, and all these other supporting characters. Like, what, you know, what this very flawed, very broken person who had good intentions, but also, like, some very bad behaviors, like, what, what he was able to do. And the way the game, like, the game has a lot of problems, which we'll get into later, I think, in terms of, like, some of the story beats. But I thought that the way they handled the evolution of how you see Joel through Ellie's eyes, I thought was very, very interesting and very uh, meaningful. So we can cut him if Tyler's comfortable, but I think that that was a really good conversation, at least. I mean, I do think that Aaron has a point about mm-hmm. uh, Abby being the standout character from this game, because she is. what Naughty Dog was able to do, which was take a character that you are predisposed to dislike. She literally murders in cold blood the character that you spent presumably like 20-ish hours with in the first game. You see him as a hero, as a father figure, and she just straight up guts his ass. You want to hate her. You spend half the game chasing after her in the direct goal of killing her. But that experience as playing her endears her to you, endears her to you in a way that no other game tries to do. And so that's one of the things that really works for me about Last of Us. And if it doesn't make our top 10, like having her character recognized, I think is a really big part of that game. I agree. Okay. So just Abby we're keeping for now. Yes. Okay. Can we cut Um, some Hades characters? Well, I was going to make some easier cuts. We can drop uh, Watch Dogs. Um, I just wanted to mention it because um, the technology that's creating randomly generated characters that you then recruit into DeadSec in the game. um, Some of those voices, those pitch-modulated voices, are weird. Yeah, it's it's not perfect. It's not great. It's just what you would imagine random uh, generation would be. But Hmm. um, it is actually impressive that uh, I played on a harder difficulty with uh, um, permadeath mode, so you are kind of endeared to the characters that actually have good stats or interesting character traits. Um, and they do a good job of quickly making them charismatic and unique and different. Like there's this punk that I have who's an anarchist on my uh, team who, you know, has a, the mask and the London Calling sort of gear. Um, there's this. Um, elderly uh, Vietnamese woman who's a drunk and her special uh, ability is when she gets drunk she's kind of impervious to damage and she's wearing like a leopard skirt and a leather jacket just kind of like a bar fly in the UK and there's, so there's you know thousands of variations of that um, so they do they do a good job of making those characters seem interesting um, but you know it's kind of unfair to say that the best character is anybody in that game because it's not really true and also it's still watchdogs it's still not a great it, game you know it's fine so we can drop that and i'll discuss some of the other games that i have a lot of experience with uh, i don't think jin sakai hangs on this list uh even from ghost yeah. of tsushima like sensei ishikawa worked better for me uh his story is more focused and the way that he is expected to confront his legacy uh that storyline really worked for me mm-hmm. uh even compared to uh jin because i think so we've already acknowledged that Tsushima is very much an homage. I think the way that Jin is almost kind of slavish to this Western idea of like Japanese honor and 
the kind of like duality of the samurai versus like shinobi. Yeah. Uh, it just it didn't really stand out to me anyway. Like I, he's fine as a playable character. I enjoy being Jin, but in terms of seeing his story, like I never really cared about him and his uncle. Like what yeah, happened the, there. the acting of that character was great. The English voice actor. Um, yeah. But who is Japanese point, for what it's worth? Right. The English speaking voice actor. Um, right. But yeah, he is another cipher type character. He is a, a, the duality is pretty you know child's play in the game. They could have done a lot more interesting um, plot work with yeah I'm a samurai, but now I have to kill people dishonorably. Oh no, that sucks. But yeah, yeah. we we can drop him. And even I think Sensei Ishikawa, I don't know that they are really that compelling to either. But um, yeah. yeah, so we could probably drop Tsushima from the category. Okay. Are we? I'll keep Sensei Ishikawa until at least a little bit later until we narrow this list down a little bit more. Uh, in terms of Seven Remake, uh, the only characters that I would keep up there are Aerith and Jesse. Okay. Uh, Barith, I would say Jesse oh, because, yeah, yeah the, the enhancement of that character that was like nothing that I yeah. remember in Seven. Um, I don't know that she is a great character, but that was one of the through lines through the year and the reviews and the discussion of that game as well. They actually made Jesse. A character. She, she has so much personality and a lot of the ways they expand the world they do through through Jesse. Like when you go to see her family and her dad worked in uh, the Shinra plants and he basically gets like fantasy cancer. Yeah, around. you see him hooked up to uh, like a dialysis machine or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. And so she was this uh, actress uh, in the storyline prior to her joining this echo terrorist group and the way that Shinra just basically abandoned her father inspires her to start working against them. So they take this character that, like you said, was nothing in the original game. Like she dies in like the first five or six hours, uh, is suddenly a very full featured character that I cared about dying in this one. And even to, to go further too, from the choices you called out, Aerith also, like I was so impressed with how they expanded her character and the game ends, you know, for spoilers, with essentially her not dying, right? The classic scene of being killed by Sephiroth, and then mm. this chapter ends with them going into whatever it is, the alternate universe, or some new timeline that they're not beholden to, or some shit. But Aerith was actually interesting and had more depth, too. But I guess you could say that about all the characters in this, right? They added well, more to them. I just look at it differently, because I'm at a different age now, and... I think about, like, it was very much framed uh, in my childhood, like, when I'm, again, 12 years old playing this game. It's framed in this kind of, sort of, like, Aerith versus Tifa kind of way, because I'm this yeah. Love triangle. boy going through puberty, yeah. and both of these, like, virtual girls are, like, showing my character affection. And Let's so, not forget about Tifa, Yuffie here, okay? Who is a teenager? <laughs> Let's oh, forget yeah. about Yuffie. I'm just canceled. I'm trying just not to get canceled. We just goddamn don't get canceled. <laughs> No, I'm talking about playable characters, not like uh, love interests. Get over yourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, okay, Yuffie well, has like two lines. She's not that interesting. And she's also not in the re- remake. But uh, in, yeah, yeah, yes. in, in the scope of the original game, like you had Tifa, who was the much, like she was drawn as being more physically attractive, certainly more well-endowed. Uh, and she's like the more like fightery kind of one. Like she uses her fist, whereas Aerith is the much more classically like uh, cleric type of character. She's the hero. Delicate. She's much more passive. And I sort of saw their personalities in that way. And now when I'm playing this remake, I realize that I had it so wrong. Whereas personality-wise, Tifa is much more passive. She's the girl next door. 
Whereas Aerith is the aggressive one. She's the one that's trying to pull Cloud up out of his shell. And they do such a great job of giving her agency in this game, making her a defined character that they didn't really work as hard at Tifa, I thought. That's my impression of being halfway through the game. Like, I just, a while ago, I did the scene where you're walking across the Sector 5 rooftops, and there's this moment that really made this cement for me, which is like, you're climbing up a ladder, and Aerith's like, oh, come on, I'm not some damsel in distress, and the ladder starts to break, and she just says, oh, shit. And it's just like this really great moment where like that would have never happened in the original game, but it fits her character so well and really broadens it. And I think that there's just lots of little bits like that that I've already yeah. seen. Yeah. And one of the things that really stands out to me, because I'm a fucking maniac and I tried to platinum the yes. game. Um, yeah. I didn't get all the way there because it takes a lot of time. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the trophies I got is for getting all of the fucking dresses, <laughs> which requires you to play through multiple chapters multiple times. Make and, different decisions, right, at certain key moments. Yeah. And so basically for all three characters, uh, Tifa, Cloud, and Aerith, there is a nice dress, there is a nicer dress, and then there is a shit dress. And in the original game, there's basically no reaction, aside from maybe like one line about which dress you give each character, or which dress they get because of the side quest. Whereas in this game... When Aerith wears the different dresses, the way she reacts is completely different. Like, when you get her, like, the really nice dress, you see that she's just, like, kind of overwhelmed because she's never worn something this nice before in her life. She comes from this uh, poverty lifestyle, and so for her to be glamorous, it's such a new experience for her. And for when when you give her the shit dress, basically, she's just like this kind of sucks. Like I'm supposed to be looking pretty and like you've given me this like childish dress. Like I don't, this isn't going to work basically. And she really sells those moments. And the way that she reacts to cloud when he gets his different dresses are, is even different. It's, it's, it's really cute the way she reacts when you get like the super girly dress. She's just like, Oh my God, you look prettier than I do. Like it's, it, yeah, it's this really to, great to add moment. To that really quickly. One of my favorite moments from it was, um, in the version I played with whichever dresses, I don't know if it mattered, but when Aerith sees Cloud all done up and looking um, beautiful in his dress, she's like, Cloud? And he goes, yeah, I know, I look great. Let's not talk <laughs> about it. Like, that's it. And they actually added, like, a sense of humor to Cloud in a lot of key moments that didn't really exist before. So, not that he's uh, a better character, but... Oh, it, and since everyone uh, who played it got to Wall Market, you all saw the scene in the dungeon leading up to that where they're going through these different puzzles and at one moment uh Aerith puts up her hand to like give cloud a high five and he kind of like shrugs her off and like, eh, whatever and she's kind of miffed by it like fine you're gonna be like that and then later on they do another puzzle and he tries to give her a high five because he feels bad about it and she doesn't notice until it's too late and she's like oh no no wait 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 and he's just like whatever just move on and then finally at the end you solve this final puzzle and she holds up her hand and you actually have to physically push a button to go high fiver, and I, I'm trying to imagine the fucking monster that would not push the button. And so when he goes and high fives her, they both have like this celebratory moment, like "Yay, we did it!" And it just shows the effect that she's having on Cloud as a character. And it's just they sell it so much better in the remake than I think they did in the original. Partly because it doesn't feel as rushed as the original, because they're spending so much time for a part of the game. Speaking of spending so much time. Yeah, we, we got to keep it moving. Um, yeah, there's a Doug, lot more to cut. 
Doug and Nick, I'm going to need you to pick your favorites out of baseball here. Okay, yep. I know Doug's been having some connection troubles. Are you here, Doug? I'm back. Great. Are Can any you hear me? of these characters really in baseball? I think it's the commissioner. Like, mm. I, I think it's the one we can maybe push through. Uh-oh. Okay, so let me explain for those that haven't been following the the cultural event that is baseball. Um, Jalen <laughs> Hot, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Um, Jalen Hot Dog Fingers and Mike Townsend and Jessica Telephone are all characters that are players in the game. They were generated names that then took on lives of their own because the entirety of baseball is basically run by fandom. So. The, the fact that Jessica Telephone is whatever her character is, is entirely decided by jokes and such made on Discord and made on wikis and tumblers and whatever else. Um, Jalen Hot Dog Fingers was the first character incinerated after they decided to open the Forbidden Book and that turned, <laughs> spun out of everything. And then that character died, was resurrected, and then basically helped um, the good side defeat God. So, yeah, there's your JRPG of the year. Um, the peanut Where's the character? The, the character came out in trying to help defeat God, but it's also baseball, so it's not a it's a it's not a written thing. That's the problem. And it's not a fucking character. character. Then lo- baseball is a giant distributed LARP, and yes. we are all all the characters, and we are uh, all. So this love is baseball. going to win because it's another um, it's sports friends again, isn't it? No, it's not. Sports Friends didn't win Best Character. Also, also, Sports Friends rules. Tyler, I've been listening very patiently to breakdowns of other characters. Please at least (laughs) let me present these sides before you start chiming in. Um, Hey, you guys are ones that are saying we need to rush for time. I'm trying to. (laughs) We all love each other, just for anyone who's listening. The peanut... So, aforementioned, (laughs) aforementioned God is the peanut, which is a written character from the game's creators that came down and acted basically as a god figure in the game early on. The Hall Monitor is a Cthulhu demon that wonders why the peanut is an egg and why what, how good it tastes, and then is the thing that kills that god at the end of the first season, essentially. Um, the Commissioner is the ineffectual voice of the um, developers, if Nick can correct me or make sure that that's not incorrect. Um, but also yeah. the fact that the running joke from baseball is the commissioner is doing a great job. Which you say, or else you like risk drawing the ire of the commissioner, which it's like, so this game, for those who don't know what baseball is, like you're probably, that's good. But like, um, baseball is like welcome to night Vale meets professional sports. And it's just this absolutely bizarre thing. But it's as like a podcast, very Welcome to Night Vale has very distinct characters who are acted out and have arcs and have development. So that's the thing, is that baseball characters have very distinctive arcs that are also acted out. It's just that the community dictates what happens. And the way that, like, for I'll give you an example here. So Jalen Hot Dog Fingers was incinerated by a rogue umpire, <laughs> because they can do that now. They got laser beam eyes. It's the thing that happens. Of course. Um, you should not be able to resurrect characters. That was not a mechanic in the game at all. But there was a loophole where... There's like a ranking of like you can pay tribute to characters like you can have like your favorite your idol was a feature they added and there was a stipulation that like a team could recruit the 14th most loved character to their team and dead characters incinerated characters for some reason were still listed on the list and so people were like oh shit database we bug. Keep Jalen hot dog we need to keep Jalen at number 14 and then bring him back to our team and like we'll force them to resurrect him which is like it's just Her. this game is like about bizarre. Oh, whatever. I don't know. Well, I want to ask really quickly. So the best character who stands out as our subhead for this, are we celebrating with baseball 
those mechanics and that community participation or the actual character and arcs themselves? I mean, like you said, there are characters, more or less, but it sounded like the excitement and the interest there is that these things happened and it's all kind of random. Is that more of what is interesting or the actual characters are more compelling than any of the other written characters here this year? It, I wouldn't say it's random because there is no spinning of a top. It's it's DM'd. It's it's not. I wouldn't say it's live action role play. It's that it's a it's a big online um, like role playing game. It's Twitch plays with, Pokemon, with, but fantasy baseball. Yeah, but with but Doug, with somebody behind the strings, but with somebody behind the DM sheet, and yeah. they're just letting they're, they're yes anding whatever the crowd decides. Like. Um, for example, Jessica Telephone gets given this this weapon of like you know ancient weapon thing, and the crowd decides what it's called, and then the, the developers play along with that. Or the peanut like that puts some things into play, and people have decided how they respond, and then the developers decide how they respond back. That's what I'm kind of about. Baseball is that back and forth, yes, ending that almost improv style thing between the collective community and the developers. Well, that's what I'm kind of wondering is like, is to, I think Nick said earlier, like, is, is the commissioner the DM essentially? Yeah. Well, or, collectively, yes. Or, but that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, is, that seems like that's more interesting than, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Spencer is more, a more interesting character than just the, the, those. So. I'm going to say, I, I love everything as described here. I love the, just the dynamic of this, the emergent storytelling and everything, everything that I've heard makes more sense in best moment the commit the kojima award and best storytelling than it makes i'm sense. with you sure i think we i doug we gotta let these characters go they're figments of our collective imagination i yep. love them dearly but they're not gonna hang well there's 20 percent of the list gone Fear that's fine dream. and it's, you know what yeah. i think we should cut all of the hades characters because yeah. they're all fun but they're I'm not surprised, like actually. amazing i'm characters. not saying i would keep them but i figured have, um, interesting story the game more and have gone through multiple runs would be yeah more I, I struck i thought okay we should have somebody from hades for best character but i struggled thinking of who it should be so hades is an ensemble story though hades is it's actually very traditionally greek in that sense you know mm. and i don't think that the individual characters are really what makes that story work so much exactly i i completely agree with that i haven't finished it yet but the the game is less about any one character than it is the interactions between two or more. And it's not even really about Zagreus, who's the main character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's so. fair. We can drop them. Okay, cool. Because um, Doug, Doug comes screaming in with the internet connection back online going, No! Uh, <laughs> Nick, you've put more time in a disco than anyone, I think. Uh, between Kim and Harry, do you have a preference? Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I would. Um, I think I would go with Kim because Harry is the character that the player chooses. Who he's Harry a cipher. Is. Yeah, yeah. Harry's very interesting, no matter how you play Harry. But yeah. Kim is is a consistent character, and Kim contains multitudes. So I would keep. He's Kim one of the best straight man character types in a game or other media um, that plays really well off Harry Dubois. A lot of depth, a lot of nuance to Kim. A lot of really subtle little hints about who Kim is that emerge. I really like yeah. that. So let's cut Harry. All right. 
Um, we can probably we can cut Ichiban from Yakuza. Uh, so far, I think he is a better character. Um, you know, I know there's six games of um, of um, oh god, why did I forget his name from the last games? The protagonist. Holy shit. This is probably killing Doug right now. Yeah, he's he's grabbing his laptop and Kazuma. I, can, I remember Goro Majima. It's not. Thank you, oh, Kiryu. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, what Why I does like the guy about in Japan have the worst possible internet connection right now. <laughs> what what I like about Ichiban though is that he brings so the insanity of Yakuza games. The three I've played has always been to me around Kiryu, who has been you know serious, um, a bruiser very honor-based, you know, he plays it straight-faced. And then Ichiban is just fucking insane. Like, he's uh, charismatic, he laughs, he's kind of nuts. Um, He has, like, a really fucked-up perm after he gets out of prison. Um, um, Just, he's he's a clown, and I like that they have brought that insanity to the main character um, with this new take on the series versus just the straight-faced sort of uh, character. But I haven't finished the game um yakuza characters are known to be you know why people like the series but i don't know if he is the best character this year or even really a runner-up since i haven't gotten that far so i just wanted to mention that and i'm sure i will continue to enjoy the game but we can we can cut him how about our uh white ocean big jacket people i i could see one of these making the list i I really like cloan i was thinking mord but i love cloan as kind of a foil to mord um, let Both me see if I can sound count. like fake names. Yeah, there's a character named Ben, if that helps. Uh, <laughs> so this is a really cute short game that like is very like. I, there's a lot of great stuff to say about it, which I'll say in other categories. But the characters, I think, are really like the focal point here. There's four of them that are like the main characters, and Mord is like this teenage girl. She's like 12 or 13. Chloe-Anne is her aunt, and her aunt has a husband. I forget his name. It's like, do you remember Aaron? Who that is? No. Okay. Well, they have a He's good. He's just moment a normal too. guy. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Mord has a a boyfriend named Ben, who's like twelve or thirteen, and so they're all on a camping trip together. And Mord is just like this very kind of like outspoken, brash, weirdo like girl who just like loves to do weird cartwheels on the beach and like makes like has like a very distinct, really funny sense of humor. And there's a really great moment that plays out on the, the night of the camping where, like, Mord is, like, just hanging out at the campfire and Chloe-Anne, her aunt, walks up and is, like... Also in this game, you play as every character at different points. It just moves you from perspective to perspective to kind of give you, like, different, you know, kind of just feelings of being involved in these situations. And Mord just starts asking Chloe-Anne, like, hey, what's sex like? Like, when should I have it? Should I have it right now? And it's just, like, this very, like... Like, very clearly, this girl is way too young and, like, way too, like, naive to Yeah, they're both, like, what, 12 or 13? Yeah, and, like, and Klein's just like, uh, let me get a cigarette and think about this. (laughs) And so they talk for a while. It's, like, a very sweet... But, like, the relationships they all have are very sweet. I just, like, I think that, like, maybe as I talk about this, it's more about the sum of these characters as the whole of the game than it is about a single one. The experience is representing that feeling of being a teenager or young kid and going on a camping trip either without your parents or friends or family for the first time and the with a new boyfriend or girlfriend or partner or whomever um yeah it it it, the feeling of that is really well done the characters as a whole as nick said are more representative i don't know if one is a particular standout um for the category so are we keeping one are we cutting both or i guess 
I'm not ready to cut them just yet, looking at what's left, but... Um, I would... If we keep one, I'm fine with Mort. I think... I, there's that one part, though, with Chloe Ann, where she's walking with her husband, or hiking and talking about, like, you know... It's obvious the husband really kind of sort of wants to have kids. Yeah. Nick, and, do, you see, do you see a list where there's two wide ocean big jackets? No. Characters? No. Okay, so which one would you prioritize? <laughs> well, that's what he was saying, is that there's a subplot with the aunt I, and uncle that... They're trying to figure out, you know, she doesn't want a kid, and it feels very real. So there is more depth to, to Chloan. Mord is, you know, your precarious, precocious um, teenage girl who's silly and says silly things. I think that's kind of been seen before. So I think Chloan is more of an interesting character. Let's go, Chloan. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to next cut time. Ghost of Tsushima because I think I'm the only person here that would care about sensei ishikawa but he was great but i don't think it's a strong pick yeah i think his story resonates more with me because i'm a teacher and the story of what is your responsibility to your students what sort of impact can you have on your students uh really resonated with me really worked for me and the way that story resolves with him making peace with not only his own failures but his students ability to use his lessons and sort of improve themselves and improve their impact on the world I thought that story worked well, and he's the character that's going to stand out to me from that game, but I'm fine cutting him. And Tyler has, as an archery teacher, trained um, students who have gone on to kill people, so it is very... Yes, we're not allowed to get any figurative lessons from games. It all has to be extremely literal. Yes. Um, All right, that brings us down to five. (laughs) Uh, If we can... Because we had previously felt okay with cutting Kasumi from Persona 5 Royale. Which if someone get just rid of... did. Okay. If we can get rid of her and one of the Final Fantasy 7 characters, then we just have to determine order. And somebody just did for that. Why too. are we getting rid of one of the Final Fantasy 7? Well, I did get rid, yeah, of, be, I got rid be of Be careful, Jesse. Spencer. You're poking the bear. I, I guess some of my edits aren't showing up on the global document. I thought we're all logged in. I cut Jesse and I cut Kasumi. Oh, okay. Yeah, we we saw the I saw the Persona Five cut. So all right, yeah. for whatever reason, it's not going through for me. So so right now we have Abby from Last of Us, we have Kim from Disco, we have Aerith from Final Fantasy VII, and we have Chloan from White Ocean Big Jacket. Yes. So we have four. So once again, we need to cut one and choose who mm-hmm. wins. I think Abby and Kim should be on this list. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm good with that. All Nick, right. do you think that Chloan is a more meaningful character than Seven's Aerith? So here's the thing. I don't think I can answer this because I didn't finish Remake and I've only seen Ooh. a little bit of Aerith. Ooh, I did. Okay, I'll let Aaron talk about it. I finished this. both. I mean, Aerith, to me, um, though I love Final Fantasy VII, uh, was in, something that impressed upon me. I love JRPGs. And seeing this new version of the character and seeing where the plot goes and opens up for future remakes, you know, it's still Aerith. Doug, we know we're, we're wrapping up. Um, it's still Aerith. It's still the character we know and the enhancements to it feel like they are, it's a remake. It's, it's an addition, but it's not a wholly new character, even though I think Tyler made good points earlier about the, um, the change in perspective we have for her. I think she's a fine character. I thought all of them were good, but I feel more 
more pulled toward White Ocean Big Jacket and the representation of youth, of childhood, of, of summer, of camping, of family, and first loves and things. I just think that was more compelling to me. Does Abby win this? Yes. I think so. I think, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it sounds like I'm outnumbered, so uh, I would say Abby, Kim, and Chloe in that order. Me too. All right. Sure. All right, so we, our winner is Last of Us Part 2 with Abby. Follow-up would be runner-up number one is Kim Kitsuragi from Disco Elysium. Runner-up number two is Kaloan from White Ocean Big Jacket. And as someone who really likes Naughty Dog's games, uh, I do think that Abby is probably one of the most fleshed-out, most three-dimensional characters they've ever written. So definitely. definitely Other than Jack in Jack 3. <laughs> All right. Now Daxter, though, don't get me started on Daxter. <laughs> we have uh, we are two hours in, and we've made it through exactly three categories. So we're about Gu- guys. You need to relax. This is always how this goes. We spend it's a true. Time it's one hundred percent true. And the top ten flies by. Don't worry about it. We'll get there. Yeah, right. like yeah, this is where we two hours on three fucking categories every year, Doug. Doug, like fucking show you've been Dennis. out of connection for like the last thirty minutes. <laughs> it's it's been a shower. I have been nap. actively trying to figure that out. Okay, <laughs> it's all right. It's all right, man. All right, it's all right. All right. Um, How about this? We gonna... I know, Aaron. Aaron, you got to take a stop in about ten minutes to go, like, be a dad for a little bit, right? Yeah, for a little bit. Okay, can we get through something in ten minutes? I mean, I'm always up for it, but I feel like what we should do is we should agree if we want to start a category that we keep any long-winded descriptions, which we're all guilty of, to a minimum, and just really focus on, if there are multiple choices, what are our top two picks in that category or something, and then it just we're trying to get through kind of, I think, discussing a lot of the merits of the games themselves before we're even in the top ten. All right. I think the most fun is short. Yeah, that or the uh, Hideo Kojima Prize are probably the ones we can... Or, or even photo, photo mode. Photo mode, yeah, photo photo mode, mode we could no do. Time. Yeah, I think mode. two of us will have opinions on that. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, All right. best photo mode, we have Ghost of Tsushima, The Last of Us Part Two, Death Stranding, the PC release, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and Umarangi Generation. One of those right. is literally a photography game. And, you know, it's interesting, being Murangi that Tyler's referencing, that is the least compelling because, again, to me, um, the whole photo mode concept is that you have interesting things to photograph. And even though that photography is a mechanic in the game, I could have given a shit about what I was taking a picture of. It's the most realistic, like I said, with having interchangeable lenses and filters and apertures and things. But I just, just because it's a photography game, I don't think that it has the best photo mode. To speak okay. in defense um, of it, because I know it's going to get axed up. here. Um, uh-oh. Uh, hmm? I, Doug? I was seeing Doug lighting up. I was just muting and unmuting my microphone. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. Good contribution. So I know Umarangi <laughs> is going to get cut here, but I do want to say, like, what you're photographing in that game, you know, I haven't finished it. I've played about half of it so far, but, you know you're basically documenting like a really shitty future is the way to describe it. And like, you know, mechanically what you're doing is trying to find the right things and line up the right shots to check off your list and, you know, get all the, the points for it. But, um, there is something pretty compelling about like walking through this really like, you know, messed up, bad 
series of like rundown environments and seeing all these like armed UN guards everywhere and just like you know the way you kind of approach that world and try to capture I found I felt myself pretty inspired to try and like just set up the shots I wanted to see what if Paul Verhoeven made Pokemon Snap that's exactly what this is (laughs) yeah Uh, you are a photojournalist to what Nick's saying so that is interesting um I think as a photography mode yeah I, I we could uh, this could yeah, be a debate, that's but. that's where I I don't want to like put my foot down on this because I don't you know it's a photography game, not even a photography mode. So, so I'm not and even also, sure if it belongs here. Does Death Stranding hang since this is the PC release? Like, is the photo mode significantly changed from the console, or is it just because it looks better because it's on PC? I think it was new for the PC release. Oh really? No, I mean there is a photo mode where you could pose in the PS4 version, right? Oh, yeah, I thought so. Wasn't that yeah. patched in though? Maybe it wasn't. It was there when I was playing it. Okay. But All right. Well, we, just we can just that. Yeah. So now it's. I guess it's just down to three. <laughs> okay. I would say Ghost of Tsushima wins, but Aaron has more photography opinions. I'm pretty say it's sure the Vikings and the Samurai didn't even have cameras. You guys. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would be surprised. Best daguerreotype mode. Yeah. Well, look, Fuji Film's got a long it's, history. Yeah, it's a wood carving. Portrait. Yeah. Who, who can carve with God, that'd be an amazing... Um, I think the the one thing about photo mode is that the better your hardware or the technology you're playing it on, the better the mode is. And I mean that to say that um, why I would and have been the last several years putting up the Assassin's Creed games um, for my picks is because of the technology I was playing on and the fidelity that's in the world and the way that they do landscape design. It is very interesting to me as somebody in real life who likes landscape photography, and I've said this before. So Valhalla is the most beautiful of those last three Assassin's Creed games. It's the newest. The, the landscape is more of my thing. Um, and the photo mode is still, though, mostly the same photo mode as the rest of them. So, But that's taste, though, Tyler, to 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 counter your guffaws and uh, and grimaces, but um, so I, I don't want to say that it's the best photo mode because it is more of my taste and the technology and the, the setting itself, the way that you take photography, hasn't really changed since Assassin's Creed Origins. What three? Well, I was going to say that this was going to be a, a repeat of our argument about uh, Odyssey versus Spider Man because I thought Spider Man had the better mode because it had more features and it gave you more freedom in terms of how you frame those pictures and what you did with those pictures, whereas Odyssey was less full-featured, but you enjoyed that environment more. Well, so whereas... where, where I was going with that, though, is Tsushima combines both of those to me. Mm-hmm. Tsushima yeah. has more interesting technology with the moving kind of GIFs, essentially, you could create, the moving video, where, um, for those who haven't tried it, you can set up your scene and introduce motion into the background with, like, a flowing cape or um, rustling leaves and, and, and bending trees from a wind speed that you can even set. Um, and the filters and the cinematic style that they add in there feels like an, an advancement, a next-generation version of a photo mode that hasn't existed this generation. So I hope that that's a style that gets added to other games and it's also a beautiful world the landscapes are beautiful and there are interesting street style so to speak photography um scenarios too so i think it is a better package overall even though i have probably taken as many if not more screenshots in valhalla uh, but i took a lot in tsushima too so i think tsushima is a strong pick for this okay every time i saw a fox i took a screenshot 
Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think we can, we could probably agree on Ghost of Tsushima probably being the winner. And mm-hmm. I think Aaron's nod towards landscape for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. But then what's the third? Is it, or Umurangi wasn't, was only just now um, struck through. Do we want to mention that as its nature as a game? Or do we want to give it to Last of Us Part Two, which is the last game standing on this list? I... Last of Us does have a great photo mode. Naughty Dog's done a good job. But you know what we didn't nominate? What? Fucking Animal Crossing. That was... That's a photo There's... mode? It does. Yeah. No. It does have a photo wow. mode, but I've never. I, I haven't used it much because huh. I just take screenshots. I've used it a lot. You can give your character little reactions. There's little frames. I've taken lots of pictures in that game. But can you zoom in to see individual pores on their animated faces? Yeah, I want to see Tom Nook's like every single hair follicle. <laughs> I mean, you can kind of get close. The outline but... of his package in his pants. No, you can't see that. So it goes. No, I don't need that. No, I don't. Let's all that. calm down here for. A minute. <laughs> oh, sorry, we're not in the thirst category yet. So Last of Us Part 2 is basically the exact same photo mode as the 4, or sorry, Last of Us 1 PS4 version, the right? The enhanced version or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's it's good. It's a good one of those. It was actually kind of like a standard bearer, I think, for this mode early on. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm cool with this. I feel like Umarangi at least tried to, like, the manual like zoom and focus was kind of cool. As a as a runner-up, I don't, I don't hate it. I just didn't think... It was my cup of tea, but I think it's fine as a runner-up if we want to. Have I would do that. For, yeah, I think, let's do it as a runner-up. Yeah, I think because yeah. of its nature of what it's trying to go for as a game, plus um, what it does in terms of representing photography in the game as well, I think that's probably worth more worthy of a runner-up than just yeah. Last of Us Two has what the last one did. That's fine because we got a couple open-world games that are here, and Ghost Ghost of Tsushima sounds like it's very good and representative. So, okay, cool. So we did it. that leaves us with, for best photo mode, Ghost of Tsushima is the winner, with runners-up Assassin's Creed and Umurangi Generation. So, best moment. The thing that stood out, the thing that you'll remember for a long time after this whole Game of the Year process is said and done. We have another pretty chunky list for this one. Uh, I can read off? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, there was a pause, figured. Um, so we have Paper Mario represented by Bobby, Sweet Sap Loggins, and Cheering Up Olivia. Uh, Animal Crossing, Paying Off That Loan. Yeah. Final Fantasy VII Remake, The Honey Bee Inn, uh, which is a whole chapter, pretty much. Um, Hades, Death by Natural Causes, or Making It Out, So the First Time You Win, or Dad Says He's Proud of You. Um, Disco Elysium, uh, finally singing karaoke. I, I do want to get to this moment. Uh, Last of Us Part Two, shifting to Abby's story or the museum. Um, Ghost of Tsushima, the final duel. Uh, Tony Hawk, we have pulling off a major trick from muscle memory slash first trip back to school level with Superman on blast or opening the video and loading screen. Um, that I know what was being talked about here, but we'll explain that. Uh, Watch Dogs Legion, realizing you can fly around London on a cargo drone, which is pretty <laughs> great. Um, F1 2020, the first sit-down interview as the team boss. And then Kentucky Route Zero, um, I'm going that way. Uh, there's act five spoilers there. Uh, and then Junebug and Johnny's performance, I believe, in Act 3. A lot of good moments here. There's some good uh, fun stuff. I would suggest 
Yeah, well, okay. Uh, I would suggest cutting uh, New Horizons because I don't find that paying off your loan is that different than previous Animal Crossing games. No. Yeah. And the game really opens up more after you've done that. Like, the moment is fleeting and it doesn't really encapsulate the whole experience. Though it is, yeah, it feels good when you do it for the first time, especially if it's your first Animal Crossing, but you've done that sure. across 14,000 Animal Crossing games. Yeah, but, you know, still feels good. Yeah, it uh, does. Aaron, do you think that the final duel in Ghost of Shima is that uh, significant of a moment? No, I just put it on here, um, and it's telling that, that I couldn't think of another moment that encapsulated the whole experience for me. So, you yeah. know, I think it's an easy one to drop. Do you get to kill that Genghis Khan grandson, dude? No, well, the, you, the final you duel do. is between you and your uncle. Oh, yeah. shoot, that's awesome. It is, it is really cool, and it, the whole game leads up to that after cool. some of the chapters, but, you know, it is, you would see it coming from a mile away, again, okay. as a samurai movie homage, it is definitely yeah. what is supposed to happen. Okay, so, well... And it I, leaves you with the choice of whether or not you want to kill him for, yeah, to protect that's his true. honor, or... The one interesting thing about how um, Sucker Punch changed their morality from the infamous games is they didn't have any of that, though in the background... Sorry, I'm going to just quickly explain them with sure. the but... Mm-hmm. Um, at those of you who played the infamous games, you know it was good or bad, and your powers would change depending on the choices you made. There really are no direct choices in the game, though the play style, it was unveiled after launch. If you do use more of the shinobi ninja-type moves, assassin moves, the weather changes. And so there are more storms, there's more lightning, there's more dark, rainy clouds over the whole map to show that you know Jin's journey is going to a dark kind of place or something. Um, but there are no overt choices until that final duel. You best your uncle, and then you can choose to spare him, though that would be dishonorable, and you really have left behind the samurai path, or you can kill him, which is the honorable choice. Hmm. So. Wild. That's Because basically, cool. if he lives, he's morally obligated to hunt you down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you have dishonored the family by through the choices that you've made. So in the sequel, the canon choice is probably to let him live, but, you know, who knows. Yeah, because that sets up an interesting conflict of, like, you know, has Jin basically moved past the samurai ways? Like, has he renounced them or not? So, Well, yeah. he straight up says at the end of the game, if you choose to spare him, like, Japan's future does not lie yeah. with only doing, only living by honor. Like, it, we have to protect Japan at all costs, basically. Says, sorry, boomer, but, uh, you know. <laughs> this has made me so much more interested in finishing this game, by the way, so I'm really yeah, honestly, glad to talk about this. We, we framed this all to nix it, and that sounds very compelling it's yeah. a great moment but yeah yeah it is it is a stereotypical moment too but it doesn't detract from it if you really have invested in the game yeah sometimes genre works sometimes it works well mm-hmm. i would definitely cut every paper mario <laughs> moment over that <laughs> Oof, All right. be my guess why don't, we do, why don't we do that except maybe bobby uh-oh <laughs> bobby was Spoke a really good moment doug tried to explain bobby to me because i have not finish the game i finished the second streamer okay you're almost there i'm 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 sick to death of the game i'm just like i'm i'm tired of (laughs) your bullshit at this point we can assume like bobby's not an interesting character to me at all i miss having actual party members that are interesting and help me in some way and bobby just sits around occasionally blowing himself up or occasionally (laughs) bumping into enemies and i'm just like you're fucking worthless dude like just fuck off like i don't even need you here (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a whole conversation that I think is worth having. But 
we can take that off. I just thought the Bobby thing was a nice, unexpectedly moving example of a basically what I thought was an empty character suddenly showing up and being like, oh, wow, they really defined this character pretty well, given the ridiculous constraints Nintendo put on them. Yep. And then when he was gone, it was like, oh, wow, that was kind of a thing, huh? Yeah, but yeah. I don't know if it's top three. I don't think it is either, but I just thought it was probably the most, the, the moment that re- resonated the most from that game. And then also um, cheering up Olivia ties in with that as well, which is fun. The sweet Sap Loggins song early on is definitely a weird thing, but yeah, the it's Bobby a good dumb thi- thing. The Bobby thing is such a good swerve because you think that's what's going to happen, and, and then that's not what happens at first. Um, Final Fantasy Seven for my um, reference here. The Honeybee Inn is that the room for, full of hunks? That doesn't exist in this game, that what? you are thinking of the correct uh, game. But uh, So there's a new character in this game called Andrea. Uh, when you go to Wall Market, there's a storyline that doesn't exist in the original game, which is you have to get the approval of basically like three sort of like mafia bosses to get into Corneo's mansion, who's like the head of Wall Market. And to get their approval, you have to submit... Uh, three attractive women for uh, Corneo to uh, choose as his next like wife or whatever. And Tifa has already been selected by one, so he's basically, okay, you're going to have to get the approval of like the two, other two ones. And Aerith ends up getting uh, the approval of the madam. And so Cloud has to get the approval of Andrea because Andrea has taken an interest in Cloud. And Andrea is this... Uh, he's not coded as gay, but he's definitely a bit more on the effeminate side, but not in a sort of demeaning anime way. He's definitely very confident. He presents himself in a very self-assured and powerful way because he is the leader of the Hanabi and he controls this whole establishment. And when you go there to uh, like basically complete his approval, he challenges Cloud to a dance-off. <laughs> and it is a rhythm game. It's a very easy rhythm game, but... Oh, uh, wow. It would it's be fun. so easy for Cloud, who has been so, like, kind of standoffish and whatever, like, this whole game, to be like, I don't want to participate in this. And then the game just forces you into another fight or whatever. But Cloud is just like, okay, we're having a dance-off. And you can do a tutorial where you learn how to dance from, like, the ladies that work at the Honey Bee because they're all dressed in, like, sort of like the, basically the bee equivalent of, like, a Playboy bunny outfit. Yeah. And then you go on stage with Andrea in front of an audience, including Aerith, who is all dressed to the nines at this point, and you are straight up doing a dance off with this guy, like a very actual dance off and Cloud the whole time is very serious, like I am dancing my ass off up here. <laughs> and you can see Aerith's reaction change going from like, Oh, this is pretty funny to like Oh my god, he's a good dancer. <laughs> like, <laughs> she she gets really into it and her reaction kind of like Helps your experience, like, fuck, yeah, I'm a good dancer, and I'm fucking killing this shit, because you're getting graded on every, like, little mark that you get. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Andrea is so impressed with your dancing, and that's when the, the moment happens that Aaron mentioned, where uh, you're playing as Aerith, you leave the Honeybee Inn, and you just see this crowd of people come out, and there's one that really stands out, has kind of cloudish-looking hair, but it has a ponytail, and it's wearing a dress, and you go over, and you try to talk to them, and then you realize, oh, shit that's, that's cloud and dress but looking <laughs> very femme yeah it, it, it's, uh... a, it's a it's an incredible moment that they repackage because it could have been done so poorly so poorly. especially with the way japan handles queerness and gender identity cross-dressing and 
androgyny in general, but yeah. they play it respectfully. They play it straight, but it's still extremely fun. It's extremely humorous. And yeah. I was incredibly impressed by that moment. And that the, is the matter one of, of the defining moments of the remake for me. The matter of factness it helps it. And like Tyler said, Cloud just treats it as another job. Um, but it, it, that scene encapsulates the additions they made to the characters, um, the fun that they made Cloud have at his own expense, and turning it from a less self-serious kind of emo edgelord sort of writing that you could take some of the original game to have done. So, yeah, it, it was a really, it was a fun moment. It definitely stands out from the whole package. I can see why you all really wanted me to get, just push another hour into the game and get to this, because this is just, like, sounds so cool. Like, what a what a wild moment, and what a good encapsulation of, like, how this game takes the essence of the original, where it was pretty empty, but still there was, like, this sort of, like, communal understanding of who these characters were and really just develops in a really thoughtful and uh creative way it sounds like you know like yeah. i thought that, it was surprising to me that we didn't talk about cloud as best in the best character category because like i feel like there's just enough little nuance added to cloud from what i've seen that i was like this might be worth discussing but now that i've heard this i'm like wow like there's a lot of interesting stuff happening here yeah we'll discuss this more in remake but i think mm-hmm. one of the, uh as a category but one of the things I think the game does really well is that I don't think it's unapproachable if you haven't played the original, but I think mm-hmm. that because they do deviate and because they do add to it, it is extremely rewarding if you are mm-hmm. someone that has that experience and that nostalgia of the original. And cool. Yeah, the, you see aspects of Cloud that... Sorry, Aaron, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, they gave us so much more. So after such a long, troubled development history and the fans clamoring for this forever that they could have just given us the wholesale remake part and parcel, the same beats and just higher fidelity. But I just was continually impressed. And again, this moment is the indication of that, that they remixed this uh, beloved and could have been an awful execution, beloved um, game and took it to new places. Um, Yeah. I'm just still surprised it worked as well as it did. This sounds like it has to be at least in consideration for the rest of this discussion. Like that's yep. a, that sounds like a really landmark moment for for this year. Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, unlike the museum, Hades. perhaps. Oh, okay, let's do Hades. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going in order. Of the yeah, list. sure, sure. Uh, death. Oh, I put Dad says he's proud of you, but that is a very specific moment because this is a game that has so much dialogue there is so much that you could play this game into the triple digits and there will still be dialogue that you won't see that you won't hear yeah and this happened to me at almost the very end of my run when i was trying to get to the epilogue where there is basically a family reunion you're getting all the gods into one place for the first time and you don't know how long because they're all mortal so they don't really think in terms of years but uh, it's been a really long time since all the gods were in one place together. So I'm trying to get that run. And every time you beat your dad, he's got something to say. And eventually that does repeat, but those that repetition is very rare. And there was just one moment I beat dad. And uh, I'm about to like go back out into like the mortal world again for the upteenth time. And usually he says something like, oh, how did this happen? Or some Just some like... See you at Hubristic. home. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> that one's good. And he just says, like, oh, I'm so proud of what you've accomplished. 
And I was like, holy shit! Or, <laughs> Daddy! <laughs> it, w- it was a moment that reminded me of Assassin's Creed 2, where at the end of Assassin's Creed 2, there's this wild swerve, and I audibly said, what the fuck? And then my character in the game also says, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know, right? And it was the same thing in Hades, where Hades said that, and I think my reaction was, wait, what? And then Zagreus was also like, wait, what did you say? And I was like, oh my god. Like, this is a guy who's had a caustic relationship with his father basically his entire life. And this is probably the first sincere compliment that hasn't been, like, coaxed out of him by another character. That well, and that just, relationship is the whole impetus for the entire game and yeah, the plot. Right. Yep. yep. Also, I'm really impressed you remember anything from Assassin's Creed 2. That's fantastic. It's been so long. No, I know what he's talking about. That's... <laughs> Is that when you get like the whole alien, like the precursor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That shit was wild. Um, that's a great moment. I haven't gotten there yet, but I've had say like you know, see you at home, or like you know, you beat it, me this it's, time. It's a weird thing for me to include because I know that it's not a required part of the game, and it's mm-hmm. a moment that I don't know if everyone will experience. So does it stand mm-hmm. out from the other two that are options here? I think the other two are the same, basically. Well, they're basically the same. It's Death just how by natural it. causes is just like when you enter the real world after you beat Dad, you like you mom. find out that Zagreus yeah. can't exist in the moral world, like because he's married to the underworld. Basically, his whole existence is tied to the underworld. Yep, he just can't stay in the real world forever. Mm-hmm. And so he has that moment where you encounter Persephone, his mother, but you only have these fleeting lines of dialogue before you get sent back to the underworld and you have to do it all over again. But I yeah. just because love that. that happened to me so many times. Like I wouldn't say that left an indelible impression on me. Well, I, I've, I think what I, I've more ahead, recently Doug. made it out the first time, and I'm, I've more recently been able to get to and through the final boss. So getting it the first time, you know, the first time you win, or I guess phrasing it as such, it's like, oh, okay, that's a good gimmick for how to keep you playing the same game without um, making too many changes, but also having a second act to it. What, what I like about the moment Tyler's highlighting, um, and I've only beaten it once, is, yes, that feeling of beating a roguelike, mastering it, at least at that initial level, is always great. That's always a moment yeah. in these games. But what we've seen Hades do and what we've talked about uh, throughout the year is what they do to enhance that format and mm-hmm. to upend it and, and make it more interesting and more compelling you know, the moment that Tyler's talking about um, with a plot-based um, reward for the continuation of those mechanics is far more interesting to me as a moment than just the first time you beat that, which is not to say that's not a rewarding moment, but after that first time, you are really supposed to keep going and supposed to keep beating it and keep and seeing more and peeling back the layers more and more. And that's what I think is worth rewarding that game specifically in the moment category, if yeah. you want to keep it, that... is... That small nugget that's like, man, this is such a payoff. There's so much more here than just me beating this or leveling up a weapon or whatever it is that mm-hmm. you do in roguelikes. Yep. Mm-hmm. I like that. Cool. Yeah. Um, cool. I, I do just want to say really fast, I know we're like, you know, talking about this for a long time, but that first time when you beat Hades, like, of course, being the fir- final boss for the first time feels really big in these games, but it's what happens after there was so surprising to me yep. and that it was so beautiful. Like the environments are just so richly detailed in ways I'd never expected. There's that sunrise and then you get to Persephone's mm-hmm. garden. It's just, it's so lush and there's this character and you just talk and it's like, 
and then all of a sudden it's just like oh shit i have to do this all over again and like but there's like the best justification for it i just thought that yep. was such a great like you know like prestige moment for this game you know and also for yeah. me um just quickly when i it took me damn near 50 tries to to beat the game the first time so by the time i you know you go through that stage you die and then you come back in the same as you've done all those times before uh you talk to um hypnos and he's like huh that's a new one haven't seen that one yet (laughs) there's also a really good moment with hypnos because he was one of the last uh characters i max my bond out with Mm -hmm. where you realize because hypnos is super cheeky like every time you die he's like have you tried not dying (laughs) you're like yeah buddy thanks for that advice they got an axe have you tried you know ducking yeah yes yeah (laughs) but then you realize at the end of his bond he thinks that you're his best friend oh because you're the only person that doesn't treat him like shit basically oh man that's like <laughs> that's like making me really sad right now. Dobby <laughs> <laughs> was really like I was like, oh, buddy, like, oh, you're not so bad. <laughs> that's just brilliant. some fucking ambrosia. That's, like, that's just brilliant. It. I love that. Okay, wow, what All a right. good game. Are we so, moving on? Yeah, I really yeah. need to finish that game. Um, yeah. How about uh, the the Last of Us ones? Is there any way we can quickly determine which of those yeah. two to keep around? Or museum. I, I have no strong feelings on these. You the have museum, strong feelings on both. Essential no. because okay. I'm good with the museum, to... Tyler. Let's okay. keep it. Let's drop the other one. <laughs> we can. All right, fine. No, let's talk I'm about when we want to cut, like cut the rest. Yeah, yeah. Abby already, already. Abby already okay. won best character. I think we can get rid of the shift to her story because yeah. it's more about what she is to the game than that moment. You yep. know. I want you to have your platform, Tyler. I just want to get the list shorter. Yeah, let's let's get that a little farther. Um, I'll um, knock, I'll knock one farther off the list. It's Formula One twenty twenty. This is the first time they've had a team management side to the game. And okay, you know that your character as the driver has had interviews before, had other things before, but this time you you go through this creation of your team, that first one, and then you do a sit down interview with one of the real life Formula One journalists. They they did motion capture, voice capture, all that for him. But the best part of it is that they frame it as like one of the questions from the journalist is, "You've never driven before. You're an unknown. How are you coming in?" Which is basically lampshading. Like it knows this is a video game. Which is, it does it in the most fantastic way. And considering I've spent a lot of time in that, and it's basically the mode from a video game I've wanted for about 15 years, it's pretty impressive and pretty fun. And it's cool to see that it has now offered a new revenue stream for journalism in this economy (laughs) to uh, take up and get paid for appearances in video games. So that's really good for journalists out there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just got to become recognizable. Yeah, yeah, you got to get hired Enjoy. by the actual series itself as a talking head, and then you can get into the video game too for a little bit extra ch- coin on top. Um, Aaron, do you want to talk about Tony yeah. Hawk? Yeah, I feel like they're kind of similar. Um, I just wanted to put in a moment to that pokes at nostalgia. So mine was the whole um, kind of unfair combination of <laughs> pulling off a trick for the first time from muscle memory, which is, again is speaking to nostalgia, but I was amazed how quickly it felt natural to play that game again um mm-hmm. slash going back to the school level the first time and of course you know superman's on blast so it, you're transported <laughs> back to 1999 or whatever yep. the hell year it came out but 99 i think yeah yeah so i mean that's really cool um 
But I also, you know, it is a rehash of moments that we felt and we grew up with. So I don't know that it's fair to give it um, any sort of moment singularly, maybe as a runner-up. And then specifically, I mentioned it in the music category, but the opening video, I mean, the Tony Hawk opening videos were always compilations of actual video footage from the pro pro skaters that are in there. And it uses uh, Guerrilla Radio by Raging Against the Machine. That was, I think that was the opening for two. And then yeah. Yeah. after you finish that video, you go to the loading screen, like the press start screen, and it's playing Goldfinger Superman, which is like, <laughs> they had a moment this summer with, with, with a certain age of gamer, <laughs> a certain category of gamer, because like it is so associated with Tony Hawk. So, oh, yeah. Um, they knew who their audience was. Exactly. Yeah. For, for, and, for and people the fact in their 30s, this is just like a, a thing. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> I mean, the fact that they threw it right to... I, um, this is very inside, but I think they even said to press outlets or to, to streamers, you cannot show the video and the, the press start screen. Like that was in the NDA. Has Lost that just that blown up the bit, chat? But I think he was saying that. Yeah. While Doug's coming Hello? back, I think he was saying that they didn't want to spoil the opening yeah. um, loading screen. So with, with Superman, but it is, it is definitely this game is great if you have a connection to it. And Tony Hawk's millennial skater is really, you know, so we all have a moment to it, but as a moment in 2020, I don't know. I mean, I can see the nostalgia angle, but it also feels a little bit overplayed that way. I see both sides, but I just want to say that like the first time I played this game, I jumped into the warehouse. It was playing Superman and I was like, Oh, my special meter's up. I think I know how to do a 900 still. <laughs> and I did it first I, try. And I was like, oh, I, shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> I had that exact same yeah. reaction, too. Just that months. I knew, instantly knew the the combo. And it's like, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, basically doing a Shadoken in like Street yeah. Fighter 4. Just like, oh, I still remember exactly how to perform that from Street Fighter 2. <laughs> So it's not yeah. discrediting it that for like five minutes you feel like you're 12 or 13 again, and that's what this game is about. But they did it in yeah. such an excellent way that it was a good tribute. It wasn't just a really crappy up-res of the original game. So, you know. It was very clearly... remake was that. Yeah. Yeah. This is very clearly for people who love those games for the right reasons, and they wanted to rekindle that kind of like joy of those games in a really good way. Yeah. So... You know, as far as best remake goes, I think this is where that game really, really, yep. really shines. But I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But I still, man, like doing a nine hundred to a revert <laughs> to a manual. Oh my god! <laughs> it was all yeah. muscle memory. I loved it. The brain tape from old times. Um, all right. So are we dropping both. Yeah, I think so. I consolidated them to keep them around, but I, if we want to drop them, we can drop them. I think so. Um. Let's Care talk about Kentucky Route Zero. Oh. I was going to say, we want to pick our favorite KR Zero moment of the two. Uh, I am going to ask for this one, no spoilers, because I have okay. not finished it yet. Yeah. Um, Aaron, are we good with I'm going my way, or I'm going that way? Yeah, um, before that, definitely their performance was my favorite yeah. moment from the series, but I think the Act 5 one is, is superlative. Those are probably my two favorite moments of games this year, but I know that we can't get both on here. And um, I, I just that that Act Five moment was just like heartbreaking. It was so yeah. good. Yeah, it was so good. Um, Aaron, do you want to try and sell us on Legion? Or <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's more in the category of ridiculous things that happened. I don't know if it goes in the uh, Kojima category, but uh, maybe um, maybe. 
Yeah, it, it, why don't we it's scoot just, it down there? Sure, let's do that. And is then it, I can talk our, about it for 30 seconds before cutting it. Sure. Is, is it our open world bullshit of the year? <laughs> yeah. It might very well be. <laughs> I think so. Because, yeah, other open world games this year take themselves mostly so seriously. So. so I think we still have to talk about the museum in The Last of Us Part Two and Disco Elysium Karaoke. Right? Yeah, shit, your, your moment's coming. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about Disco Elysium. How's that sound? Sure. Cool. So Disco Elysium is a game where you don't know who the fuck you are for the first, like, big chunk of time. And all you know, really, is that you're drunk, you feel like shit, and you really want to sing karaoke. And <laughs> so you spend a lot of the game trying to figure out who you are. And initially, you're like, there's a chance that you can roll the dice in the game and like convince yourself you're some like washed-up music star. But it's really unlikely. You can make it happen, but it's really uncommon. But either way, you really just really want to get on the mic. And the guy who like runs the bar in this hotel you're staying at fucking hates your guts because you're a piece of shit and you've destroyed your hotel room. Um... <laughs> But eventually, he begrudgingly, if you do things for him like as favors, lets you sing karaoke, and you just sing this very like Tom Waitsy style, like really just gravelly, shitty, sad song. And it's like, <laughs> but it's this remarkably cathartic moment for the character and for the game of like, finally, your character who doesn't even know his name when you start doesn't know who the hell he is, like gets to establish himself in this really meaningful way and i just i think that's just such a, a really cool thing well early on too they really build it up where you see the stage set up with a microphone you're like i gotta remember to do this sort of thing yeah like, i really want to do karaoke and can't you find like music tapes or something yeah or... you can you can find different tapes for it so there are ways where the game is like pointing you toward that the, there will be a payoff here eventually to do karaoke which i haven't done yet in my game because mm-hmm. i'm still you know, fairly early on but yeah i remember because right when you come downstairs from that waking up hungover and feeling like shit, it just it's pretty soon where it's like karaoke sounds like a really good idea. So it, it, I can see the payoff being uh, a memorable moment. And even Gart like begrudgingly says that was pretty good, which is like a really <laughs> good moment. <laughs> I don't know. That's up there for me for sure. Okay. Well, we have five, six currently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's talk yes, about the museum. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, moments are Naughty Dog's wheelhouse because they make these single-player narrative-based experiences. And because this is a revenge story, they have to really sell you on the idea that Abby cares enough about Joel to go on this uh, revenge quest, basically. And it's not something that the story uh, in the present does very well because a lot of the flashbacks are about how she resents the way that the last game ended with him lying to her about... Uh, why she wasn't uh, dissected for the cure, basically. And there's this moment for her birthday where uh, they he takes her to an abandoned museum in Wyoming, I think. Mm-hmm. And it, location unclear, doesn't matter. Uh, but It's a natural history museum, yeah. It's a natural history museum, and she's really into the idea of dinosaurs. And when she finally ex- sees like these dinosaurs... Like, you see Ellie engage with her childhood, childish side in a way that the game has never really allowed her to engage with because she lives in this world that forces people to mature uh, faster than they're supposed to. And so getting her, getting to see her behave as a child and engage with Joel as a father, it shows their relationship in a complicated way where the game never says, oh, he's her dad. 
or she thinks of him as a dad. But like she was put in this position where he was the father figure that she had. Whether or not he was the father figure that she wanted is irrelevant. He was the father figure that she had. And losing him uh, is forever going to stick with her, especially the circumstances in which, in which she lost him. So even though you might not agree with her revenge quest, and frankly, I don't, mm-hmm. you kind of are able to understand because she's still an immature woman. She's still like late teens, I think, in the game. You can at least like understand, like, oh, this is why she cares enough about this person to do this, to go on this killing spree, because she lives in a world of death. This is how she knows how to respond to people, how to respond to the world. So when she's in pain, when she's struggling, her response is to go kill. To, to bring it back to the moment, specifically, some of the beats that really worked um, in the apocalypse genre. Um, yeah, to Tyler's point, you don't usually get a chance to see characters be happy or have fun. Um, and in this one, they're there's a, a running gag of um, Ellie finding hats in the museum, putting them on and trying them in the mirror and making silly faces that you could control. And you can see Joel in the background um, in kind of the doorframe looking proud at Ellie and just kind of smirking along. And that builds that kind of fatherly partnership role that Tyler's talking about. And then you can take the hats and you can put them on various dinosaurs uh, models in the museum and then eventually get Joel to wear one of the hats like a 10 gallon hat or whatever and it is a back and forth banter um, that felt kind of on par in a bonding sense and fleshing out the characters in their relationship sense as the you know the lauded giraffe scene from the first game um, I, I'd be yeah. remiss if I didn't mention the other parts of that scene too where there's the yeah. helmet in the space capsule where she mm-hmm. wears the helmet and this is like one of the few times in her life where she actually gets to be optimistic and think about a world beyond the world of suffering that she knows she Mm -hmm. imagines herself blasting off into space like leaving the world behind yeah like joel has the audio for it there's this really subversive moment where uh you have to sneak into the other building and joel can't join you because the door is locked and she can fit through the window and you're finding supplies it's very dark in there you're hearing noises and it makes you think that there's going to be a combat sequence. So you're going through this whole scene on edge, and finally something rushes at you from another room, and it's a wild boar. And you don't have to kill the boar. The boar just runs away. But it, it plays with your expectations in that moment, where it's like it reminds you that Ellie never feels safe. Yeah. And this experience in the museum, this is yeah. the only time that she's gotten to feel safe and happy. And Actually, building on that, though, the, the space capsule part was, I think, my favorite part of the scene. And just that use of diegetic and then non-diegetic sound. Like, you Mm -hmm. start in there, Joel gives a tape that has um, space launch sounds sitting in a space capsule, which Ellie is obsessed with space, too. Puts on the helmet, like Tyler said, and then plays the audio, and eventually it shifts from her hearing the tape to the game, you know, non-diegetically presenting you with what sounds like real takeoff sound. And it's a really, really well-done audio piece that brings you into her feeling of that euphoria and that, that family and that love on her birthday on a special day. So, yeah, it's really well done. And it's very relatable to me, too, as an, I was also a child obsessed with dinosaurs in space. Yeah. And grew up in an apocalypse. Again, you can't relate to something. It has to be literal in video games. So. I think one little one last little thing I wanted to just highlight for folks that haven't played it is that part with the boar, the game, after like a long sequence of like no UI... 
has you automatically drawing your gun and getting ready for like combat again. Like it introduces the combat UI. It tells the player too, like, oh, feel feel ready for danger, be scared. And then like nothing actually ends up happening, but it just reinforces to you, like it helps you empathize with like how Ellie's feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really effective. Yeah, I think it's a strong moment that could be a runner up or top here. I think it yeah. should stay for now. There's a lot of great moments here. We're down to five, but they're still all really good. <laughs> Um, I think, I mean, we talked about it and it sounded like it kind of convinced some of you, well, Nick, to maybe play more of Tsushima, but I don't know. Do we want to keep that moment? I think it's still on here, but we could probably drop it. I thought we already cut it. It's cut on my end, but it might not be updated for everyone. Okay. Yeah. Make sure that Tsushima is dropped then, because I see it as still an option. Okay. Um, that still has us at five in my view. I see. Uh, we got Final yeah, Fantasy Seven, Hades, Disco, Last of Us, and then Kentucky Route Zero. That's five, four. Yeah. So, yeah, what I'm worried about is I know that Spencer is trying to avoid spoilers, but how do we say whether or not Kentucky Route Zero is a top moment without knowing what that moment is? Yeah. Yeah. This is the I this mean, is the catharsis of the game. So it's kind of a, a big moment for the game, but I think the game will also get recognized elsewhere. So I don't know. I mean, we're going to have to run into this. Can we this talk though. around this, or do we? If, just... if the if the choice we're going but in top to ten, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. If the choice is to spoil it or cut it, I favor cutting it. I I just want to get to that point because I know how I much this game means to you. Yeah. yeah. We can drop it. To me. Yeah. Well. All right. Let's. I, I would also say too, in defense of dropping it, that um, it's this is an experience that is worth seeing to completion, including the interludes between acts. Yeah, one singular yeah. moment you can. Pick it sounds from. like Kentucky Route Zero and Last of Us are very different in that regard. Whereas you get to the Last of Us, and it feels uneven to the point where those moments stand out yeah. more than the whole experience. Whereas yeah. Kentucky Route Zero, I think. That you, you hold on to what you like. Experience. Yeah. It's almost like Kentucky Road Zero has great tone control throughout. <gasps> oh. So we're just going right. to leave this <laughs> category behind. Finish yeah. one before we get to the next one. I'm good with um, that. That's okay. Man, these, I, these are all still very good. I think we cut Hades saying, Dad saying he's proud of you. Yeah, I like I like the moment, I love but it, I think but... it's the weaker one of the remaining ones. Right? Like that, or we don't want to make this daddy issues the category. Yeah, <laughs> we have that later coming up. At, at least make it personal issues the category because when you described uh, in Disco Elysium, you're you're drunk, you feel like shit, you don't know who you are, and you want to sing karaoke. I'm like, that's one of my default modes. <laughs> like, that's just who I am sometimes. I'm like that so, too, so true uh, meme right now. <laughs> if I'm going to prop up one of these as the winner, it's definitely going to be the museum. I really enjoyed oh. the Honey Bee Inn moment of Seven, but because the museum is so intrinsic to the story that uh, Naughty Dog is trying to tell and because it's executed so well, like Honey Bee Inn is funny and it works, yeah. but the game isn't really about that. Yeah, I think Museum has several really good moments, too. And it's one yeah. of the highlights of the entire game. So I think that's a fair winner. And um, unless, though, you know, uh, the disco case can be made stronger as a winner, do you think, Nick? 
Now, for me, Disco is a game about a vibe that builds over 30 hours with some really cool moments in the middle. This is probably my favorite moment. I think that The Last of Us Part 2, like Tyler said, is a pretty uneven experience with the, where the moments really stand out when they work, and they really like stand out in a bad way when they don't. And so... I think the museum is like some of the most crystallized, perfect, like perfected down to the second, like narrative environmental storytelling I've ever seen in the game. I think it's probably the winner here. Okay. I'm seeing a I lot agree. of nodding. Um, Doug, do you have any major dissent or does that sound good? Nope. Uh, based on what's been presented, that sounds good. All right. And then what do we want for the order of the last two? I would push for Disco first or runner up one, but it doesn't really matter to me. I mean, I'm fine with that. I also don't really care about honeybee being ahead i'm glad we're recognizing honeybee though for what it does mm-hmm. all right so because that was like best moment that was kind of win- touch and go okay. in the original sorry <laughs> our winner for best moment this year is the museum in the last of us part two uh followed by finally singing karaoke in disco elysium and the honeybee inn in the remake of final fantasy 7 Next on our list is best tone control. Uh, which games demonstrated the best mastery over the tonal consistency of their experiences? So rather than one moment, the overall feel and vibe of the game. Um, Les jeunes so quoi. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the nominees for this one. We have Hades, Animal Crossing New Horizons, Paper Mario the Origami King, Disco Elysium, Kentucky Route Zero, Wide Ocean Big Jacket, Paradise Killer, Crosscode, Blazeball, Ghost of Tsushima, and Crusader Kings 3. It's going to be rough, I think. This seems like it's going to be bloody, frankly. Are there... I think Paper Mario should fuck off out of here. <laughs> well, okay, we're getting started. I'm um, like, whatever. Seriously. It's fine. Are there? Yeah, I was gonna say, what are the weakest links? I put Crusader Kings three on, and I think we could probably drop that. But just, cool. I don't know if anyone thinks differently. But I, I love what I played. It's the first one of those games I played. I don't know if that is if it's more. I played two, and it sounds like three is a better version of that. But... No. I mean, I, I mean, you I, feel I, like you're a ruler who's ruling in a medieval fucked up time where you can have like mm-hmm. chefs eating, serving babies, and shit like that. So, I do think CK three is gonna. Place on the Kojima this year. Yep. So, <laughs> well, well, we're going to have a discussion about that. I think Tyler had some dissent there, but yeah, okay. we can drop Sater from this category. All right. I would cut uh, Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it is pretty tonally consistent, but I think sometimes that consistency gets in the way of my enjoyment of the experience. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Like, I'm not. Yeah, I don't yeah. want. I'm not advocating for you to keep it, but what the the argument you made back in the the kind of art direction. Seemed to me that this would also carry over into tone, though. When the overall tone of the experience is not just art direction, but it seems to me the argument you were making was it kind of has perfected that feeling of the dollhouse world. So I'm surprised that you would want to cut it here. Well, I'm just looking at the list and like, yeah, I'm more inclined to recognize some of the more unique standouts okay. here. Sure. I also if think that anyone else wants to make a case for New Horizons, I'm happy to hear it. I think I love New Horizons, except for when it comes to interacting with other human beings, where <laughs> I feel like its commitment to total consistency, like, really comes at the expense of having a good time with it. Like, waiting for fucking eight people to show up on your island is, like, agony. 
Mm. And I just yeah. feel like, I you know, hey, credit where it's due for committing to the bit, but I just, I feel like it's a double-edged sword with that game more than most. And that's, that's the sort of stuff I'm talking about where that tonal consistency yeah. actually hurts the enjoyment of the whole experience. Definitely. And I, that's not the, the spirit of tone control for me. Yep. And also, I'm curious... Uh, pissed i've never been able to complete some of those uh furniture sets not that that does anything for this category but i'm just still mad about that so me too uh we can cut cross code that's a cool ass game it really loves to like be a representation of what early mmorpgs felt like um but i would actually argue it's actually not as consistent with its tone as i would like especially when it comes to the dialogue so i think we can cut it okay um, Tyler, do you want to go to bat for Sushima with me, or not that I, I, I'm just wondering how you're feeling about that? I'm, I think it is uh, pretty rock solid in its tone. Yeah, it, it does like... do what it was developed to do very well. Like, we've like, been you, like about. you said, like it's very much meant to be this like samurai epic homage. I think people overuse Kurosawa as if like he's the only person doing that style. Like. Yeah. Kurosawa is to samurais what like Sergio Leone is to westerns. Like westerns were huge in America at a point in time, and they were huge in Japan in a point in time. Mm-hmm. And even though their film industries have moved past those, there is still a really distinct vibe when it comes to those kind of movies. Even when you see a western in the 21st century, it's still very much trying to recapture that vibe as some of those earlier westerns maybe just in a more realistic or more gritty way but there are certain like tropes you just feel like you can't get away from and Mm -hmm. even with contemporary samurai movies like they're still adhering to that same style of those old samurai epics and that's more than like feeling like you're reliving history Tsushima is about feeling like you're living through one of those stories. Yeah. Like the kind of stories that inspired George Lucas as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And it's extremely successful in recapturing that. And even though it is an open world game, like you have some of like the sidey bullshit, like the side quests, the main quests, they do a really good job of putting you in that mindset and putting you in that world. Yeah. I agree. I I think it's a fair choice for now for the category. I'm going to offer up another sacrifice. Um, Paper Mario. I think it's really... The the, the dialogue and the, the, the tone of the story and the characters is very consistent throughout. I think it's really successful at that. Great localization is always from that team. Mm-hmm. Um, Treehouse as usual, right? Yep, always. Yeah. Okay. But it's it's also just like... It's not doing much with it beyond what you'd already expect from a Paper Mario or like a Mario RPG style game. Like it's it's good. It's very clever. It's very funny in parts. Um, the writing is arguably the only thing that is consistently good in the Paper Mario games. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right yeah. about that. Unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, we can cut that from this. I would also add. I would also add that the ending of it doesn't feel quite as good as the first like 90 percent. yeah after the final air like everything before the final dungeon i think is i really enjoyed in different ways and then the final dungeon to the end of the story i was just like oh this is really stupid i've read that that it was kind of a letdown toward the end so that is against it for consistency yeah yeah i would cut it on that alone 
there's a few choices of the story and writing at the very end that I'm not super happy with. I understand what limitations they might have had, but it, you know, yeah, it kind of undercuts what's otherwise a fun and, and very good experience. Tyler's arguments, mm-hmm. notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw out. And... Oh, go ahead, Spencer. Oh, we, sorry. If you have a thought to conclude there, go for it. I was going to change gears and suggest something I think needs to be on the list. No. Okay. It's a white ocean big jacket. Yeah, I agree. We were talking about that earlier where how it encapsulates that feeling of being a young um, teenager, whatever you want to say, in the summertime, going camping, breaking loose, exploring, trying new things, having young love, um, having weird conversations with older adults that you think are cool or know more than you. Uh, and it's, it, it's over pretty quick. But all of it sticks with you as, yeah, I feel like I lived that or I remembered that or I, I was that kid in some way, even though this is, of course, um, played up and, and exaggerated. Yeah, it's a game that like is edited down to the absolute bone. Like you can tell this could have been a 10 hour game and less capable hands, but they just they establish the character so strongly and so efficiently throughout the entire game that like you breeze through it in 50 or 60 minutes. and You're just like, wow, like I. I've seen growth from all four of these characters. I like. Re- I understand why I control different people at different times. Mm-hmm. I understand why the animation style is the way it is to complement the story. I get why the beats happen how they do. It's just like it's it's a masterclass in tone control. I think we got this category from uh, Steve Gaynor of uh, Fulbright, yeah. who did uh, Gone Home, and I think that indie games, especially short indie games, have a distinct advantage in this category. Because the more mechanics you build onto a game, the longer it goes on, the more difficult it becomes to maintain that tone control. So I think Wide Ocean Big Deck it definitely sounds like because it is this really contained experience, uh, it's much more capable of keeping that tone cohesive throughout the entire experience than some of the longer, bigger budget experiences. Yeah. In that same vein, and... Uh, also to stir shit up slash um, get our list cut down further. Um, I think for those reasons, we should probably cut Hades. Um, I love Hades. Mm. I think this is a spectacular game. I think it's going to place very highly on the list. We've already recognized it in one of the categories. Ultimately, however, I don't think it necessarily exemplifies any one thing other than where it's already been recognized. Um, I think that it is simply the probably the best culmination of work that Supergiant has put together and as a result is a fantastic game. Um, Tonally, at least from where I am in the story, it definitely ping-pongs around. And it ping-pongs around in the confines of its story as it establishes itself, but it's not making you feel one thing uh, very consistently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious what the tone is that anybody wants to keep this, like what is the strongest tone that it's carrying? The, the thing that I find most compelling about Hades Tone is uh, that they managed to find a way to master the aspect of ludonarrative dissonance that roguelikes encompass, which is they, they made it a part of the experience, this cycle of death and rebirth that Zachary mm-hmm. is, is experiencing. And these different stories only happen because he keeps throwing himself into this meat grinder again and again and again and again. I would say that sounds like best storytelling, though. 
Yeah. 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 I'm not. I'm not advocating for tone control. I'm just mm-hmm. providing some sort of explanation for why it would even be oh, okay. on this list. Got it. That's fair. So we got. I'm fine. Ahead. I'm fine cutting it because I think the points that Spencer made are very valid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Spencer. And like, I think there's no question here. Uh, more of us voted for Hades for Game of the Year uh, consideration than any other game this year. So like, it's gonna get its honors, but. Every yeah. once in a while, there's a game we all actually play. Yeah. <laughs> it's rare, but it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I think I also want to cut, and this might surprise some of you, but I want to cut Paradise Killer. Were I think you that, literally just saying earlier that this was a Paradise Killer category? I think it's more this category than the other one, but I still think that this game is pretty uneven. Um, okay. The experience of exploring the island with its weird day-night cycle and the weird collectibles and the kind of, I would call like a, a kind of like a confu- intentionally confusing maybe, but not like interestingly confusing layout, clashes really hard with the core of what you're doing, which is you talk to the characters, you learn new facts, you then go investigate a scene to learn about the murder, you get those facts in your database, you then go talk to the characters again and proceed the story, and at any point you can like go to a trial and end it. But, like, there's no reason to end it early or late. Like, there's no difference except, like, what ending do you want? And, like, the ending really is kind of just, like, inconsequential. And so what happens from a tonal standpoint is, like, there's this real dissonance I got between, like, I love the vibe of this game. I think the vibe of this game is, like, sick as hell. It's, like, a synthwave nightmare dystopian afterlife. And, like, I mean, that's fucking 2020 in a nutshell right there. But, like, this game really gets it right. And, uh, we have had a best vibe category. Yeah, maybe this is this is a best vibe winner, but I don't think it's best tone control. It's it's actually I felt all over the map playing this game. <laughs> uh, no vibe check category this year, unfortunately. No. It's a cool game. I'll talk more about it later. All right. Mm-hmm. That brings us down to Disco Elysium, Kentucky Route Zero, Wide Ocean, Big Jacket. Blaseball and Ghost of Tsushima. Doug, does Blaseball have tone control? I love Blaseball, but like, can we can we that, point to a control here? That sounds like the embodiment of all over the goddamn place. Intentionally, and that's why it's great, right? <laughs> Is Doug here? I just uh, got yeah, it. I okay, I was going to say, now we have a chance to pull the rug out from under. Uh, Blaseball, yeah, I think I, it's fun it's quirky it's weird as hell it's intentionally done but i think it's probably gonna miss out to other stuff just simply because everything graphical to do with the game other than emoji is done by the community there there is no control of the tone of this game the tone is cool and i love it but it's absolutely like just a, a chemical reaction gone wild <laughs> it it is to tone control what punk rock was to the establishment in 1978. <laughs> it is a wild strain of yeast creating an unknown beer. All right, <laughs> sourdough category. All right, so we're down at Disco Elysium, Kentucky Route Zero, White Ocean Big Jacket, and Ghost of Tsushima. Right. I feel like we haven't talked about. Did we cut Disco. Hades or no? We did. Okay. We did. Yeah, we did cut Hades. I felt like we haven't talked about Disco in Kentucky because those feel like really strong contenders. Yeah. Um, is it anybody feel differently before we maybe try to get some others cut? My question would be, 
does Kentucky Route Zero manage to have that con- tone control over all five acts cohesively? Good question. And if it does, it kind of has to be in the top three. Because that would be very impressive for a game that has spanned years. Like eight years at this point? Kentucky I mean, Route okay, Zero so has... Oh, go ahead, Aaron. No, well, I was just going to say, when you look at how the game started and what the story was telling of that kind of um, Great Recession era... Um, hollowing out of American towns and that sort of millennial early nascent depression and and fugue state like that was how the game started that was the first couple of acts maybe but over seven years almost a whole decade I think it has changed tone and the characters have changed or I don't know the ending it it's not the same game that it was when it started but i don't know if that means it's not the same tone because the overall stories and the ending services that beginning and it all does feel like a payoff but i do feel like the cardboard computer did shift what they were trying to do with the story over many acts and many interludes too over many years so let me jump on here for a moment because to me this is the winner of this category And the reason I think that is because it intentionally shifts from a story about one person at this very real kind of like, I feel like the game begins at the moment where Conway like pulls off of reality and onto like this other alternate highway that's like America, but like, it's like going from foresight to moonside and earthbound a little bit. And I feel like the, the game kind of maintains this sort of like suspension of disbelief throughout. And tonally, the game always makes you feel a little bit alienated and a little bit like, you know, everyone is a little bit detached from reality and a little bit strange. And like it's, um, it maintains a very consistent kind of feel throughout of like these very empty, dark spaces. And, um, this like kind of haunting bit of Americana that peeks in here and there, like people sharing anecdotal stories about like, you know, uh, just life in America, like the death of industry or like medical problems or like Mm -hmm. alienation and then it all kind of like very deliberately got to like, I'll, I'll speak in generalities here, but at the end, there's a moment where like you kind of, it pulls itself back up out of this and gets back to like this whole idea of like, okay, is this, is this game trying to be about individuals or is it trying to be about people and community? And is it trying to be about like death or is it about life? Mm-hmm. And it plays with these themes tonally of like, you know, optimism and pessimism, like hope and despair throughout. And then it culminates in like this really just kind of like beautifully, like you can't like separate the two kind of moment of like it's 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 all that's these things. And there, I think there's that's a just... duality there that I think you could look at in the abstract and think, oh, they changed gears or the story was one thing and then it became another. But I I do think yeah, what the point you're making is in the end it was a duality that they were trying to tell the whole time, and maybe they did shift some of the perspective that they didn't know. But this, mm-hmm. it still does respect that journey and that, like you're talking about. So I think it is, yeah, consistent in retrospect. Mm-hmm. That being said, I do think the Disco Elysium sticks to a single tone the whole way through with like yeah. incredible precision. So I'm a little torn on this. Yeah, honestly, that makes Kentucky sound like a stronger um, storytelling contender oh. than a tone contender. Shoot. Like shifting the tone, that is like, if it was deliberate then that could be a choice that they made that they wanted to have a start point and an end point. But at the same time, and as good as I'm assuming it is, and like as positive as that description is, um, 
it it's a little hard to tell if it's purely deliberate or if it simply is the passage of time. And they decided over time they wanted to shift what they were doing and what tone they wanted yeah. to convey. And on a material so, level, each act does feel different. I mean, if you're just in terms of the way that you play that. And the interludes are experimental. They do have experimentation. That's true. The it's interludes. The 80s, this is a game that's definitely going to get Rocky Nation oh, in our top yeah. 10. And okay. we've already Way given one category to Kentucky Route Zero. I think yeah. I'm okay with cutting Kentucky Route Zero because of all of what you just said. All right. Um, what order do we want here? Uh, it sounded like White Ocean Big Jack was a very strong contender. I think we have four uh, I see still. us down to three. I see us down to three. Disco, White Ocean, and Ghost. Oh, sorry. The Kentucky hadn't updated yet. So, okay. Uh, I would push for White Ocean, Big Jacket winning. It's For me, it's that or it's Tsushima. I can see any of these three winning, though, and feeling good about it. So if anyone feels really strongly here, let's talk about it. I mean, I haven't yeah. played... Why I shouldn't big jacket because uh, nothing about it before this call sounded all that appealing to me. Uh, the scale, just and the type of game that it was, and the story it was telling, just did not feel compelling to me this year because this was a game, a year for me, where I wanted a lot of that gaming comfort food, I guess. Yeah. Uh, perhaps that's a little bit guilty of me to say but like the experiences i did were pretty big time sinks uh that i just liked that sense of repetition and i think for me it was impressive that ghost was able to keep that tone throughout because it is having a lot of that open world bullshit and that's something that assassin's creed is really bad at because Assassin's yeah. Creed is made by a bunch of studios across the world, and it feels like that. And each game changes that. the systems now, every iteration. It changes the system, and even the systems that exist within the game don't always feel like they yeah. are part of the same experience. But as I was wandering from territory to territory and doing the different side quests, they all felt really cohesive. They all part felt like part of Jin Sakai's experience to me. Yeah, I and agree. And that's part of what kept me going... And basically 100%ing the game is that I was like, this is his story. This is what he's doing. I want to do it all. I want to experience it all because I like this type of story. I like this type of experience. And I want to have that cohesive, complete experience that they packaged here. Yeah. And even beyond the, we're not just talking about the open world elements that Tyler and I both like and gravitate toward. The game knew what it was, the story it wanted to tell, and the way it told it. Uh, was consistent from beginning to end. Yes, predictable in some ways, but it never didn't feel like um, the vision that Sucker Punch had for this type of game. Um, Systems, side quests, navigating the world, all felt like this is Ghost of Tsushima, this is a complete package, and it didn't feel extraneous, even though it has open world stuff, and yes, there's some map collecting, but it felt like a more respect, respectful of your time, one of those, than many of those games, I think. And mm-hmm. so the overall samurai epic did feel extremely consistent in tone throughout and was satisfying in that way. I think I think it's probably Ghost of Tsushima or White Ocean Big Jacket that win this. I think we could say Disco Elysium probably doesn't win this. That's fair. 
Um, I, I like I love White Ocean, but I don't know if we can convince the others, Nick, for that. Okay. Um, I, I would mean, I would give it the nod because that game is start to finish exactly one thing with laser yeah. precision, and but Ghost of Tsushima is a giant thing that sprawls and is experienced in very different ways depending on how you approach it, and it's still very incredibly consistent throughout tonally. So, I think either of those would be a really strong winner, and mm-hmm. I think I'll leave it to you all to decide where you want to put it. I think I go for Tsushima. Sorry. I would lean that way, if only because of what others have said, where the the more independent team, smaller scale things are kind of easier to keep a consistent tone going throughout. And the fact that it's down to like a 60 minute or 70 minute experience versus a huge triple A temple 60 hour game, basically. Yeah, I think that in this case, we have to give it to the most just because it's almost amazing by itself that it's in the consideration there. I guess that's best by default because they just flexed really hard and pulled it off. And whereas White Ocean is like literally an hour at most to play. Yeah. yeah. And a studio that has been inconsistent in its output being Sucker Punch. Oh yeah, has... Infamous was so not totally consistent. Is, uh, if you go back and watch that initial reveal trailer of Ghost of Tsushima, like, mm-hmm. so often there's such a disparity between like the initial like teaser or the hype video and the package that you end up getting. But even if you go back and watch that, I think they very clearly communicate what the tone of that game is going to be. And then the game we got is still in line with that original video. It's like, okay, they knew exactly what they wanted to do, and they nailed it. It doesn't mean it's a perfect experience, but it means for what they were trying to do, they stuck the landing. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah, feel good about that. All right, so Ghost of Tsushima wins Best Toe Control, and the runners-up are White Ocean Big Jacket and Disco Elysium. And now let's move on to the Commissioner Parker McMillan 3, or the third, <laughs> I guess, um, Rogue Umpire Incineration Award presented by Hideo Kojima. This is uh, our the, the readest... That Shit Unhinged category. <laughs> I also, I recently learned since naming this category that Parker McMillan III was incinerated by a rogue umpire during a court proceeding <laughs> filed by the New York Millennials. So, rest in peace, Parker. Oh, my goodness. Um, our contenders for this one are uh, from Blaseball Peanuts, Blaseball Cares, The End of Season 10, and The Forbidden Book. Uh, the Final Fantasy VII remakes, Cloud Earns His New Look. Uh, Animal Which has Crossing just been dropped. Ho- oh, that's been <laughs> dropped? Okay. Um, Animal Crossing New Horizons Bunny Day. Uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon's The Fourth Wall English Scene. In Crusader Kings 3, there's Eating the Pope. And relocated from Watch Dogs Legion, there's Realizing You Can Fly Around <laughs> on a Cargo Drone. It's got to so, be Pope, right? For for context, this is a category that we created for Metal Gear Solid Five, I think. Yep, Ultimate. <laughs> yes. And it, it was a deliberate response to games having ridiculous mechanics that are actually sensibly justified by the experience or potentially by the story itself. Yep. And so for that, we awarded Faultening, which is literally airlifting pretty much anything. <laughs> any any single object. I wish game. that more games had picked up. Honestly, I wish I wish that was still around. I would give 10 Nemesis systems for one Fulton in every game. <laughs> well, actually, okay, so uh, 
the Watch Dogs Legion cargo drone is somewhat an, um, a reminiscent of that, where when you have a cargo drone, I'll just get into it really quickly and I'll see if it, if it hangs. Because so far this sounds like it's named for baseball, so I wouldn't be surprised if one of those takes it. But um, So in the world, as a hacker, in the futuristic London, there are at like the corner of every street um, cargo drone platforms. And you can hack them from afar to call a drone to that area. And they are big enough to where you can um, bring it to the ground, hop on it, and then control it and fly in the air pretty much as high as you want and go wherever you want to go. You can also use those drones, being cargo drones, to pick up explosives, um, fly over a base undetected, and then drop a giant explosive set of barrels onto like a whole platoon of enemies and kill them all and set off a chain reaction. Um, so Watch Dogs has had, has had that level of kind of slapstick hacking mechanics um, before. So this isn't really new, but... Um, Nothing in the game tells you. I don't even think there's until like halfway through or a third of the way through the game, it feels like there's a mission that you actually use a cargo drone that you can do this. But from the very beginning of the game, you can call a drone down, realize you can hop on it, and then you can just kind of destroy any of the enemy bases that you want early on because you can stealth in, grab something, stealth back out, and it almost feels like you're cheating, but they encourage you to do that. Um, so it's cool. I don't know if it's the most ridiculous thing but um, it's some of the most fun I've had in the game, just being able to do that. I think it's in the spirit of this award really nicely, though. I feel like this place is, to me. Yeah. And this is why I cut uh, Final Fantasy VII's um, Cloud earning his look, because that was specifically referring to the interactive dance mm-hmm. number, and it is a one-off experience. It is made better because it is interactive. It's not just a cutscene that plays out. But when we think about the spirit of this award, it's more about, like, justifying a full game mechanic rather than a one-off mini game yeah yeah and also with the cargo drone you can put your spider bot a little mini bot that can get into vents and things and hack small areas you can put the bot on top of the cargo drone move the cargo drone over into the base have the spider bot jump off hack something jump back on the cargo drone take the cargo drone and have it go out of the um, danger area and then just complete the mission like you can totally it feels like breaking the game they obviously allow you to do that Okay, sold. And I see Doug tried to cut Animal Crossing New Horizons Bunny Day, and I understand why, because <laughs> it fucking sucks, but <laughs> I still think it needs to be a part of this award. Really? Because it is central to the experience, and it is using the mechanics in a justified way, and it is fucking ridiculous, and so, because it lasted so long. So yeah, let's, let's, let's set the scene so, so we have it for... Or marked down for prospect for um for future generations it was the events that kicked off for easter but it's called bunny day it was no no yes it was for spring keep in mind this was the first event of this game. yes this the, was day the first Jesus holiday res- after the game came out so the first Sorry, like coffee. special event that the people of this game get to experience was this day yes where pretty much every single way you interact with this experience gets you a fucking egg yes so let me let me finish that off. It started off early in the game, and because uh, Animal Crossing March, launched in March, April, yeah. so a lot of people, also myself included, you're trying to uh, early game, especially for Animal Crossing, you have to uh, do a lot of material creation, you have to do a lot of crafting. But they put in this bunny day thing where you also get eggs from the same places you get crafting materials. So you could be chopping trees 
or um, bashing rocks or even fishing or getting things from the, uh, getting presents from the sky. And they would also give you eggs instead of what you usually get from those rewards. So if you're trying to go fishing for big fish or especially getting uh, wood and rocks and stone, instead you're picking up just crate loads of these fucking eggs. And all they're good what for... What you can do with these eggs is extremely limited. Yeah, you have to get all of the recipes and craft every one of everything from the recipe list and then get bonus recipes where where you can turn in eggs to make other eggs to make sure you can make the last couple of recipes on the actual day of. So basically on the Easter day, or I think it was just the one day. And what you get from that afterwards is a little doll that looks like the mascot that introduced this all, this whole hell to begin with, or, (laughs) or a wand that lets you change between two different outfits. But guess what? There's other ways you can get that same thing in animal crossing if you wanted to otherwise, and it doesn't change the function. It was bullshit nonsense from the from the jump so spencer my partner um i i, I have not played this game i basically just watched over my so- shoulder or that's my fine. partner's shoulder you've absorbed it through osmosis mostly and she's not a gamer she's not a person who typically plays games she was intensely frustrated <laughs> by this entire event this game that is inviting in people who do not typically play games she hated it she fucking hated it. It was absolutely yes. terrible. Now, the nature of the Commissioner Parker McMillan III Rogue Umpire Incineration Award presented by Hideo <laughs> Kojima is bizarre, one-off things um, in games that we want to see more of. Yep. Bunny Day is a virus. Yep. Bunny Day <laughs> reads like a error that they left in the game Yep. that they then... Every subsequent event, they toned down oh, yeah. to be more accessible. Lessons were learned. Yeah, how, like, Why would we want it, to celebrate this fucking awful thing, to your point? It's, it's not about celebrating, though. It's about Fuck recognizing Bunny the Day. absurdity of video games. And like, for me personally, this resonates so hard because my dad loves Easter. And Random. Every Easter, we would boil like two dozen fucking eggs and color two dozen eggs. And we would hide those eggs around the, well, he would hide those eggs around the house and my sister and I would have to look for them. And then what do you do with two dozen hard boiled eggs? You're eating fucking egg salad sandwiches for like the next week. And by the end of that week, you as a child are like fucking egg salad. Get fucked. I'm done with this bullshit. Why do you want to celebrate something that triggered you this hard? So the pain is the point. Tyler loves this because it forced everyone else to experience what he had to as a child. I thought, I thought we had the other category that was daddy issues the category. <laughs> I, I I just like this because it was a ubiquitous experience that everyone that played this game had. It was something that only video games can deliver because of the way that we are mechanically invested in these games. And it's something that resonated with everybody. So yeah. Even though it fucking sucked shit. It sucked. I still think this is a mechanic that makes it unique and it deserves... Okay. Fine, make it number three. Yeah. But this hangs more than fucking shit like eating the Pope, which is such a nuanced, oh, deliberate go. experience <laughs> that you have okay. to deliberately pursue to get to. Tyler, let me say in your defense... That a ubiquitous, unescapable, shitty experience is peak 2020. Yep. So I feel like on that alone, <laughs> Bunny this Day is, a... <laughs> is relevant. But this isn't the fucking 2020 
category, but I, I, I hear. Yeah, it is 2020, <laughs> though, so um, we're still here. Let me, let me. I'm not, t- I'm not saying it's a winner, but I'm saying it is in the trio. Let me take a hot second. about eating the Pope. So, so let me take a hot second to winnow down what we have from Blazeball. Blazeball Cares is actually like charity that people have done that are fans of the game in the name of Blazeball on Sundays when the, the league is usually off. That's kind of fun and weird and bizarre that it exists, but that's not the spirit of this. The actually, Doug, season, before you move on, before it, you move on. Baseball Cares, just to be clear, came from the fans, not yeah. from the developers. Yeah. The developers incorporated it into the core product. And okay. so, like, giving back and choosing good charities and people to support, like, um, what's her name? Uh, There's someone running for LA City Council who Baseball, like, got behind as yep. part of this Baseball Cares thing. And, like, she won. And, like, there's some really cool, like, real world stuff happening with, like, fan bases engaging with important real world shit. But, and so, even though Baseball is, like, a colossal, stupid thing that I love. Like they're doing really good stuff, and I think that's a really surprisingly positive thing in games. Yeah, just want to make sure though. Did was this intended to be cut down? Because right now we just have the peanuts that's a contender. So, do we want to go through the rest? Yeah, of them? Doug is explaining. The I'm ones explaining what why what it is, and and then just just for posterity, and then we're cutting it down because it's not really mechanic wise. And plus, the peanuts is that's fair. The peanuts is staying, and that's mechanic entirely. Um, yeah, the end of season ten is when they fight and kill God. So go read up on that if you haven't yet, but it's it's bizarre and, and amazing. Um, the Forbidden Book is the rule book behind the whole thing, and opening it caused this like story to start, and is also just amazing that you have this sports rule book with redacted sections. So I don't know, it's it's a bizarre, strange thing in and of itself. But peanuts were introduced, and then people figured out ways to hack or to give themselves more which caused the the game creators as DM to say, no, we're not going to allow you to do this, and made some players then, uh, what was it, allergic to peanuts? And it also became (laughs) the god of the game. So at first you're trying to eat peanuts because that could be a way to to have penance and get out of this terrible... Like each of the players, so myself or Nick or anybody else signed up, you could buy peanuts through the in-game shop, and then I'll just do a clicker, like an individual clicker to say I'm eating one at a time, or two at a time. Eventually, though, they became offerings to the hall monitor, the good god, and ways to then say, okay, I want this player who's deceased to get up the ranks or down the ranks. And then those players became the ones that beat the god at the end of Season 10. So it is entirely the mechanic of the game. It's one of the things that you spend the in-game coins on. It's one of the reasons you buy in-game coins. But it's just amazing that it went from... Like you can go look up the details on the wiki because it'll do a lot better job of explaining it than I am now. But it, it, it is part of the core mechanic of this thing, and it's bizarre. I see Tyler's just going for uh, setting the category winners here. Yep. Seems like sabotage. I mean... Tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Doug, well, Doug sold me on Peanuts, and I was already on board with Peanuts. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, extremely sold on Peanuts. Yeah, it's fine. I... I think I'm uh, only salty. So, no, no yeah. pun intended. Because the whole thing, baseball. I didn't play it. I didn't get it. It feels like one big in joke that I just don't really want to care about. That's I all like I will either, say. That's all I will say about baseball. And I'm not saying. Sense. I'm not saying that it shouldn't play somewhere. I just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> like you kept ragging on Paper Mario for about 40 minutes of the podcast. So I kept I mine to about 30 that. seconds. Uh, since we didn't discuss it. I'll just go for note it. that with Crusaders, Crusader Kings 3. I didn't experience this moment. 
I haven't played enough of the game to have a moment. There were lots. It's a game of moments and ridiculous moments. Um, but this was one that made the news where the the person who did eat the Pope went through a whole long <laughs> process, as Tyler hinted at, <laughs> to make that happen. But I do feel like because that is a game where you can. I said it earlier, a chef can serve babies to your court and you can like (laughs) blackmail your son um, into just, there are innumerable permutations of fucked up Kojima-esque things that you can do in Crusader Kings 3. There's not one that I have to celebrate, so I just picked this one that had made the news. But it is kind of fucking amazing that you can have cannibalism as a trait and get to a point where you can set up this whole domino effect of eating the fucking Pope. Like, that's pretty funny. That seems to be in the spirit of this. But in fairness, I didn't play it. I didn't experience that. I don't know if that kind of disqualifies it, but it's just something and, worth mentioning. And similarly, the moment from Yakuza Like a Dragon, um, there's a scene as a side story where uh, a non-Japanese character is trying to ask for directions. And, of course, because Like a Dragon for the American and Western releases has an English language voice acted version, they they got leverage or they got the ability to reanimate parts of the scene just for the English language version to kind of play and know that they know that this is weird and this is happening in the same language. Um, Whereas if it's in Japanese and this guy is speaking English and you don't understand, so the characters are speaking Japanese, then it plays out differently. So it's, that's just a fun little Easter egg more that for, for real fans, but yeah, I think what we have listed right now with Animal Crossings, with Riding the Drone and Watch Dogs Legion, and then Peanuts and Baseball, I think those are probably the three we should go for. Yeah. Also, um, if we do keep uh, Animal Crossing there, I think we should change it to Fucking Bunny Day rather than Bunny Fucking Day, as it's currently written, because that's <laughs> not an entirely ca- different mechanic. Let's just call it Bunny Day. <laughs> yeah. And just avoid any scrutiny from... No Anybody. additional adjectives. The judgment yeah. can come I'm trying not to get canceled this year. I'm fine with baseball winning. So, I want to say one more thing about Yakuza. Um, I love games that find ways to like do really stupidly like effusive shit. Like Yakuza has four butt action prompts on the screen. They spell it Sega, and it's only because someone <laughs> tweeted and was like, "Oh man, you could almost spell Sega if you change this one word to this other word." And then they did it. No, it's and it's it was so good. You know who you know who tweeted that at the the uh, the translator for Yakuza? Mm-mm. That who was it? It was John Ricciardi, who was a translator with Eight Four. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Because because yeah. I'm surprised you didn't nominate the very fact that Yakuza Like a Dragon is a JRPG, and they justify that in the game by saying. Oh, he liked. He grew up liking Dragon Quest. He <laughs> perceives the world as a turn-based RPG. I, I feel like if we both had gotten farther in this game, there probably would have been more, more scenarios here, more things to talk the, about. Just unfortunately, we didn't get to. The best part about it is that originally they put out the JRPG screenshots on April Fool's Day, <laughs> before they announced the game. Well, didn't they make the game because they got such a good reaction to that April Fool's joke? Not hundred percent. They were already sure. making the game. But they made know. it a JRPG because of that reaction. I don't know for sure about that, but I know that they did put out a, a JRPG-style screenshot, and then it turns out that's the game. Just <laughs> basically, I've heard like people on J- Japanese translator Twitter uh, talking about uh, it, but that could be like one of those urban legends that has just spread to the point that it's become the the, the true story. Yeah, yeah. No clue. Basically, if you want to have fun and you never played a Yakuza game, this is a good one to play. And I thank you, Doug, for insisting. 
we play it over the years, and it's worth playing. I'm definitely going to finish it. I just didn't get to finish it before game of the year. Yep. So, all right. All right. We've got our finish for the <laughs> Commissioner Parker <laughs> McMillan the Third Rogue Amalgamation Award presented by Hideo Kojima. Um, the Peanuts event in baseball um, with runners up drone riding in Watch Dogs Legion and Bunny Day, the dreaded event from Animal Crossing's Bunny Horizon. Fucking Day. I hope they, I hope they, um, tin or I hope they lampshaded this year. I hope it comes around in 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 March or in April, and they make fun of that point. But yes, let's continue on with the next. Category. I imagine it would. We have three left. Uh, yes. Actually, it's five or Shit. four, five, um, five. Yeah. Next up, best storytelling. Uh, good games convey an essential experience. Oof, my words right now. It's because I'm eating. <laughs> um, what was the story that resonated most with us this year? You want me the to contenders are. Like we can want to read the contenders. Oh yeah, go ahead. Wheel, wheel this down. Go for it. So let me let me read uh, what we have well, here first. Hades, Blazeball, Disco Elysium, Kentucky Route Zero, Thirteen Sentinels, Aegis Rim, Wide Ocean, Big Jacket, Crusader Kings Three, The Last of Us Part Two, and Ghost of Tsushima. Now, what are we going to try to cut out of here quickly? We can drop Tsushima. Yeah, let's drop those two. I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's drop Crusader Kings Three. I I only kind of slightly want to defend it i haven't played enough again but because it is one of the most uh, one of the best emerging emerging narrative games that i've played and i know there are a lot of those out there and just because something can randomly generate a compelling story doesn't mean that it's the best storytelling but it does a really really good job of presenting fucked up scenarios and and making you think about how you will win coerce backstab people through the random character generation that it does. That's all I will say, but there is not a cohesive story other than you are trying to rule more kingdoms. So, and That's why we should probably cut baseball too. Yeah. In that I vein... Was, I was going to go to the mat to, for baseball on the justification well, that in reaction to the community, the developers then amend the narrative, change the narrative... And continue the emergent storyline. So that's active storytelling by the developers yep. versus you play Crusader Kings 3. Oh, this wild thing happened. So yeah. the, the like story... battlefield moments versus you are, right. like Doug said, is DMing the whole thing. Well, There's and, something really cool generally, about how baseball does it. Just, just to set the scene, uh, generally it's a week-by-week week thing. Because you would have the games of baseball happen. There would be things that the players so myself or nick would vote on that you want to see changed but a lot of times the it's not clear what the effect is going to be so it's one part making your choice of a kind of a choose your own adventure thing but also at the same time wondering what the overarching meta side is going to be as well and that's where things like the the peanut god or the cthulhu monster that was on your side kind of come or go or change things but on the, kind of the meta or the overarching story. But yeah, that whole back and forth week by week is really unique. It's really different. Yeah. I don't well, want to cut one, baseball. That yet. sounds dumb as hell. And two, it depends <laughs> on what you think of in terms of storytelling. Cause you guys made that dungeon master uh, comparison before. And so it's like, do you think of the game you're playing with your friends week to week where the dungeon master is skillfully reacting to what you do? 
Is that a better story than Lord of the Rings, which was deliberately crafted to tell a very deliberate story in a very deliberate way? I think I mean, it depends this how category, you has been, one direction. This category has been open to interpretation, um, delivery of story too. It has not just been this is the singular scripted story um, that is point A to point Z and it's done. Mm-hmm. I do think, even though baseball, I just earlier had said like it feels like an in joke that I just don't get. In this category, I think it deserves more scrutiny and perhaps a win just because the whole enjoyment of it, from what I'm hearing from Doug and Nick, has been the way it does engage players and use a new way to do storytelling through the crowd in games that I haven't personally seen or heard of before, or at least it enhances similar ARG or whatever type of kind of versions that have been done throughout the years that... You know, if you look at baseball when it started to where it is now, that is a, a story and an arc that just was completely unexpected and used different tools and participation to do that, I think, in a really compelling way. Yep. I, I want... Hey, Ray. Anyway, hold on. I have a thing to say here. Um, I don't like baseball. I think it sucks shit. <laughs> it's the worst sport. It should be banned. Just on... Grounds of being stupid and full of like people I don't like. Okay, wait till you see cricket. <laughs> I actually, but we here's can the agree thing. that here's... shuffling is lawn bowls. Okay, so here's the thing: I actually don't hate baseball anymore because of baseball. <laughs> but here, so this is best storytelling, not best story. Yeah, we have this conversation I think every year, and I, I really think that point is crucial here for this game in particular because. It's about how the story is told and the impact that it has, not necessarily on like what is the story itself. If it's best story, Disco Elysium wins this probably for me. But if it's best storytelling, there's something really there's something really elegant about the way that like the developers and the fans of Blazeball are working in such lockstep to just keep moving in unexpected directions, but like committing so well to cohesiveness throughout. Like um, my my partner and I have been like really glued to Blazeball. Uh, she's like really into baseball already and like was really unexpectedly unexpectedly drawn into this thing she was a baltimore crabs fan they ascended it's a whole thing we'll talk about that later it's very sad for her but it's good for the crabs uh and like but like every week we just be like oh my god did you see like this thing got enacted and now the game is going to change this way or did you keep did you see that like this person got like shelled we didn't talk about shelling but they get (laughs) stuck in peanut shells anyway it's a whole thing um and i was just so like week to week, month to month, like I just was so enraptured in this stupid story because I literally did not know what the bounds were. And there's just such a playfulness, but also like such a real deliberate control and kind of like a, a, a pact between the people who enjoy the game and the people who make the game to commit to finding the right middle ground. And so like, if anything, it's like a really, the best example I can think of as of like D&D style DMing at a massive scale. It's like a really, really incredibly well done example of how to like keep fans and the the developers in like in collaboration yep i think there are three of us it reminds me of uh twitch plays pokemon where memes stories and narratives were crafted by the community as a result of what Hmm. was happening in twitch plays pokemon but the developer 
contributed very, very little to that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and right. Pokemon is still within the confines of you're playing Pokemon to get to the end of the Pokemon story, but I, I know what you're saying, Tyler. Whereas, so I think I'm not saying it's a one-to-one comparison. Yeah. I'm just saying the spirit of it. But for yeah. now, I feels like there's enough of us to keep Blazeball in the running for this. Yep. So we, let's move on to other Ugh. ones. Let's cut 13 Sentinels. I just haven't played enough. It might actually have won this if I had or placed on it, but I just I can't say that it will. I feel like the four, I don't know. What do you think about White Ocean, Nick? Because um, to me, that seems like that is a best story, to your point, and not just storytelling. But, it, I mean, it tells, I love this, mm. the story. I don't know if the storytelling supersedes even Hades, let alone Disco and Kentucky Route Zero, and now Blazeball that we're considering. I'm a little bit torn on this, because I think that the way the story is told and paced out, and the beats when they hit are great, but the yeah. way you kind of like proceed the story, like, you know, it feels a little bit divorced from what you're doing. Like mm-hmm. the hike, the hike between the couple, I thought was really good. The bird watching, I thought was really good. But those things are not necessarily part of how the story is told. They're, they were kind of like incidental, and you're kind of forced into them. Yeah, I love White Ocean Big Jacket. I think everyone should play it. But I don't know if this is really a, the winner or even a top three. Yeah, it's hard because right. I think you and I are both saying we love the story, but mm-hmm. it also doesn't feel like it is a winner here. Oddly enough, I don't so. Yeah, there's great moments in it. It's beautiful. It's a good story. But I I just I look at Disco Elysium, I look at Hades, which you haven't even talked about yet. Yeah. And Kentucky Route Zero, and I just I don't and disco and baseball. Oh my we god. Can, we can I think we should drop White Ocean then and move yeah. on to the others. Okay. So once again left for the force and one to cut, three to place. I, I mean, think so. I want to hear Hades. Sorry, go ahead. Spencer. Hades is a winner for me because if you're saying that this is about the way the story is told and not about the story as a complete narrative, then this is Hades' category because mm-hmm. Hades as a full story is not that impressive. Uh, but the way that Hades dishes out its narrative, the way it justifies its narrative, worked extremely well for me because it's the only roguelike excuse me, Rogue Light, I've ever played that actually made any kind of genuine effort to justify the cycle. The cycle of doing a run, of dying, repeating the cycle. And the fact that the story is actually a meaningful part of the experience, which is also not something I've ever experienced as part of any sort of Rogue Light experience. Like the, the last one that really left a mark on me was dead cells and i could not tell you what the fuck happens in dead cell story (laughs) but each like there are so many different characters in hades and every run you're unlocking pieces of their story and you're unraveling parts of zacharias's relationship with them whether it's people that live in the underworld or whether it's the gods and so even though like i wasn't necessarily drawn to wrap up hades or zacharias's story or his quest I wanted to see more of his interactions with those people, and I wanted to see how those individual character arcs uh, resolve themselves. And, it, and yeah, to... it was because it would be in between runs that made that experience more worthwhile and more interesting. It's pretty well documented that I typically hate this genre um, because I don't prioritize just the mechanics and the memorization and the skill checking. Like it just it's not fulfilling 
to me and never has been in these types of games. Um, Tyler, like, destroyed Dead Cells, um, and I know that Nick has a propensity for some of these. If you go back to Rogue Legacy and others, like, these are games that both of you, many of which you have liked or completed in whatever way you can. Um, this The story does matter to what Tyler said because I wanted to finish it and I ended up doing it. I've just only done one run and I felt like that was fine for me. But yeah, the, the, the trappings here to keep you involved and interested for the average player that normally couldn't give a shit about this or just is frustrated by the um, mechanics and the unforgivingness. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a monumental thing. And I'm sure there were a lot of people um, out there that wouldn't normally care about these types of games, but felt compelled to continue because of the characters, of the interactions, of the little side beats and things here and there. So the way it, I don't know if that means that this is more of a mechanical benefit. I'm not saying that the story also wasn't good or interesting and the characters weren't interesting, but I'm, I'm just not sure if storytelling well, is the thing here that made me keep going, or I just really liked the characters and the way they had the dialogue and the script and all of that. It has to be both, Aaron, because Hades functionally has essentially three different endpoints, which one is the first time that you succeed, which is what you've experienced. Uh, and But then you see that there's a lot more to Zagreus's personal story after that. Uh, the second ending comes after you have basically ten clears uh, of the run. And you see what is ostensibly the uh, end of Zagreus's uh, story. And then there is one that occurs much later down the road. It's not quite as full, but it's more of an epilogue that occurs, I want to say, probably because it's not based on clears. It's based on a different mechanic in the game, which is giving uh, nectar and ambrosia to characters and building your bonds with other characters. And that probably will take you up to, like, it took me about 50 clears, probably over 100 runs to get to that point. And... Even though, like, I wouldn't have kept doing it if it was not a mechanically sound game, if it wasn't a game that I enjoyed playing. Mm. But I didn't keep playing it because it's mechanically interesting. Like, that was something I did for Spelunky, but it wasn't something I did for Hades, because once I finished that epilogue, that was probably when I finally felt satisfied. That I had seen enough of that story, and I had played enough of that game to where it's like, okay, I can, I can move on to other experiences now. I still like playing the game, but I don't feel the need to like make that leaderboard or yeah. get all like the 32 skulls or whatever that are possible from the path of punishment or anything because it wasn't the mechanics per se that kept me playing that long. It was seeing the way those relationships progressed. Yeah. I, I will say that as someone who thought that I would just get through one clear before game of the year, and then I just found myself being like, oh man, no, I gotta keep going. It wasn't just the mechanics, although those really start to open up in a really nice way once you get the pacts and the different uh, aspects of the weapons and things. It was really the story and the way that it just really started to go deeper uh, from that point and the way it was interwoven with the mechanics that really kept me so glued to it. And it's why, like, as I sit here, I'm actually thinking about, like, oh man, I really want to get that epilogue. Mm -hmm. So... Um, so it sounds like Hades definitely is in contention for now. Yeah, of course. I, I, I think I think Hades hangs, and I think uh, Blazeball hangs. I I feel like these are the four games that are 
in very different ways the best examples of storytelling I've seen yeah. this year or maybe in recent years honestly it'll be a hard cut to get to it's the hardest one for me I mean I don't know enough about Kentucky Route Zero but based on what I played up D- Disco I don't know how you cut that yeah Disco's Disco is so nuanced and so responsive and so incredibly impeccably written and it's so like imaginative dialogue, especially selectable dialogue in mm-hmm. role playing is a dragon that games have been chasing basically since like the first RPG and I don't think I've ever played a game that does it as satisfyingly as Disco does yeah. and you think about the way that ideas work in that game you get an idea in your head and you spend time thinking about it and then suddenly you can be like a communist or you can be like <laughs> you can have a what was it called like inexplicable feminist agenda or like your character <laughs> has no reason to be a feminist but you can just decide to be one and then like you got all these dialogue choices that reflect that and it's like it's actually like really fascinating as a mechanic to and think about it yeah when you think of games like Fallout like that stuff is either left to a class like a combat class or it becomes your headcanon. But Disco makes it makes the subtext text. It makes it so like, no, you have been speaking this way. These are the ideas that you've been pursuing. This is who you are. This is the character that you are becoming. Yeah. So it's not about re-rolling your stats or whatever. It's about what choices are you making? What kind of yeah. person are you? Yeah. Turns skill checks into an art form in a way that, you know, it was just satisfying to do that in some games, have a speech skill and you know, past that, but that was binary, right? You do or you don't. But missing a skill check in this game does not close many doors, and there are many others that can open based on those thoughts that you accrue and the ones that you choose to commit to and the identities that you form throughout. And, I mean, I could see, though it's slow burning for me, I could see replaying the game eventually just to try new things, Um yeah, so it is an interesting form of storytelling for sure. I don't know. It's hard to think about Kentucky Route Zero not placing, though. Yeah, um, we got to talk a little bit about how that works. Yeah, Nick, you finished it more recently, so and I know we're trying to avoid spoilers for Spencer's sake, but, I mean, how do you feel that it fits in the storytelling category? I think what Disco Elysium does for, like, incredible nuance and creativity and responsiveness to the player uh, Kentucky Route Zero uh, offers a kind of breadth of interactions and unexpected resonance of your choices throughout the entire thing. Like, uh, there's a character you can make. His name's Carrington, I think. Uh, the guy who wants to put on the the theater production. Mm-hmm. I never met him the first two times I played Act One. He's I found him on my this playthrough though, and he shows up over and over and affects the story in a really substantial way. And if you play Act Five's epilogue, he shows up there too. Um, and but the big thing for me here is um, how it plays with the way it tells a story. It just is constantly reinventing it. There's a part where you explore two different two characters on an island in Act Four, talking about stuff, and you, there's a split dialogue box the whole time, and you progress them however you want to. And then there's certain points where they come back together, and then they split back up. And then there's like Act Five, which is like it decides to tell a story from a fixed point of view, and in whatever order you want and like the progression is not denoted by like you know in the same way that it is in other parts of the game it's by like environmental cues lighting cues where people go to you know the game is constantly constantly interrogating how a game can tell a story that's pretty much like what the substance of kentucky red zero is and so in my mind the best story the best writing was disco elysium the best storytelling 
is Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah, the constant shifts of point of view, character, um, the playing mm-hmm. with format and storytelling. The interludes. Um, the interludes all are different. All, all different, all experimental, but service the overarching story, um, which I to the point that I think that I know that the package, the TV edition or whatever, has them. But if you had like, if you never got to try the interludes between each act, you would be missing actually um, the majority of the game by not having experienced those. So they add to it. But yeah, it feels like one big art um, installation, which can sound heady and elitist and unapproachable, but it's still all services the experience and the story that you complete by the end and the satisfaction there. Um, yeah. It's still very firmly art for the people, though. This is not an elitist game. Right. For what it's worth. For me, this category is Hades, Disco, and Kentucky. And honestly, the order there is not nearly as important to me. But all three of them have a story that they are trying to tell, and I think they deliver it in more satisfying ways as a interactive experience than yeah. the whatever the random nonsense that baseball i mean again i thought the the argument for baseball is really strong and i don't want it to i don't i think it could stand here but it does feel like the other three are stronger i but i don't know the two baseball guys are kind of the ones to really either push for it being somewhere here or to drop it i think you somebody once got tyler tickets to an improv show and he spat in their face (laughs) (laughs) like what you got I was going to say, the, the point that you just made is actually the point for baseball is that it's not random, it is interactive. So mm-hmm. what is happening is being chosen by the horde of democracy, but also is happening within the framework that they have. And it's clear that the developers had to build something a little bit midway through, but they got to tell an arc over 10, 11 game weeks and have it go weird places, but it became a coherent story based off of this collective group interactive storytelling it's interesting that what is the, the what fo- is the story Doug? what where are the baseball devs trying to say what's their message and capitalism <laughs> but like literally that's is kind that of what something the game's about. <laughs> that they're consistently delivering throughout the experience is that something that they're finding ways to keep interweaving into the way that games change or is every season just, hey, wouldn't it be funny? Or wouldn't it be cool if, like Spencer said, oh, I hate improv. And you know what? I don't hate improv, I just but don't I don't like think it. that improv is good storytelling. Hmm. I think it's good comedy. I don't think it's good storytelling. I think it's improv in such that you can choose different routes. You can choose how to use that tool or how you can use whatever the decision is. But it's not random, just wackiness, zaniness. There's there's options that the developers put out there, and it's on the players, the fans who are participating to choose or to try to make a choice on what direction they want to go. Players have banded together to make it so that, try to make it that the, or they did make it that the entire pitching staff for one team was shelled, which then the developers brought something <laughs> in separately, and that 
became a player and a character throughout the rest of the yeah, few seasons. There was a new player named Pitching Machine. <laughs> they literally put a pitching machine on the team and made it pitch so that the game would still function. It's it's pretty and remarkable that we have like but, four but this is we have four games that experiment with story and storytelling this year. That these are all different, but they all challenge what is the story and some of them have traditional stories but the delivery is actually i think what we're arguing over here i think more than just the story itself i think what i'm what i'm hearing from tyler is he thinks this doesn't have a story and that it's some form of fantasy sports with wacky names on it and something behind there it's more than that it's not a traditional story that is written out with a beginning a middle and an end but there are options that the developers have provided and they've but that's what's remarkable about it i'm on board with that They've, yeah. they've written a narrative that. around that. They've written or okay. something around that. So, Aaron, Nick, what do you cut? What are you what are you going to remove? I mean, I cut I cut Hades. I, I think cut that's, Hades. That was okay. my clear because yes, it does make me care about trying to finish at least a run of a rogue light like whatever. But I in the end still really I didn't feel as remarkable as the rest of the games here personally. I would actually here's honestly, what I'll say. Give give us a fourth slot and put Blazeball as that fourth runner up slot slot and shut me up and Splot. talk about which one wins. That's on that's on on brand. I actually was going to argue for maybe we should make a fourth slot for this too if anyone wanted that. But because for me, it's got I think Kentucky Route Zero wins this. I think Disco is a strong number two, and then I honestly would go either way. I'm like fifty fifty on Hades and Blazeball because I think they both have very strong merits here. I think I think these are equally strong, but they have different reasons for being strong that we've laid out Does i don't it... want to give us an out and have four i think we have to do three yeah i think that ties are a coward's way out and like kissing your fucking sister and i'm not here for it if i'm going to fail then i'm going to fail but no we're gonna we're gonna hash this out we're gonna figure out who's who's gonna be the number three is it gonna be hades or blaze let's just spencer what, what, what you got uh-uh. i'm uh for starters muting that idiom because we're trying not to get canceled this year um <laughs> beyond that oh jesus like i personally was on board with adding a slot nobody's holding a gun to our head here I know. like we make the rules this is a prison that we build for ourselves functionally so if we want to crack the door a little bit i frankly don't care i think that's fine and if you it's want to be, want to be an absolute rule stickler we're kind of cracking the door for disco elysium because it didn't come out this year we're kind of cracking the door because kentucky route zero finally finished this year it's our own fucking well, okay, thing that's... we can change the rules if we want we've to. always we've always said that the year an episodic game finishes is when it can be in consideration so yeah that there's runner up to a disco elysium and runner up to b yeah um <laughs> Frankly, we just everything that Tyler hates about baseball, I personally love. I think that, yes, it, it maybe goes outside the bounds a little bit of what a video game really is or what a story really is. But the fact that it is that interactive fiction, that it is this bizarre pseudo-collaborative process, um, I think is fascinating. And it it's, to me, the perfect marriage of uh, emergent narrative Yes. which story people hate and guided narrative, um, mm-hmm. which I don't know, really linear stories. I have a hard time with. So, and, it, it, and this is a year that for me, I tried fantasy football for the first time. And <laughs> when you think about sports, there's always the undercurrent in sports writing about what's the narrative, what's the story, what's going on there. Sports has a story. Sports is random. 
There are narratives that are appended to sports dynasties and wins and losses. So story has always been a part of sports. And then to take the idea of sports and toss it to the wolves and have this kind of community participation and an emergent narrative, I think is a mechanic that makes baseball interesting in this year in this category. Um, but yes, I would prefer the traditional, somewhat traditional narratives and delivery of Kentucky and Disco. And I just think Hades doesn't hang strong enough for me here. That's my piece. I'm still cool with making a 2A and 2B for runner-up yeah. or 2 yeah. and 3. If that's what we want to do, that's fine. And we like, had... 2020 fucking sucked. No, we, no, we, we I'm, can do I'm, this. All, I'm over it. Hades is out. We cut Hades. Fucking <laughs> baseball wins. Doesn't matter. It's not going to be the top spot anyway. It's just going to get... Oh, baseball didn't win. Goal. I don't think anybody's saying baseball. No, no, baseball no. no. Did, Kentucky Route Zero won. Moving on. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll make my beef with baseball even more clear as we can. Yeah, we're gonna have like an hour on baseball when we get to the top ten. There's a so. there's an yep. there's an indicator at the top of my screen that says Tyler will, will remember that, and I'm just like really freaking out about this. <laughs> I'm going full on like SimCity. Like you're gonna regret this. I mean, if we if we want to play our democracy, we had three people vote for giving an extra spot for baseball. If you want to have Hades be the two A to that baseball's two no. B, I'm not even Doug. Shut the fuck up. It didn't. No, we're having two runners up. Blazeball is one of them. You won. Let it go. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Let's move on to our last three categories, and then and then we'll get to the list. Um, next up is most fun, a game that is simply enjoyable to play, independent of any greater message or narrative. Our selections for this one are Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One and Two, Hades, Star Wars Squadrons. Animal Crossing New Horizons, Spelunky 2, and Streets of Rage 4. Yo, I mean, Hades is on this list. Well, right. I mean, we love that game. We, we plainly love that game. Just saying, yeah, we can put you Hades can be, on this list. You can stick with the game and enjoy it without me thinking it's the most fun thing i played this year. Which, to me, from this list... I, I mean, I put Squadrons on there. I know we kind of feel divisive or nick didn't like it but and i haven't played that much of it but it's really fucking fun the actual dog fighting to me um so but i could see that being cut i don't know i think tony hawk is like if it wins no other category i know we have to talk about remakes i mean it's still fun even after all these years and the way they recaptured that like who didn't enjoy themselves when they were playing that even if you played an hour of it two hours 20 minutes it's still one of, it works, even in 2020, um, and it was just a lot of fucking fun, and I really had a ball. By God, they did it. it. By God, they did it. They pulled it off. Frankly, I put Squadrons up there also, and yeah. I say that because... I have, it, I have Squadrons as well, and it... I did not expect to react as well to it as I did because I was never a TIE fighter guy, but I was a um, Factor 5. Rogue Squadron. Rogue Squadrons. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was more into the arcade side, but I thought EA, or specifically EA Motive, who made the game, I believe, mm-hmm. um, did a really excellent job of making that cockpit experience uh, very approachable because I'm not dipping my toe into the multiplayer, but for the single player experience of piloting a Star Wars ship 
I thought because it's so focused and so contained, the mechanics that they deliver on are very enjoyable. It does a really good job of giving you that exact experience that you yeah. want. Do they give you the yeah. bleeps and blurps that you want? It's got to have the bleeps and blurps. And I will... You got to get the asteroid theme song in there at least once. <laughs> I know Nick's uh, the odd man out here. Yeah, I, I don't want to like. I, I do not intend to diminish anyone's enjoyment of this game, but I will say that as someone who, like, Tie Fighter is probably my top ten of all time. Like that game just like flipped a billion switches for me as a kid, and I was really hoping against hope that I would be able to recapture a similar experience with this game. I bought it knowing it was going to be in VR. I was just really excited to finally like you know oh my god I'm going to be in the cockpit of a freaking like X wing or something like this is so cool. I just was so dismayed at how behind the times it felt in terms of its UI and communication of space and controls and like Eve Valkyrie had better dogfighting four years ago than this and to me and I just I just felt very disappointed it's granted I, I only played it in VR and from my sense that was a pretty half-baked VR implementation and I wish that I had like maybe read up on that more a little bit ahead of time to know to temper my expectations but since it was billed as a VR Star Wars dogfighting game I felt very let down by what I played so I was wondering if the VR did hurt the overall Maybe. impressions. Yeah, because I, I heard that the PS4 VR implementation was solid, and the PC VR implementation was very uneven. Like, some people were mm. perfectly four out of the box, some people, it was terrible. Which uh, makes sense, some... PS VR is one headset, one platform, and yep. then exactly. you've got 16 VR headsets on PC now. Exactly. Um as somebody who rode the line, because I played X-Wing, I uh, got TIE Fighter for my birthday. It never worked correctly on our family computer. <laughs> I even sent away for a patch uh, to LucasArts. They mailed me a patch on a floppy disk. God, sounds so old. Um, it didn't work. So I never got to play TIE Fighter when it, when it was relevant. Um, but I played X-Wing and I played Rogue Squadron. And to me... The campaign, especially, of Squadrons, rides that line perfectly, where, in some regards, it is very arcadey, uh, especially when you're dealing with, um, basically, unnamed enemies. Like, when you're not flying against an enemy squadron, it's just fighters from the other side, it has that kind of feel of, okay, they follow a pattern, and you go and engage and fight with them in the pattern, and so forth. Um, but then, when it comes to actually engaging in a dogfight with one of the other named characters, then you get that same sense of frantically adjusting your energy levels and trying to outmaneuver them and then losing them and having to get something between you and them and so forth. Strategy, um, yeah. Overall, I, I thought it was... Um, I, I wouldn't say it's the best space sim I've ever played. I wouldn't say it necessarily even is as good as some contemporary space sims. But the joy it was able to evoke in me very, very quickly, I think, was sublime. Because it was, it, it did, to an extent, take me right back to that day that my dad brought home the copy of the CD-ROM edition of X-Wing. <laughs> and I fired it up on the home computer. And it's like, oh man, I'm flying an X-Wing. Oh, this is so cool. And then having those same type of interactions again. Um, you get to not, have the Star Wars equivalent of fuzzy dice. Yeah, yeah. If nothing else, I am, I am hopeful that this, um, that that this is a starting point. That these franchises and this genre can really be returned to. Um, I'm just going to throw this out here. What if 
our three are Tony Hawk squadrons and Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. I'd be okay. Is Animal Crossing? I figured one of you guys would go for that because we've been so effusive about the world it inhabits and the play that you have. I figured all of you would think it was fun because how many hours you put into it. It's a wonderful game, but I don't know if it's fun, really, moment to moment. (laughs) It's a series of chores, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's more about inhabiting that world. Yeah. Now, granted, I'm not the person who played it, but it it's more escapism by being on your island. Versus any one specific activity on your island. The, the, it's a game that makes work really meaningful. Yeah, I think. and I think in a really cool way. So it's satisfying. we heard it here first. Animal fun. Crossing is not fun. Just take that. <laughs> it's, <not fun>. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a wonderful game. It is the best, probably the one, the best one of those games ever. But I don't. I would never call it fun, and I wouldn't call New Leaf, which I liked more, fun either. I just really liked it. You know. Yeah. My I, problem I'm is really that there's put all not... that time into it. I don't think there's enough to do, especially once you're forever many hours in like <laughs> we are by now. Like you can go fish, sure. You can go knock stuff out of trees, why sure. The end game is for me is just plugging in for like an hour a day. At it's most. Not. It's like real life. It's not really fun. It's just a series of tasks and chores that you have. But yep. you can still find some enjoyment. And, and then eventually you die. Listen, young kids, paying your mortgage is not fun. <laughs> um, so, so let's let's hear about. I think Hades was in, in contention, but um, what about Spelunky and Streets of Rage? Yeah, I'll cover Spelunky since I think I'm the one who played this the most, if not the only one who played it at all. Um, it is not going to place here, um, but it is in. It's. It's a Spelunky One was a very fun game if you're willing to be okay with just like feeling like shit a lot of the time because <laughs> those moments where you start to really get it are joyful. That game, like when you get a good run going, it's it is it is not just like excitement like in Hades where like oh man I'm gonna beat it. It's joy playing that game, and I think that it's just like Spelunky Two is just like okay let's add a bunch of new wrinkles and new permutations on the way you think this game is gonna unfold mm-hmm. and change the whole definition of progress in this game. And it does it with a very... The whole game is very whimsical, despite the fact that it like, is out to just absolutely Murder fucking you. ruin your life every time you play. So, it's just... It's making it sound like fun to Legends it. there, my dude. Oof. Okay, let's take it off the list. Oh, yeah, drop it. <laughs> Streets of Rage 4... That's all I'll say. Streets of Rage 4 is a throwback. It's really fun, <clears throat> and they do provide a lot more depth, both with different characters and how you use each character, but I, I didn't put it on the list. I wasn't thinking of it immediately. I put it on the list. Sound more tired, Doug. <laughs> what if I don't think Streets of Rage 2 is fun? I just never liked those games. Oh, well, if, if you don't like Streets of Rage 2, then yeah, you're probably not going to like Streets of Rage 4. Okay. Um, I put it on the list because this is a whole genre that has pretty much been dead and buried for like a dec- two, de- two and a half decades. Some might say for good reason. Pretty much... <laughs> I, like I mean, I, I guess if you want to be an asshole about it, yeah, sure. Yeah, I do. I do. But uh, the, it captures the essence of those side-scrolling beat-em-ups, and it modernizes it in a way that is tremendously satisfying. In a way that I haven't experienced probably since Castle Crashers. And Castle Crashers stood out partly because of the art style, partly because of Xbox Live and everything. But I never found Castle Crashers uh, satisfying to play by myself. 
but uh, I think that Streets of Rage 4, even without like any kind of like RPG system or real progression to it, the mechanics are satisfying enough that going through the levels uh, kept me going. And I'm, I was happy to see that someone understands what works about those games and created something that mechanically works on a level that I, I don't think it's going to be like the next Renaissance. It's not going to be a revival, but it's just saying like, okay, when we put in the heart and soul into this game, it still functions. It still functions. It still works. The what was mechanically sound back then is still mechanically sound now. It still so it sounds a little bit of a the only category that Streets of Rage fits in, I think, is fun. It is a fun game to play. How about we cut Spelunky to an Animal Crossing and we're down to four? Yeah. Alright. Um, it seems to me that well Nobody else talked about Tony Hawk to well, begin with, but it seemed like there were nods, so I feel like, is that one still at least hanging for now? We don't have to get into the whole diatribe yet. I thought it. we didn't talk about it, because everyone was treating it as a shoe-in. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think I, it I is. I was kind of assuming it's a shoe-in. I haven't played it at all, and I'm just assuming it's a, it's a fun I game. just don't know how it's not fun. It's not in this category. <laughs> like, it was a number... It was number three for me of the remainders, but then, after, then I heard you talk about Squadrons and what that was for you, and I'm like, oh, boo Tony Hawk. Like... I think Hades has to be here. I think like Squadrons has to be here. Well, for me, it's Tony team. Hawk, Hades, and Squadron. Or um, yeah, Tony Hawk, Hades, and Squadron would be the three that I would pick from. Just because I don't, Streets of Rage is not my cup of tea, but it doesn't mean it's not fun. I would probably do Tony Hawk, Squadrons, and Streets. Not in that order. I love a good brawler. I just thinking back on the number of brawlers I played, like. The notion of one that is compelling enough by itself. Because I played a bunch of mediocre to shitty brawlers because playing them co-op is fun. And you find your own fun then beyond that if you care to. Yep. Um, so the notion of a really well-crafted, really good one appeals to me. I, I like the sound of that. Um, I also think, like... <laughs> um, like we can only beg Supergiant to hire us so much. <laughs> like, like they're uh, not going to hire us. He's going to play so scouts on her up. So Nick, go ahead. I had nothing but fun with Hades for like thirty-five hours. That game was the most fun game I've played in a long time. I I never didn't have fun with that game, and I would I would love to hear a good argument of why it doesn't belong in the top three. Well, it's interesting too if we thought Streets of Rage. Squadrons and uh, Tony Hawk are all old games or established mm -hmm. old genres that would be represented. Not that that means that Hades should be in there, but I mean, th these are four hard ones, I think, um, even though I didn't play Streets of Rage. Like, I did, I did have fun playing Hades, but it wasn't, for me, the most fun. So that's kind of why I'm so-so on it. One of the reasons why the one of the reasons I stuck with Hades, despite not having a lot of experience with roguelikes and not and kind of bouncing off a few of them, is because everything about it plays so well and plays so sharp and plays so fun. But I'm I'm glad that they also put in God mode. They put in the training wheels for those that need it. Yeah. Because that has let me now that kept it fun for those hit, hitting that wall of challenge. Yeah. Though, actually, that expression on Tyler's face just there. <laughs> I'm honestly kind of thinking like. 
here's the deal. Realistically, and I, I have my own separate words to say when we get down there, but I assume Tony Hawk is winning Best Remake. Probably. I think we can take this off this list and, and push Tony Hawk getting I mean, yeah. a category down there. Final Fantasy I'm, I'm okay 7. with nixing it. Final Fantasy VII has an equal chance, or better, That's true. probably, for a remake, though. So I, Those I two are going to place, that. I think. No question. But... Mm-hmm. I just can I one last thing about Tony Hawk. I I 100% of Tony Hawk one and two on PS one. I love those games. I just devoured them as a kid. I fell off about three hours into one and two. It's the perfect remake. It's the perfect update. I just wasn't having that much fun with it after a few hours, and that's just me. But like, I'm not gonna go like unlock Officer Dick and like go to like get the tape on the fucking like Area 51. Not in 2020. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. We're spoiled for choice now. We don't really have to suck the juice out of games like we used to. Yeah. Sucking the juice out of Being Officer Dick. remake does hurt Tony Hawk. What I think gives it even any kind of edge in this category is that it is not just a straight remake. It is incorporating mechanics from future games yep. because it is trying to deliver the perfect Tony Hawk experience rather than just an exact recreation of Tony Hawk yep. 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that makes and, a stronger argument for better remake than most fun directly for what it's worth. Perhaps, yeah. But similar to Streets of Rage, what I think they're doing with Tony Hawk is showing you that like these genres that have fallen by the wayside, they didn't leave because they weren't fun. Saturation. They left because the right people weren't making them or because the idea was run into the ground. Yeah. Like, And th- those are experiences, especially in something like Tony Hawk, that survive on the fun that you have in that play yep uh, playtime like you would not we none of us would have spent the time we did on the original games regardless of this remake if it wasn't fun throughout the entire experience and yes i also probably have fallen off of the remakes um after i don't know six hours seven hours it's not because it's not fun anymore i think it's just that i deprioritized it but think of the whole new generation that is experiencing those games for the first time and the fun that they're having. So the fun is still there intrinsically. It still is a, val- a valid template, like Tyler's saying. Um, I still feel like it has merit in this category. Maybe it's not the most fun, but then what else goes above it? Would we say Hades is more fun than the rest of these, or even Squadrons, if we're trying to make that argument now? Or Streets of Rage, I don't know. I haven't played it, so... What is the most I mean, fun? Hades just scratches a very specific itch for me because I know Aaron, you said you don't like roguelites. I am very that is my crack to a certain extent, and I very much get in that like just one more run, one more. <laughs> Come on, man! And it is very easy to do. That. For for me, with most of them, it's because I don't get that clear because there is that challenge. For me, with Hades, though, it, I was. I got to a point where I was always clearing it, even when I added the packs of punishment, and I still had a blast running through it. And because, I mentioned before, like it wasn't just mechanics and it wasn't just story; it was the way that those two things worked together that kept me saying, "One more run." It was because I enjoyed the run itself, and I enjoyed the rewards I was getting for those runs, which was the little bits of story, the uh, and interludes between those runs, which made it this very satisfying. Loop. Well, I'll give up my my votes for this category. The estimate here is that we drop Tony Hawk. I think, you know, 
this is also a subjective category, what we each find the most fun. Um, I would think Tony Hawk would be the winner here, but if we want to drop it, it's okay. I don't really care that much. I don't know what to drop. It's it's very much like a Sophie's Choice for me. I think Hades and Star Wars probably just have to be here. And beyond that, we can vote. I Okay, so if we do that, why don't we just vote? Like, who votes for keeping Streets of Rage? I would, I would, I would keep it. And then who votes for keeping Tony Hawk? Doug? We, we can't see Doug. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for a cue. I would vote for Streets of Rage on this one. Tony Hawk's okay. really good, All but right. we know it's really good. We, we knew it was really good. Okay. Um, how about the order? I mean, I would like to see squadrons get some sort of comeuppance once, but for the just because it's not going to, I don't think it will make the top 10. I doubt that. Hades is going to get, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm thinking out loud. Does I, anybody object to squadrons being the first here, or is it Hades? I mean, I do, but I know I had the odd experience out here, and Hades is like one of the most fun games I've played in that decade. I, Personally, I have, a, I have a hard time giving Squadrons the top spot, because while I did enjoy it, I, I certainly didn't have the most fun with Squadrons, but it's a communal decision. Spencer? I personally favor giving Squadrons uh, the top spot, and that's only partially due to my agenda to get some type of arcade flight game uh, in the category awards. Well, why don't we do time. two and two and Doug's the tiebreaker? All right. I would lean with you guys for Star Wars Squadrons because I think Hades is going to place very, very, very high otherwise. We have its own fucking category, too, for yes, Thirst Trap. Coming so up. Like, come yeah, on. we're about to, we're getting to the Hades specific category. Best Star Wars Thirst Trap. Hades. Is Doug? it the B Wing? Is it the TIE Interceptor? Hey, hey, What's... hey. B Wing? B Wing is coming in a future update, okay? It's not in the game I, right now. I, actually, that update might have just dropped. All right. And, uh, yeah, no, there was a big old patch. Let's go ahead and pause this call. Let's go. We'll go check out the B-Wing. Put our flight suits <laughs> the on. The TIE Defender. <laughs> See how we feel about <laughs> it. Um, so. Hades and then uh, Streets in the... Ooh, Gold 5 standing by. So the winner of this category right. is Star Wars Squadrons, Runners Up, Hades, and Streets of Rage 4. All right. Let's move on to our final two categories. <laughs> uh, Only five hours in. Next is Best Remake. Because typically we exclude remakes from contention on the main list. This may be a year that that changes. But nevertheless, uh, more than a continuation, this is about bringing back an old idea and making it palatable to a contemporary audience. And on the list we have Demon's Souls. Don't know how long that one's going to hang because none of us played it. We can't um, get PS5s. It's impossible. <laughs> it's just not a th- it's not a thing they don't exist just like the geforce 30 series they're not a real thing only youtubers on them um final fantasy 7 remake trials of mana tony hawk's pro skater 1 and 2 black mesa saints row the third remastered mario 3d all-stars with in parentheses not really <laughs> um panzer dragoon fire emblem shadow dragon and the blade of light and I have a late edition on there that I'm going to really be giving you guys a pain in the ass for, but uh, the Command and Conquer <laughs> remastered that uh, mm-hmm. dropped this year. All right. Well, we have a, already have a good idea of who's going to be the top three, so I'm going to start cutting. Uh, 
I'll start with Demon Souls for the obvious reason that none of us played it. I just want to say that like I recognize the uh, technical prowess of Bluepoint, but Aaron and I disagree on their philosophy when it comes to remakes. Where I think that they are too slavish in some ways and not slavish enough in other ways. And specifically, I'm thinking about mechanics and art direction, where I think that they are a bit too much on the nose in terms of like how the games should play and the design of them and then they make some choices in terms of art direction and design that i don't really quite understand completely but I'll, since we're not talking about shadow of the colossus we're just going to go ahead and cut demon souls uh we're going to skip final fantasy 7 for now because it's a real heavyweight and it's going to be hard to knock it off uh trials of mana is a Super Nintendo game that was never released in uh, the West. Uh, this is a 3D remake of that, but it doesn't play like a like full triple A release in the year 2020. It feels like an HD remaster of a PlayStation 2 remake of a Super Nintendo game. If that makes any degree of sense. <laughs> Big oof. It's Crystal I was going to say, it's didn't still... it get panned? Pretty... No, no, it, it's it's very fun. It is definitely a B tier game, yeah. and it is fucking insane that Square decided to release it within a month of Final Fantasy VII remake. Like, what are you doing? You're cannibalizing your own audience there. But uh, no, it's very fun for what it is, and I do think it's an interesting remake. It's a very different philosophy than FF Seven, and I think Seven is more successful in that regard. But I do think Trials of Mana is worth playing mm -hmm. and is probably the most fun mana game. Oh, you should put it in the fun category. Really? Shit. Probably since... Legend? Well, it's it's not the most fun. It's the most <laughs> fun mana game in a long time. <laughs> yeah, Legend um, of Mana was the last really good one I played. I'm going to continue yeah. simplifying things for us here and withdraw Black Mesa from Contention. Oh, really? I didn't play um, it, but unless, I, I would have unless somebody wants, else wants to stand up for it, but like, I would I would talk with you about that. Okay, okay. In that case, I will not I, remove. I just it. put it just, on there because it was a notable remake this year, yeah. and I figured someone here would play it. it. Let's cut it, Mario. Yeah, let's cut Mario quick because that doesn't okay. deserve. Yeah, uh, let's, let's, I mean, yeah. I paid for up, it. Up so resing the original. Oh, I, I bought it too, and I'm having fun with it. But it's a piece of shit as far as remakes. Yeah. <laughs> it is the most like, like the it, least it's good effort because possible. it's Mario, but it's not good because the remake. Yeah. Yeah. It's a miracle that Mario 64 is still fun in 2020. But yeah, it's not like a great. It could be more fun if they had done more though. Yeah, and yeah. is is a is a remaster of Panzer Dragoon still even fun? I never liked that game. Like I know it, people love that shit, but it just still is I, I on love, rails shooting. Uh, no, I, I love Panzer Dragoon both as an individual game and as a series, but it does not surpass Orda from mm. the Xbox for me because I feel like it lost something in terms of the art direction. It similar to Blue Point, like it seems like they were just going for like we're going to make a really like high res version of this without really understanding the art direction of that series. So it, it's a little bit unsatisfying to me in that regard. Mm. But I think mechanically it still holds up. But yeah, we're cutting Panzer Dragon. If they put Panzer Dragon in order as an HD remaster or remake on Switch or PS5 or something, I would be all over that. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah. And we're also cutting Fire Emblem. I, I'm glad that Nintendo is doing this. I'm glad that they are taking NES games and adding features to make them more playable in the year of our Lord 2020. Because Lord knows if you just pop the original Fire Emblem on an emulator, 
you're like, this sucks shit. Why am I doing this? <laughs> but having the like save states, having like the rewind features, it, it just makes the whole experience better. It's where you can kind of go through, you can kind of revisit your past, but in a way that isn't wholly obnoxious. It's cool too to see Nintendo kind of like taking your childhood. Nintendo's also taking a page from like the Sega Ages playbook a bit with that yeah. of like yeah. going back to their classics yeah. and really trying to insert new features that really don't that, that enhance. And, I, I hope they do diminish. more of this. I hope they yeah. do a lot more. Let's all cross our fingers and hope if enough people buy this, Nintendo will actually localize Mother Three. <laughs> oh God, it's not even worth. The <laughs> it's hope. never going to happen. I, I don't know why people even get their hopes up on that one. But there's a great fan translation already available. Is yeah, and there was a fan translation of Fire Emblem too. Yeah. Somehow Nintendo still thought it was a good idea. Is... So Spencer, right. they made a Kingdom Conquer remaster. Can we drop Saints Row the Third? I was going to ask about uh, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody want to talk about Saints Row the Third remaster? No, yeah, I heard it. That. They did an amazing job with the 4K. Um, oh. Like, like as far as graphically, it looks amazing. I watched some mm. videos of it, and it does look great. But you know, I mean, it's it's a, it's not a. This is the best remake category, which also includes remasters. But I feel like it's it wasn't substantially but, revised enough to be like compared to the I rest. I think the remaster is actually not really appropriate for the title. Like I think they did themselves a disservice a disservice by calling it that because it's actually different assets. Like they they use completely new assets. Sure. So it actually, I'm just looks better. I'm just saying, like, compared to a Final Fantasy remake and a Tony Hawk, where yep. it is right. addition, yeah. addition added rather than assets. Me- mechanically, yeah. it is the exact same game, so yeah, it doesn't stay on. The but uh, okay. yeah, story wise, too, some of the beats and some of the stuff I watched, like, oh, that's right, it's from 2012, 2011. Yeah, <laughs> uh, not every part of Saints Row the Third Ages, no. even if it was fun at the time. Yep. Was that the one with the All Bonnie right. Tyler song in interlude? I need to hear yes, us. Yeah, yes. that was great. And that's still oh, yeah, that's also so good. the best use of Kanye West in a video game. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, also, the only that, good yes. legal ver- use right. of power by best Kanye West. Best use of Kanye West, period. Yeah. <laughs> Even From, more uh, than Kanye himself. Let yeah. me go ahead and climb up on my soapbox here. Go for yeah. it. Um, so, 20. Fuck, was it 17 at this point? Doesn't matter. Um, a few years ago, EA announced that with the Command and Conquer IP, they were doing a mobile game competitive mobile <laughs> hex-based RTS. Yeah. And Command & Conquer has a devoted longtime fan base. First game of that came out, what, 1996? Uh, it was one of the first games I ever saw with full motion video. Uh, it has a lot of people very heavily invested in it. EA announced this, um, this mobile game. People lost their shit. It's like... Why are you parading around the corpse of Command and Conquer in front of us this way? (laughs) And this is the weird part. EA actually listened and said, okay, clearly you didn't like that. What can we do to make it up to you? What what do you actually want? Was there not an executive in the room to... Basically, basically, I think they like locked the executives in a conference call with themselves uh, to just to keep them from being party to any of this. They snuck it in during the Battlefront uh, controversy, didn't they? Uh, this is EA they're... got so much bad blood in one year. This is one of the things they're doing. Like like squadrons, they're trying to get um, good press again, and they actually did it really really well. So remastered, um, they immediately established a community liaison, built a community council 
of people who are really devoted to the original Command and Conquer. Um, so th- the remastered includes CNC and CNC Red Alert and their expansion Ooh. packs. Um, they brought on Petroglyph, which is the studio made up of refugees from Westwood that developed the original Command and Conquer games. Had them handle not rebuilding a new engine, but building, uh, rebuilding the original engine to run well on modern computers with correct timing, with updated netcode. Uh, they hired the same studio. I think they're based out of Taiwan. I'm not 100% on that. But that did the art for the StarCraft remaster. Had them do all 4K art. Uh, did the Monkey Island thing where you can switch on the fly mm-hmm. back and forth between the original assets and the updated assets. Um, did a full remaster of the soundtrack. They brought on Frank Lepaki to re-record all of the original tracks. All of the original files they could find included those as well. So there's the original master and the remaster. Uh, they um, got the videos as up as they could. They uh, basically neural-engined it. So they don't look perfect, but they are they run in the right aspect ratio at higher resolution than they used to. They have stills from the production when they were originally recorded. Basically, they dumped the entire archives they could find of materials pertaining to CNC and CNC Red Alert. It's actually lucky um, they had so much material. Into this game. They did not charge full retail for it. I, I believe it was a $40 game when they brought it out. Uh, they added a multiplayer ladder. They collaborated with the open source Command & Conquer project. Everything they did on this game is a tribute to the franchise, to the people who love the franchise. It is the most thorough restoration effort, I think, that I've ever heard of regarding a game. So that's gotta be. Uh, I'm not even going to say it's... I'm not going to say it's the winner. I know I'm not going to win if I try to place it as the winner, but it deserves to be in the top three. I mean, if we drop Trials of Mana, we have three, because I think Black Mesa, someone struck out. But Spencer, do you want to talk about Black Mesa? I mean, here's the thing. It doesn't I seem like you're Black as passionate Mesa. about that. I'm really not, because I, I love Black Mesa. I think it got announced in, like, 2007. <laughs> it's been a while. Like, they've been working on it for a long time. Ultimately, it's a very good source mod. Yeah. And I respect it for that. I do not regret paying for it. I've enjoyed picking it up from time to time. But it is not revelatory. In the it's way, not, that it's not at that level. Also. I mean, it's uh, Zen. I heard they added more to Zen. Did it again? Yeah, yeah that's why it's more on, levels. Yeah. That's why it's out now. Is they finally finished Zen? Um, it's it's fine. It's fun to play. If you're going to play Half Life, I would say play that probably instead of the original Half Life. Yeah. But it's not definitely don't play Half Life Source. <laughs> don't oh, fuck no. Don't play Half Life Source. No. But I. Yeah, it, like everything around CNC remastered is way more significant to me, and I think is a better uh, yeah. example of what a remake is. I like that. Um, yeah, ten minutes ago I didn't know CNC remastered existed. Now I will die on the hill of this must be in our top three <laughs> for this category. <laughs> I think Spencer just made a case for Cameron and Conquer winning yep. this yeah. because I don't see Final Fantasy VII winning this. I think mm-hmm. it deserves to be nominated. Yeah, but in terms of a remake, it's such a misleading name because they deliberately went out of their way to recreate parts of that story enough to where it hits the beats that you want to hit but then by the end of that experience it's extremely clear to you that like 
we're done with that story. It's Final we're Fantasy VII something revised. new and different. Well, it's it's with those characters. It's kind of using it in the way that um, Evangelion has done because the the kind of side story movie series they've done for Evangelion, I think, is also a remake or it's using the word make in that regard, and that's kind of the parallel for this one for Final Fantasy VII, I think. So it's in the remake category more in the way that they managed to reintroduce those uh, characters, reintroduce that music, that atmosphere, that story, and they do it in a way that makes sense in a brand new experience. But if we're saying best remake, I don't actually think that FF7 is the best possible. It seems like it's... Because I don't actually think it's a remake. It's between Tony Hawk and I think Command & Conquer is a fair was a fair argument made i mean yeah grand conquer i'd be fine with taking the spot after that explanation from spencer but you know tony hawk i think we should if we want to mention that um comparatively like does it does it edge out command and conquer then in any way so i think just to give the propers for this tony hawk's pro skater one plus two they actually did it they actually made it so that it plays like the best version of three or four and it plays exactly how you remember it even I mean, I've gone back to the PlayStation versions of 1 and 2 in the past couple years, and they are a lot rougher than I remember, but 1 plus 2 plays like how you remember. And they've done a smart thing, which is providing kind of a meta layer. So you can do unlocks, you can do things based off of, um, like as, as another layer on top of all the unlocks per level and all the work with each character that you have. But I think what push so I, and I came into this of course extremely pro for Tony Hawk Pro Skater one and two winning this category. But Spencer draws a fine line under it, which is that I think they made Tony Hawk one and two as a way to in, reintroduce the series, like as a way to reestablish this as a product. But Command and Conquer is like a remake to keep this as an archive piece. Command and Conquer sounds like. The pinnacle of what I want these things to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's two different philosophies at play here. There's the rebuild something to make it fit the... Uh, to make it the best version of what you believe it to be. Uh, and then there's the restore it to a point that it is now accessible to a new generation. Mm-hmm. Um because, I mean, there, there's an element of that, for sure, in, in Tony Hawk. But it is also, like, the fact that it's 1 and 2, and it's the levels and characters from 1 and 2, and most of the soundtrack. And new characters. But and new... they made it play, yeah, and, and new characters and so forth. But then they made it play, like, 3 and 4, really illustrates that they're they're trying to make the best version of a thing, rather than resurrect the existing thing. Well, you can... Um, in, in fairness, they give you the option. So if you want to play one with all the moveset of one, if you want to play two with only the moveset of two, you can turn those toggles. And even soundtrack, Okay, right? and that, that's like, nice. That's good. But it's not the same thing as CNC it, yeah. Remastered. Like, I watched video about that, and like the install process, for example, you know that's that looks exactly like the install for the old school version. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. They upgraded <laughs> and did a, a whole new animation based on the original installer because Westwood used to have the wildest installers. It was oh really yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Nick, cool. So, and I think that kind of archivist mentality is something that deserves to be rewarded in games because the way that technology keeps evolving, so many games are falling through the cracks, falling by the wayside. So respecting these efforts to kind of preserve gaming history in a way that it just can't do as easily as things like book, film, music, 
is something worth championing. Especially coming out of the EA. Yeah. I know. They're, they're building up some goodwill uh, now that so they can will... completely yeah. fuck something up in a couple of years. That's, <laughs> They'll cash that that's in, in a few months. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do Command & Conquer wins it, and then I think, for me, a first runner-up is Tony Hawk and then Final yeah. Fantasy? Me too. All right. And for the record, we were talking about three philosophies of remaster, <laughs> or re- remaking. Yeah, whatever FF7 was. <laughs> Revision. So many different flavors. The revisionist history. <laughs> cool. Final Fantasy VII Remake, or the King James version of Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. <laughs> All, right. All right. Finally, we get to move on to the fun stuff. The reward is category. The best Hades <laughs> yeah, the best Hades thirst trap. Oh, boy. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right. The description so here we'll... is, which character made you think of Genuine's pony when they came on screen? <laughs> All right. So... Sorry, Two ahead. questions. Why does this category exist? And why is it Artemis? Tyler is <laughs> Tyler is horny. No. Horn. Um, Perpetual. <laughs> um, well, the kind of, you know what? Here's the category I don't have a fucking opinion on. This is amazing. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron is so Aaron's not just horny. terrified He's that just... someday his son will listen to this and... <laughs> find out what his dad's specific fetish is oh no i'll, I'll tell him all that um <laughs> he's five i think is the appropriate name. Oh my God. Um, we're not going to cancel this year <laughs> what, what makes artemis a socialist i, I think I was making, just go, doing the I, obama thing yeah oh i see oh yeah. i get it now yeah like that that great thing that just happened okay um uh I love how Hades and Zeus are next to each other with parentheticals that read literal daddy and everyone's daddy, respectively. <laughs> well, because Hades There's is some zaddies. your player character's dad and Zeus. Yeah. I mean, go read the it's history. everyone's. Yeah. I mean, it can't be Zagreus because that's two on the nose, right? Yep. Yeah. He, 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 he's a milk toast at best. So oh, he, he milks toast. That's for sure. No, he's, We're he's in this category guy. now. This is all welcomed. So. <laughs> Horny is not not permitted. It feels like Mega has really taken off. Certainly Chaos. for the people with the Dom sub fetishes. Absolutely. She's even got the the whip and the heels. She does. I would say Chaos is sexy pony. in the way that uh, being scared can be sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Fear boner. Yeah. yeah. I, don't oh, know what, I don't know what it is about Chaos, but they just managed to be like really terrifying but also very like approachable <laughs> yeah <laughs> much like real life chaos i mean so it doesn't does uh Di- does dionysus get in here i mean he seems like more of a bro but not like in a thirsty way i mean he's he's a drunk he's, he's fun actually i would say dionysus is more of a himbo but i would be letting my gay friends down to exclude sisyphus who we currently have labeled as a himbo because Sisyphus is a big, plush, friendly guy. He's the bear. He's, the... he's, he's quasi-bear. He's, he's a bit of a bear, yeah. 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 He's... His best friend is a non-sentient boulder <laughs> that he is doomed to perpetually push up a hill that he is affectionately named Boldy. Which, oh, yeah. You can give Boldy nectar. You can. Which means that he's and, cut. Yes. <laughs> like, he, he, may be, he may be plush, but he's very strong. 
So who's the dolphin then of these options? So is Boldy probably Zagreus? Yeah, or Poseidon. I mean, that's probably <laughs> out of the suit. I just saw what was written next to Poseidon. <laughs> yeah, wet, wet, wet ass Poseidon. What do you think of? <laughs> We're also ignoring uh, Aphrodite right there as well. She's, she's I think that's obvious. a little too on the nose. She's yeah, much yeah, too yeah. obvious of a choice for this. Yeah, yeah. I think I think she she overreaches and doesn't really successfully create like kind of a a classic thirst trap. Not in the same way that like I don't know, like you have like this sort of like tsundere thing going on with like Thanatos, you know? Like <laughs> you have to stay away. But oh, actually, come over here. Yeah. <laughs> this list is forgetting Achilles, by the way. Achilles, I I think his story kind of affects his ability to be a thirst trap because <laughs> you're so bent on reuniting him with his actual lover, which is Patrocles. Mm-hmm. I like Chaos on this list. I feel like one is Meg, just because... If you haven't watched did. it, check the tweet that's linked as the inspiration for Ares. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah let's, let's go ahead and just fuck it up has. my search algorithm here. Yeah, Give you a minute. That's a real good video. Yeah, I mean Zeus. Zeus is Zeus can't win it because he's just, no, you know. no. That's also too on the nose. <laughs> yeah. I'm cutting uh, Demeter because I just wanted an excuse to use the word gilf, which you will at any. We are trying not to get canceled. <laughs> We're trying very I mean, hard to not get canceled. That's not cancelable because there can be grandmas or grandpas you'd like to fuck. That's that's okay. true. That's, that's not King Shane. That's a cancel. I think I think Demeter is actually a really cool character. I think they did a really good job of portraying her. Cool character, but not a thirst trap. No, no. Not everyone in this game. I mean, virtually everyone in this game is very clearly meant to be one, but I don't think she's meant to be a thirst some trap. type of thirst trap or another. Yeah, yeah. Zeus is just if such. If I'm annoying... trying to like look at like the best example of like thirsty mommy issues, it's definitely Nyx. Yeah. Oh, oh, by by a country mile. <laughs> I just. I just love how snarkily dismissive of me Artemis is. That's just, that's my shit. <laughs> yes. I'm that's the kind of that. woman that, well, in uh, a straight male's case, a lot of us chase. <laughs> I mean, gonna... um, Eurydice <laughs> is the Erika Badu that none of us will ever actually find. Oh, I, 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 Eurydice wins this for me by a country mile, but I know as a category... She's not. Is she the one with the ice, best ice powers? No, Eurydice is Orpheus's uh, lover. She's the one that like makes you special. They find an ass in the in Yeah, oh, she's like yes, 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 yes. Okay. She's got the kind of like tree uh, fro going. Yeah, yeah, she's like a she's dryad or something, right? Wood nymphs or something. Yeah, there we go. Who? And nymphs. I like Artemis, but like she's definitely giving off like lesbian, but you're too oblivious to notice vibes. <laughs> She's got the pink triangle You're into on her, her sleeve, but you, you don't really thing. realize that she'll never be into you. You you like her you so like her because she's a thirst trap. It works. You, you like her because she's, she's in chasing Amy tools. all over again. I don't know. Yes, yes, it is definitely chasing <laughs> chasing <Amy>. Artemis. <laughs> for, for, for me, that's Artemis the type of has person. never shaved her legs because why would I dull my blade that way? <laughs> I don't know. Canceled. Again, that she she's the type that. <laughs> You encounter very drunkenly at a party, and she just makes fun of you at every interaction, and then you cannot get her out of your head for those subsequent. <laughs> yeah, you, you drunkenly confuse that from flirting when really she was actually just mocking you the whole time. And that's 
fine because then you never see her again. Not that I'm speaking from experience or anything. No, no, this is all hypothetical. <laughs> okay, we can uh, cut Hermes, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, he's okay. just such a worm. Yeah, I, I, again, I just wanted a, an excuse to post some Missy Elliott. Okay. <laughs> Job done. Always valid. Uh, let's cut Asterios, because I don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> Did we cut Zeus already? There's something about his voice, though. He's got that like deep, like yeah. I, I kind of want to be held by him. <laughs> We're learning a lot, and I love it. We've we've Let's cut this we've is cut a... Zeus. We have to cut Hades, don't we? Yeah. It just yeah. He seems like yeah. I mean of uh, the thirstiest of the op. I don't know. He just seems like too much. Hades is actual the the dummiest character in this game, though, right? Yeah. More than Meg. Hmm. Mm. Maybe the dumbest, but he's not a good dumb. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's given me like senior manager and insurance company vibes. Mm. Like Ares would be a better dom. Or for that for that matter, Athena, yeah. though she might be too dismissive. I feel like they didn't really handle Athena's personality as well as they could have. Their des- her design's pretty good. This is the part of the podcast that's gonna leak online and we're all gonna be <laughs> hammered on twitter <laughs> all suddenly canceled well, someone said uh cut dionysus earlier and because he's more of a bro and i i certainly hear that like he has like a very like thirsty kind of character portrait but the way his personality is handled it's not really like done in like a sexy like inviting way it's more like hey let's just he's like your out. drug dealer or the guy you like to party with or a wingman like mm-hmm. he's he's got your back but you know he's getting his but it's not that necessarily i don't know He's everyone's first choice, maybe, or something. Yeah. But he, he gets it. He gets it. For me, it's Artemis, Chaos, Sisyphus. Those are good. <laughs> All right. Regardless of what we choose, we should I we feel... should just say we. This is hard list. We are not taking any questions at this time. <laughs> We're not. That's we not haven't we that's haven't gotten laid in a while collectively. So here we are. <laughs> I feel weird dismissing Ares since, again, he was the literal inspiration for the category with that. that <laughs> Reaction is really good. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> uh, Artemis definitely feels very specific to Spencer. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That is, that is very much a me thing. I'm not going to fight that one at all. We can have a subcategory that's just Spencer. No, I, I get it. <laughs> I vibe with that as well. I, all right. I romanced uh, Thanatos because he was there, not because I was genuinely interested in him. Also, there's a really great uh, kind of joke between uh, Ares and Nyx because you never see them interact because Nyx is one of Chthonic gods, so she's in the underworld, and Ares is one of the Olympian gods. But you see Ares on your runs through the dungeon. You see Nyx when you're in uh, the underworld. And at one point late in the game, after you've gotten your true ending, Ares uh, basically asked you offhand, like, so is Nick single? Like, is she seeing anyone? <laughs> and you're like, I don't know, dude. Like, why are you asking that? She's basically That's my, my mom. adopted mom. And uh, so you come back and you're talking to Nick's and she's like, I don't really want to tell you this, but I feel like I should. Like, Ares wants to know if you're available. And she's like, well... 
maybe. <laughs> you're basically this go-between while they're flirting, and you're like, this is weird. Why am I doing this? Okay, I feel like next makes sense. She's got, like, the mommy energy. Um, and her voice work. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. That, that, that rubs a very specific itch for oh, me. Oh, it does rub. <laughs> I, I think my big question is, Aaron came into this saying... Yes. Oh, yeah, I've I have developed no opinions, opinions here. <laughs> and has been low-key just the thirstiest one in the room. I mean, I've, I finished right. most of this beer, so the thirst has increased <laughs> as it's been All right, so, so Aaron is basically abstaining, but he, the whole time he is just secretly, well, not even secretly, he is actually judging all of us. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> so, I don't uh, get any girl talk anymore these days, so. We'll, we'll put chaos as number three in terms of, like, uh... There's just a whole like vibe going on here that mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm. ignore, but like yeah. it's just not appropriate to put him as number or it as Them. number one. Like, yeah, I don't mean the misgender chaos there. It's <laughs> it's above such petty uh, human mortal uh, ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Sisyphus definitely giving off that himbo energy. Eurydice's <laughs> she's never really available to you. She's more of like that like friend. She calls you hun, not honey. So mm. I'll go ahead and cut Eurydice, even though like she's definitely my type. <laughs> um, again, <laughs> Artemis probably fits that category for Spencer in particular. <laughs> Doug, Doug uh, also gets Doug, that, yeah. who, who are your other two choices? I'm trying to catch up because I've had some chop on the internet connection, of course. Mm. What gets it turgid, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, that's the podcast, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sorry you're cutting out. No. Turds. I mean, Aries is all about getting that blood pumping. You know what I'm saying? I think Aries might have to be on here, even though I would definitely not put Aries in my top three. It's not personal, It's sub- or it's objective. I think Aries is on there for the joke. Because I think that's I think funny. Aries... With Aries, it's not personal, it's professional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Respect. I think Meg is the obvious choice because of how uh, the character design and everything goes. Plus, just that like dismissive vocal fry. And she, she is one of your two possible lovers in the game. Oh, okay. her and Thanatos. Plus, and not only is she romanceable, but you can romance both of them, and they both acknowledge it, and they're both cool with it. <laughs> I mean, there's a kind of like on a character level, the whole Zagreus and Meg thing does feel like a. Ship. Um, yeah, the conflict there. Mm. Yeah, I would say Thanatos, Nyx, oh. or Meg for the number one. I would go with Nyx. I would probably go Nyx. Yeah, I I mean, personally, that. I'd go with Nyx. Oh, I bet you can't. Sorry. <laughs> we, we, we explored our daddy issues earlier, and now we got our mom issues. Oh, boy, did we. Okay. <laughs> but does, right, does Nyx well. win this? Ah. Uh, Maybe it should be Meg. I don't know. I just I'm trying to think of like the optics of this. Like if someone just sees like the headline of this award, they're gonna be like, oh god. Like <laughs> they're gonna do that regardless of who we. Play. Yeah, we, we might have just ended this website, but I think this is a very valid conversation to have. So I don't give a shit. Yeah, we should. Our disclaimer at the top of this one should be like in all caps and really just good defense. If we're if 
if we're going to do this as a category, I don't think it requires as much explanation as any other category. No, no, it can just be like, standard. We have no just explanation. Like, just the name. No 2020 has been rough. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just just the, the names and then the three portraits and that's all yeah that, that, that's fine with me we have our explanation on the podcast social distancing as this well, was this was just gonna be for for laughs and respect for <laughs> the tremendous work that Supergiant did yeah making us horny yeah uh, you if, don't make me horny if nothing else if nothing else <laughs> that's threatening <laughs> just to put it out there <laughs> Uh, Zagreus is not a silent protagonist. You get a very strong idea of who Zagreus is, that he has his personality, he has his ideas. And that means Nyx isn't my adopted mom. Mm. <laughs> She's his adopted mom. This, this guy that I'm driving around in the game. But not me personally. But she, there was a lot of eyebrow raising when like Spencer a... said that. A lot of little wink wink and a... <laughs> She's not my mom, but she has mom energy. And that's perfectly BME, fine. BME, big mommy energy. Yeah, I think this, this works. This is fine. All right. We have a top ten okay. to get to. Well, now, and what time is it for you guys? That. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you for joining us. And tune in next time for our top ten game of the year deliberations. <laughs>